watch out, you better not breathe, you better not wipe your nose on your sleeve, Omicron is coming to town. You better not dance, you better not run, you better stop doing anything fun, Omicron is coming to town. These past two years were torture We stayed at home and hid We poked both arms and wore a mask And a lot of good that did So you better not smile You better not laugh You might as well rip your presents in half Omicron is coming to town Omicron came to town. It came to the town of Las Vegas in June of 2022. That song was by a YouTuber named Licorice Stick 1000, who only has 644 subscribers. I bet you've never heard this song before. It's kind of a hidden gem on the web, but I thought it was funny and very appropriate for this week as COVID destroys the World Series, just rips through it and just gets everyone sick including me. Welcome to Poker Fraud Alert Radio. I am Todd Dandruff with Hellas, your host. This is being broadcast live and recorded live on June 13th, 2022. The time is 8.06 p.m. Pacific Daylight Time. And this is being broadcast live from Las Vegas. I'm in a secret location. I've bounced around from secret location to secret location. I'm not in the same location as I was when I did the show on the 5th. I'm not in the same location I was where I woke up this morning. I went to a new secret location, and uh, this is going to be the last one I'm in before I uh, leave Las Vegas for some time. And I will tell you that this trip did not go as planned. I had hoped that I would maybe make a final table, at least run deep in one or more events, I was hoping I would avoid getting COVID, and none of those things happened for me. 
the events didn't go well, and I did get COVID, even though I'm quadruple vaccinated. So we're going to talk all about that at the beginning. But a lot of other stuff has happened at the World Series of Poker that has nothing to do with me. In fact, my World Series of Poker play was very unexciting since I didn't get very far. But there are people who got far. And of course, there was controversy unrelated to the actual play at the table that we're going to talk about. There's always controversy every time we have the World Series of Poker. That's just a fact. That's just the way it always is. I can expect it. I know it will give me material for the show. And you may say, wait a minute, why is this show on June 13th? I thought you were repeating over and over that the show's going to be on June 15th. So why would I make it two days early? I have delayed the show before. And in fact, having COVID would be a good reason to delay the show. So why is the show two days early? And why would I be doing a show with COVID? So I'm going to explain that when we get to the segment. And you will understand everything of why we had these changes and why this show is two days earlier than expected. And in fact, I am somewhere I didn't expect to be right now. A lot of things are different than I thought they would be. But other things are the same that I thought would be, like COVID hitting the World Series. I predicted this, if you remember. If you want to call the show, the phone number, as always, is 775-FRAUD-55, 775-372-8355. There's also the Mount Charleston line. I might or might not be at Mount Charleston right now. I'm not going to confirm or deny this. I could be right there next to the rotary phone. You never know. But either way... You can call the main number or the Mount Charleston line to get a hold of me during the show, as always. 775-FRAUD-55, 775-372-8355 is our main number. And the Mount Charleston line, a separate line into the show, is 702-430-1808. If you want to text the show, you text the main number. That's how you get a hold of me by text, 775-372-8355. You can text me any time of the day or night, and I will answer you if I feel the text is worth answering, but I'll probably answer you. And if you text me during the show, unless you ask me at the beginning not to read on the air, I might read it on the air. So be careful what you say. We have a chat room. If you have a Poker Fraud Alert forum account in good standing, then go into the chat room and you can chat with others listening live. I don't know how many people will be in there right now. We have uh, one right now, Grenada Roger, who asked a good question. If I call the Mount Charleston line, will the phone ring on the air? And the answer is no, because it's forwarding. The Mount Charleston line would be useless to me when I do the show, because I'm not usually there in the cabin of Mount Charleston doing the show. So I always have it forwarded to me, and it's still forwarded. And the reason it has to be forwarded is because it has to forward into the show. It can't just be next to me, or no one will be able to hear the caller. So it's a good question, though. He also asked, is COVID masking required for being in the chat room? Well, no, because nobody is in there except for me and him. And since I already have COVID, Grenada Roger, it's up to you what you want to do in that chat room. But hopefully we'll get more people in the chat room. A lot of people did not expect the show today. In fact, I didn't expect the show today, but here is the show today. And by the way, it's not because I can't make it on the 15th. I actually could have done it on the 15th. I just chose not to. 
we have a free roll. And you may say, oh, great, another free roll that already started, and we'll have to get in with late registration. Well, that's not true. The free roll has not started yet. I know you're shocked. It always starts before the show. I always start the show late. In fact, what is the show doing on at 8.11 p.m.? In fact, it's been going for some time. Why is it on here? Why why am I not starting at like 9.30 after saying it's going to start 8.30? What's going on with it actually starting before the sun goes down and before the free roll starts? But we have a free roll, which is at 8.30 Pacific time. And you do have that 25 minutes of late registration to get in by 8.55. $50 is being handed out this week. 25 for first, 15 for second, 10 for third, 25 for first, 15 for second, and 10 for third. And you can be paid in many ways by Zelle, by Cash App, by a bank transfer, by cryptocurrency, which will probably lose half its value by the six hours that passed after you receive it and don't cash it out, but you can still get it that way. Various forms of cryptocurrency, which are rapidly trending towards zero. Or other methods you could think of to receive money online. I can probably send you those ways as well. If you want to claim your prize, PM me Dan Space Druff, Dan Druff on Poker Fraud Alert on the forum. Or if you must, you can email me dandruff at pokerfraudalert.com. Dandruff at pokerfraudalert.com, all lowercase, exactly as it sounds. And make sure you understand the free, the free roll rules to win the free money, which can be found at pokerfraudalert.com slash freeroll. Again, that's all lowercase, pokerfraudalert.com slash freeroll. We have the call to listen line, which is something that just always works. It's something you can use to listen to the show. It does not require a smartphone. does not require a data plan. It does not require the internet or an app. No, 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 no. In fact, if you have lousy reception on your cell phone, you can call it and listen And it won't buffer or freeze. It'll never buffer or freeze because I hate buffering and I hate freezing. So I said, I'm going to make something that will never do that. That phone number is, as always, 605-313-0736, 605-313-0736, or the alternate number, 641-741-1095. Free to any phone that can call the U.S. for free, except for T-Mobile users who must pay one cent a minute to their greedy little hands because they call it a high-volume number, which is both a compliment and an insult. If you forget these phone numbers I've been giving out, don't worry. Just go to the radio tab on PokerFraudAlert.com, and you will see them right there near the top of the page. And if you want to listen in the archives, which is how most of you listen, we are on just about every major podcasting platform you can think of. We are not on YouTube. That's not a podcasting platform, at least not in my opinion. But we are on every pod, traditional podcasting platform. I'll give you a list. We're on iTunes. We are on Google Play. Actually, now it's called Google Podcasts. Sorry. Google Podcasts. TuneIn, which can be used also to listen to the live show. Spotify. iHeartMedia. Stitcher, which has been fixed. It now is picking up the show quickly. And the Bullhorn app, which has its own call to listen line to listen to the archives. That's kind of cool. And you can also just download or play an MP3 file of the show, which is in the Radio Archives forum, where you can click the MP3 button on the radio page to get there. It doesn't require any external player or app. 
You can also play on Amazon Alexa. Just say, Alexa, play Poker Fraud Alert Radio Podcast. Say that slowly, but say, Alexa, play Poker Fraud Alert Radio Podcast, and it will play the last episode. If you say next, it'll go to the previous episode. We're also on Audible, which is associated with Amazon now in some way, but we're on there too. And I think that's it. We're on a lot of things. If there's anything I'm missing that you'd like me to add the show to, then I will add it. I'm even considering YouTube, but that's going to be a pain in my ass, so I've been avoiding doing it. We may have a better shot at getting co-hosts on tonight because it's earlier. Brandon said he's not home. Didn't get a response yet from the other two co-hosts, but they, they didn't know we're going to be on, so I'm talking about uh, Calwad and Trader Ruski. Okay, I'll give you the agenda, and then we will get going. This is going to be mostly a World Series and COVID show. The week three World Series topics are as follows. First two are about me, that I got COVID, despite four shots, including one as recently as mid-May. Tell you all about that. Then prior to my COVID diagnosis, I was struggling at World Series events, and then I missed two events thanks to being COVID positive, voluntarily that is. I wasn't uh, shut out by the World Series, but I wasn't an asshole and sat them out even though I really wanted to play. Then we will have the main feature of our show. Believe it or not, the main feature is not me having COVID. The main feature of the show is actually Nipplegate. Nipplegate, you may have heard of, was a controversy that happened over the past week of the World Series of Poker where a masseuse got fired because a poker pro named Frank Stapuchin, who's also known as Frank the Tank, had a joke video taken of him getting his nipples massaged by a masseuse at the World Series. Now, he wasn't really getting a nipple massage. It was not sexual at all. It was a joke. Everyone enjoyed it until Farrah Galfon saw it, and she was disgusted by it, and she tweeted that she should be fired, she meaning the masseuse, and Frank should be banned from the World Series, and everything fell apart from there. We can't say for sure that the eventual consequences that happened were because of what Farrah said, but there's a decent chance it was. And we're going to have the masseuse, whose name is Cynthia Amstalden. We're going to have her on the show tonight at 9 p.m. Pacific. So I'm not just going to talk about it. We're going to have Cynthia herself talk about it. She was the fired masseuse for giving that joke nipple massage. And I'll tell you right now, I'm on her side about this. And I will explain before bringing her on exactly how I feel about everything. But I'm mostly on her side. And I understand why people are upset about the whole thing. Daniel Negreanu is getting stalked and blackmailed at the World Series of Poker. And not even by one person, by two completely unrelated individuals. In fact, they are two completely different genders. One is a dude whose identity is unknown. That's the blackmailer. And the stalker is a female who is actually attractive and I've met before and has listened to Poker Fraud Alert Radio before. Mm-hmm. So I'll tell you all about that, and I'll play you uh, Daniel's comments about the matter, because he's been commenting on his vlog about the whole thing. So we'll talk about uh, Daniel getting stalked and blackmailed. Uh, both of the stories are kind of strange. 
I think the blackmail one's even stranger. That's the one the dude did, who they haven't identified yet. Scott Seaver entered the Flip and Go event, which I think is stupid. I'll explain again what that is when we get to it, in case you don't know. But he entered it 43 times, and yet he didn't cash. <laughs> Ouch. That's 1000 per pop, by the way. You've heard nice guys finish last? Well, that might be true about the World Series, because I'll give you a list of four people who have made final tables already. Ali Imsrovic, Jake Schindler, David Mizikowski, a.k.a. Cocksucker Mizikowski, and Nikki Palma, a.k.a. Nikki P. <laughs> They've all made final tables. Can you believe it? And one of them won a bracelet, too. So we will talk a bit about that. And speaking of bracelets, Alex Livingston, who does have a good reputation. He's not like these other guys, but he won a bracelet and he lost a bracelet. He physically lost the bracelet within 20 minutes of winning it, which is strange because like when I won my bracelet, I wore it for like a week straight. I didn't sleep with it, but I, I wore it for like a week straight. So how do you not have it on your arm when you've won it 20 minutes ago? But he lost it. So we'll talk about that as our final World Series topic. Then we will get to a requested topic. I know Joey Ingram's been covering it already, but Houston Curtis, who we once had on the show, good interview, but he's an admitted former cheat. He's admitted former card cheat, and now he's running things at Live at the Bike these days, and obviously that is a kind of a weird look, so we'll discuss that and whether you should trust Live at the Bike with Houston in charge. Final regular topic, Paul Pierce. Yes, NBA great Paul Pierce is being sued over a poker debt of just $180,000, which would seem like peanuts to a guy who made as much as he did, but maybe he doesn't have as much money as we might think. And then the final topic is about Omicron, about the newest Omicron variants, of which I probably got one of them. And the question on our minds is, is COVID really over for most Americans? And you may ask, how could I say that when I just got it? But I'll explain when we get to that segment. So that is our agenda tonight. Let's get started. Let's just jump right into the COVID thing, because I know you're all curious about it. Some of you may have read some stuff on the forum I wrote about it, but let me just get right into the COVID thing, because, you know, that's not a small deal, me getting COVID. I've been avoiding it for two and a half years, and it finally got me. So as you guys know, I have taken COVID very seriously. I actually have kind of unusual takes on COVID because I have not gone along with the narratives that have been pushed by the left or the right, even though I am right-wing politically. You guys all know that, and I make no secret of that. So I'm not saying I'm a centrist politically. I'm not. I'm, I'm right biased. I'll admit that. But COVID-wise, I didn't like what either side had to say. I was probably a little more on the right side, but there were some things the right was saying that I just thought was completely wrong. I thought their anti-vax position was very wrong, at least back in 2020 and 2021. And I thought the right wasn't taking COVID seriously enough. I thought the left was 
dishonest about a lot of things and was pretending to follow the science when in reality, in many ways, they were not. And I've talked about that on this show before. Unfortunately, COVID became very political and people became very obsessed with just their side's talking points and didn't want to give up anything that maybe the other side might have some points about some things. And when history looks back at this, it'll be interesting because I'm telling you, it won't be seen like one side of the political aisle had it nailed. You will see that some things the left were saying were correct, and then some things the right was saying was correct. And I tried to be an independent thinker on all this. I tried to look at the data and decide for myself and not be influenced by what any political party or media figure was saying. One of the things I decided early on was that I'm going to take this seriously. I saw that COVID was, number one, killing some unlucky, albeit healthy people who were my age, and it wasn't so rare that I could dismiss it. I'm not saying it was likely I would have died if I got the original COVID, but I was seeing enough people dying around my age that didn't have any kind of major condition prior to COVID that it was scaring me. Furthermore, much more common were middle-aged people getting permanent lung damage or permanent loss of taste and smell, at least partially. Now, most of them ended up okay when it was all over, but there was enough damage from this thing to middle-aged people that I wasn't just going to dismiss it as a cold or a flu like a lot of fellow right-wingers wanted to and did. So I took it really seriously. Not only did I get the vaccine as soon as I could, but prior to the vaccine being available, I basically just stayed home and did nothing and saw nobody. I mean, I saw my own family living with me, but that was about it. I saw my parents sometimes, but my parents, who are, of course, much older than me, you know, they're elderly, they actually weren't even as careful as I was. They were semi-careful, but they weren't even as careful as I was, which is kind of weird. But I took it really seriously. I said, I don't want to get this thing. And back then in 2020, I was hoping it was going to go away, that they developed the vaccines, we'd get herd immunity and be gone. Well, that didn't happen. So in 2020, all the way through when I got the second shot and waited the appropriate time after the second shot, all the way through the beginning of May 2021, I was basically a hermit. I would go outside and do outdoor activities, but I would not go indoors anywhere grocery shopping. I, I did curbside pickup. I wouldn't go to any restaurants. I didn't play poker anywhere. I mean, nothing. I just stayed away from everything. Then I got the vaccine and then I let my guard down and I said, okay, good. This is done. I can return to normal life. And I did. I started playing poker. I went on trips. I went to restaurants. I went into grocery stores. I, I just treated COVID like it wasn't there because I was vaccinated. That was the whole point of getting vaccinated. I was never big into masking. In fact, I was always anti-masking for myself, at least. I thought it wasn't very useful, and I was proven correct that cloth masks were useful, were useless and false sense of security. That's what I felt the whole way. I would wear a mask when required, but if it wasn't required, I never wore one. And then we had the unfortunate situation of finding out that the vaccines wear off very fast, which wasn't expected, but they did. And it wasn't like what happens with the flu, where you have to get new flu shots because the flu has evolved. 
the vaccines just wear off. They just stop working. The antibodies go away, and the vaccines get weaker and weaker and provide less and less protection. So after five months, you're not that well protected. After six months, seven months, your protection is really low. And the vaccines got me very sick, as I've talked about many times. The second, third, and fourth shot got me quite sick, and it was very unpleasant. So I was getting tired of the vaccines, but I said, okay, you know, I've got to keep doing this. But when we came to the fourth shot, and I talked about this before, I was on the fence. I wasn't sure if I was going to do it because I wasn't seeing convincing evidence that it was all that effective against Omicron. And I'm like, why should I make myself sick for a few days and go through that hell if I might get it anyway? There's a good chance I'm going to get it anyway. But I said, look, I'm going to the World Series, which to me seems like the most dangerous possible place as far as catching the virus. Dangerous doesn't mean like life-threatening. I'm saying that as far as catching it, you can't pick a worse activity because think about it. You're there for many, many hours per day for a bunch of days in a row, maybe a bunch of weeks in a row with thousands of people. And obviously that is a recipe for disaster and there's nothing else like it. You can go to a concert, but the concert's over in a few hours. You can go hang out somewhere for all day, but you're not going to have thousands of people there. And even if you do, you're not going to be there every day like you are at the World Series. This really is the perfect storm for infecting people. And Omicron is super contagious, and just about everybody there hadn't had a shot in six or more months. Now, I did. I had a shot in mid-May. But I thought, you know, all this stuff together is going to create a tremendous Omicron problem. That's what I said. And that's what happened. Right away, the cases started to ramp up. And over the past week or so, maybe week and a half, it's been especially noticeable how many Omicron cases are popping up. And I say Omicron because that's the only thing left. We have subvariants. We're not getting the original Omicron anymore, but these are still Omicron. Delta's gone. Original COVID's gone. The other variants are gone. So it really is Omicron. And you don't know exactly which subvariant you're getting, but it's a subvariant of Omicron that you're getting if you're catching COVID today. So that's what's going around the World Series. It's extremely contagious. And as I said, just about everybody there has not had a shot in six months or more. So I knew it. I knew there's going to be a big COVID problem there, but I hoped I would avoid it because I was one who had a recent shot and it had only been a few weeks. So I should have like peak protection. I was a little worried that I took Advil about 20 hour, 28 hours in to my side effects. Actually, not the side effects. 28 hours in after the shot was given to me and about 16 hours into the side effects, which began at about 12 hours, as it always does for me. But I couldn't stand it anymore. I was not going to sit there and just sit with the 103 fever and the terrible body aches and the terrible fatigue. I, I just couldn't stand it anymore. So I just took the Advil. But I did think to myself, I wonder if this is interrupting the immune response. It probably wasn't. But now that I have, you know, now that I actually got COVID, now I, I do wonder if I hadn't taken that Advil, would I have gotten COVID or not? I'll never know. But also I did read that the fourth shot had questionable efficacy, whereas the third shot was really doing very well. That was the difference between getting uh, the original Omicron and not getting it. It was still busting through for some people, but people who were getting their third shot seemed to be doing fairly well at preventing symptomatic Omicron. But the fourth shot, 
they were seeing in Israel, it was really not doing much for people. Then I read another report, which I talked about on the show from the UK, that if you had your third shot at you know seven months ago or more, that the fourth shot is good at that point and will help you. So I don't know. I, who knows what the correct situation is? And I still can't find much data on that. But what I do know is it broke through for me. So here's what happened. Obviously, I'm not dead or hospitalized or I wouldn't be doing this show. But I guess I could be in the hospital. I said I'm somewhere that I didn't expect to be. And I'm in a different location than I was earlier this morning. And that I've been in three different locations in Vegas. So I mean, maybe, maybe what's happened is uh, the second location was the hospital. Maybe I'm back from the hospital. Hmm. But no, I was not hospitalized. And I will tell you the progression of things. So if you remember, I came to the World Series of Poker early, early morning on June 3rd and played an event that same day. Basically, I drove overnight and then got into bed, went to sleep and played a 3 p.m. event. That was the 08 event. I already talked about that event last time I did the show on June 5th. That was on Friday, June 3rd. Then on Saturday, June 4th, I played the stud, felt completely healthy, just like I did on the 3rd. Everything was fine, except the event, which was not fine. I mean, I enjoyed playing stud. I'm definitely going to play that event again, but I did not do well. June 5th was an off day. And then June 6th, Monday, was the Limit Hold'em, the 1500 Limit Hold'em. Now, that's when things started to get a bit weird. So keep in mind, I did radio on June 5th, night of June 5th. And then the morning of June 6th, I woke up with a little bit of a sore throat. And you might say, "Uh uh-oh, well, you must have had COVID then. Well, not so fast. I wake up with a sore throat most days after radio. People ask me, how do you talk for eight hours straight? And I go, well, I do, but I'm sorry the next day because a lot of times I have a sore throat. There have been so many times that I wake up with a sore throat the day after radio and go, oh, shit, I'm getting sick. And then I go, oh, wait, radio was last night. I mean, I've had that so many times. It's very common for me to wake up with a sore throat the day after radio. And it makes sense. I mean, think of all the hours I talk straight. Also, I had no co-host at all on that entire show. So I just did it straight through talking. So it wasn't as long as some of the other shows, but I just did it straight, no break, no co-host, no nothing. So I just barreled right through it. And I wondered if maybe that made me have the sore throat. Also, I noticed that my throat was extremely dry from the air conditioner blowing right at me as I was sleeping. So all these things combined, and Vegas is very dry too. So all these things combined, I said, okay, this is not concerning. I don't feel the slightest bit sick, which I did not. I I didn't have any illness symptoms other than the sore throat, which I blamed on radio and the dry air and the air conditioner. So I played the event on that Monday. Didn't do well again. (laughs) Third early brick in a 1500 limit event. I had uh, Limit 08, Limit Stud, and Limit Hold'em, and I had the same result for all, fail, and didn't make it through 30% of the field. So, okay. Then on Tuesday, and by the way, by the end of the day on Monday, the sore throat was gone. So I thought, okay, it was totally like the dry air and probably radio. It makes sense. Like, it faded throughout the day, as it normally does when I have a radio-related sore throat, which is very common. 
However, Tuesday, I woke up again with a sore throat. I go, okay, this got to be the room. Because I had no sore throat last night. I started with a sore throat. Then it went away throughout the day. Then it, can't, it comes back after I go to sleep. I go, okay, this is, this is definitely from the AC. In fact, I thought maybe the AC has some issues. Maybe it's uh, the filter isn't good or some other problem. Maybe it's uh, actually getting me sick in some way. I, I have had it before where ACs have gotten me sick in hotels which aren't maintained well. So I thought, okay, I may want to switch rooms over this because every time I go to sleep, I wake up with a sore throat. But then again, I left the room and again... I'm fine. Now, I didn't have an event that day, but I, I left to go play cash. And again, later that day, no sore throat, didn't feel sick, totally fine. So I wasn't even thinking it was possible that I was sick. Wednesday, no sore throat. I don't wake up with any sore throat. In fact, Wednesday, I don't feel sick in any way. But I don't feel quite right, though. Something's a little bit weird on Wednesday. On Wednesday, I, I feel a little bit off. And you may ask what I mean by off. I just didn't feel like... I, I felt kind of low energy, kind of a little out of it. I, I felt like not as much appetite as I usually have. Yeah, I didn't feel sick, and I didn't have any real symptoms. I just didn't quite feel like everything was 100%. I felt like a little bit weird that day. But I didn't think much of it, again, because I didn't feel sick. I had no sore throat, no cold symptoms, no COVID symptoms like they describe, no fever. So, okay. Thursday was the first day of real concern. I have a uh, minor stuffy nose on Thursday. Now, I had an event on Thursday. And I thought, well, do I play this? And it was in the morning, so I had to make a quick decision. I said, oh, you know what? This is like a such a minor thing. Like, this feels like a minor, minor cold is what it feels like to me. And I thought, okay, maybe that sore throat I had a few days ago, maybe maybe that was because I was coming down with a, uh, a minor cold. It totally felt like a minor cold. I didn't feel sick. I didn't feel run down. In fact, I felt better than the day before, but now I have like a little bit of a runny nose. So I went and played, uh, assuming this had to be a cold. I go, this, this couldn't be COVID. COVID wouldn't feel this way. So I, I played on uh, Thursday. Didn't last very long and busted. I didn't even think of going to get a test or, or test because I was so sure this was a cold. It just did not feel at all like what I would picture COVID was. Even with people saying that COVID was presenting mild when I'm reading on Twitter. I mean, this was beyond mild. This was mild for a cold. So I thought, okay, this is just... Uh, I, I, and I catch a cold at most World Series at some point. It's an unusual World Series where I get through the whole thing with no cold. I'm not even exaggerating. Like... Every once in a while, I'll complete a World Series and never have caught a cold, but that's like the exception, not the rule. So I go, okay, well, colds are still here. I've had plenty of them this year already. So like, <laughs> this is probably a cold. It feels just like a cold. At least it's not a bad one. So like a very minor cold, I'm not going to drop out of the event. So I played it. As I said, I didn't last long. And then Friday... The cold got worse. It, it didn't get bad. It was still not even an average cold yet. And the only symptom I had was like a runny nose and a cough that was a little bit, like a very mild cough. But I thought, okay, okay, look, I've got, I've got to go take a test at this point. I don't think it's COVID. I told everybody there's a way this is COVID, but I've got to go take a test just in case. You know, just in case 
one, I want to know, and two, if I do have it, I, I've, I've got to keep away from people and not infect them, even though it's like everywhere and everyone's getting it. So my removal from there wasn't going to make a big difference, but still, I, I wasn't going to just ignore this any longer. I needed to see for sure whether I had COVID or not, but I was telling everybody, trust me, this is a cold. I know what a cold feels like. So I booked a real test. I didn't go buy one of these fail home tests because I don't trust them. They suck. So I I went and did the real thing. I drove to a testing location where they do a PCR test, which is the gold standard of COVID testing. Only downside is you don't find out right away. Saturday at 4 a.m., my phone dings and it says, your result is ready. So I click on the link. I enter my verification information and it says, Result for Todd, positive. Uh-oh. I wasn't expecting that. I actually fell back in my chair. I literally fell back in my chair when I saw that. I go, wow, it's real. I, I, I actually have COVID. Hmm. This isn't what I expected it to feel like. I expected I would feel kind of like I felt when I took the vaccine. It would knock me out. I'd have a 103 fever. I, I'd barely be able to get out of bed. I could be out of bed for like five minutes before I had to get back in bed. Like I expected something would just totally knock me out. In fact, I already had plans in mind to hire certain people I knew around Vegas to bring me things if I'm incapacitated and can't even get up. Like, bring me things and knock on the door and leave it in front of the door, and I go to the door. Like, I, I had these planned before I went to the World Series just in case I got COVID, assuming it would inca- incapacitate me for at least a few days. This is not what was happening. In fact, I actually switched hotels on Thursday. It was 109 degrees on Thursday. And, uh, or sorry, it was Friday. I switched hotels on Friday. But it was 109 degrees Friday. And I actually had to go outside between these hotels. So I moved a bunch of stuff because I was here a long time. Think about it. I've been here since the third. So I brought a bunch of stuff with me, including radio stuff. You know, like I have a lot of stuff with me and a lot of drinks and a lot of shit I bring here so I can have things with me. If I take like a two-day trip, it's a different story. But in a long trip, I need a lot of stuff. So I dragged all that stuff in the 109-degree heat. And I was fine. And I had COVID at that time. This is on Friday, the same day I tested positive. I moved all my stuff to the new hotel. And uh, that same day, I went and took a test. And the next day at 4 a.m., I get the result and it was positive. So I that shows you how little this did to me. That I was able to not just function normally, but I was able to move all my stuff in the 109-degree heat. So at the very worst point of this, it was never that bad. I had like some very, very minor chills at the very, very worst point that did not last long. I had, I'd say like a moderate runny nose, moderate meaning kind of like mid-level. You know how colds are. Sometimes your nose just runs a little bit. Sometimes it's so much you got to blow your nose every 10 minutes. Sometimes it's kind of in the middle. This one was kind of in the middle when it was at its worst point. And... 
Every once in a while, I'd cough. That was pretty much it. I mean, there's no fever. I didn't have fatigue. I had some very mild joint pain, which I also get with colds. About half the colds I get come with muscle and joint pain, sometimes pretty bad muscle and joint pain. This was like very mild joint pain at the very worst point, again, which didn't last very long. Even at the very, very, very worst point, the very, very peak of this whole thing, it wasn't a big deal. It was still less than the average cold as far as severity. And it felt just like a cold. It felt like a mild cold. In all my years of having colds, had I not known that this would present like this, I would have been 100% sure it was a cold. In fact, I was 100% sure it was a cold until I started seeing a lot of people reporting that they were getting something just like a cold and yet tested positive for COVID. So that's, that's what finally pushed me to get that test on Friday. Now, obviously, once I tested positive, that changes everything. So I could no longer do anything. I mean, I could. I could have been a dick and kept quiet about it. But first, I contacted everybody that I knew that I had spent time with. I couldn't contact the people I played poker with. I didn't know how to do that. But uh, I contacted those who I spent time with. And the truth is, anyone I played poker with was exposing themselves to tons of people with, with Omicron, not just me. So I wasn't even that worried about those people. Because if you're going to sit down in a poker room at the World Series, whether cash or at the tournament itself, you are taking a tremendous, tremendous risk that you're going to catch COVID. I was not going to fake that I was okay. I was not. I mean, I was okay, but I was not going to fake that I was COVID negative. I was COVID positive. So I said, okay, I'm going to do the responsible thing. And I am not going to play anything. I'm not going to play cash. I'm not going to play the tournaments. And I had two tournaments coming up. One of them I was very excited about, the 3K Limit Hold'em 6 Max, which is mainly what I play. That is mainly what I play in cash, is 3K Limit Hold'em 6 Max. Now, yes, it's a tough event in that there's a number of good players in that event who also play a ton of Limit Hold'em 6 Max. But I was really looking forward to that event. That was going to be that same day, Saturday. But I tested positive. I saw right there 4 a.m. positive, so that was that. I did not enter that event. That's why you didn't see my updates about the event. The next day was the 10K Limit Hold'em. Now, I actually like that event, but the problem is it's 10K and it's a small field and you have to run really well to cash in that. It's not one of these things you can just kind of skate to the money because it's a small field. So I was still going to, I was just, I don't know, I was on the fence about playing it. I wasn't sure if I wanted to commit 10K to this, which is kind of a crapshoot in some ways, but I might have, but the decision was made for me by COVID. So no 10K either. So no 3K, no 10K. I missed two-thirds of the Limit Hold'em event. So I can tell you with certainty I will not be cashing at a Limit Hold'em event in 2022 at the World Series because all three of them are done. One I lost, the other two I did not play. And that's it. That's disappointing. So then on Saturday I was better than I was Friday, but I still had somewhat of a runny nose and somewhat of a cough, though not much of one. Sunday I was substantially better. And on Sunday, then the question became, how long have I really had this thing? That sore throat on Monday that I blamed on radio, was that really a radio sore throat? Or was it a COVID sore throat? And what about Wednesday, when I didn't have a sore throat and I didn't have a runny nose, but I just didn't feel quite right the entire day? Was that actually the beginning? In fact, 
I'll tell you that a number of people who've had Omicron have described something like that before they get real symptoms, where the day before symptoms show up, they just kind of don't feel right. And then the next day they wake up and they have noticeable symptoms. So maybe it was Wednesday when I actually had my first symptoms. Maybe the sore throats on Monday and Tuesday really were radio and AC related. Because remember, it would have been a little bit weird to have this sore throat as early as Monday morning and not actually have it progress to the runny nose until three days later on Thursday. So it is very possible those sore throats had nothing to do with this and were not an illness. So maybe it was Wednesday when it started. Now, for sure, I had it by Thursday because that's when I had the nasal symptoms. And then Friday, with a worse version of those symptoms, I went and took the test, and that test uh, was positive. So for sure, it was on Thursday or earlier. But the question, was it Thursday? Was it Wednesday? Was it Monday? Was it Tuesday? I don't know. What about today? What about today, Monday here, June 13th? I'm better. And that's why I'm doing radio. Well, it's part of why I'm doing radio. It was scheduled for the 15th, so why is it early? I'll explain that in a second. But the reason I can do radio is because I'm better. I do not feel like I have a runny nose. I do not feel like I have any symptoms. Now, I went and took a test, again, a PCR test, which hopefully I will again get the result at 4 a.m., and hopefully it'll say negative this time. And then I can return to my family. I talked to my girlfriend about it. She's not had COVID yet. And she's around my age. She hasn't had COVID yet. She also has put a lot of effort into not getting it like I have. Except unlike me, she's not going to something like the World Series of Poker. I came into the World Series of Poker in 2022 with the belief that there was a decent chance I would get Omicron. And I did. I made peace with that before I left, that I was just tired of hiding from this and that I'm not going to miss the World Series over this because Omicron is just not as serious as the previous COVID. And we may have something like this around forever and I can't just hide forever. This isn't going to go away. So I just said, okay, if I get it, I get it. I'll take the precaution. I'll get the vaccine this fourth shot, maybe that'll help, maybe it won't, but I'm going to go, I'm going to do it. So yeah, I ended up getting it. So I didn't want to go bring it back home. So what I've been doing since uh, Saturday morning when I realized I had it is I've just been isolating. And I haven't seen anyone. I haven't played any poker except online. I've just been spending all day and all night in my room. I did actually switch locations today. But as I said, today, I believe I'm better. I would be very surprised if that test comes back positive that I took this afternoon. It just feels like it's done. And even if I'm not done, I'm probably not contagious. Now, by tomorrow, it will be the requisite five days since Thursday, which is the very latest time Thursday in the morning. We're almost there. I mean, it's, it's Monday night. Thursday early morning was when I got the nasal symptoms. And basically the CDC's guidance is that if it's been five days since symptoms began and your major symptoms have declined, then you're not contagious anymore. That's the rule of thumb. That's the guidance they give to everybody. 
And I agree with that. I, I haven't agreed with everything the CDC said, but th- this is actually the way most viruses behave, like a cold, for example. A cold is said to be contagious while you have major symptoms. And when the major symptoms are either gone or are declining, then you're not contagious. You're also contagious shortly before you show the symptoms, but there's no way to know that. But I'm saying the contagiousness tends to stop when the major symptoms are either gone or rapidly declining. That's pretty common with a lot of viruses as far as contagiousness, that when the symptoms are on noticeable decline, you're not contagious anymore. Well, not only are they on decline, they're gone. So I said, all right, I'm going to do radio. (laughs) And I'm probably going back tomorrow at some point to see my family, which has been a while since I've seen them. So that's the situation. COVID was far, far, far less severe than I expected. I really expected something similar to what the vaccine would do to me. Strangely enough, the vaccines, the second, third, and fourth shots, made me much sicker than I got from real COVID. Much sicker. It's not even close. If someone said, which one would you like to experience again if you had to take one? The second, third, or fourth shot? Or COVID itself? And I would say, give me COVID itself. <laughs> that was pretty minor. The, the shot was miserable. Now, some people might say the fourth shot was a complete fail because I got it in mid-May and then I got COVID anyway. Others would say it was at least a semi-success because I experienced this so mildly that maybe if I hadn't gotten that fourth shot, that I would have gotten it worse. Now, I will say that every report I'm seeing on Twitter of people getting COVID at the World Series, of which there's a ton. In fact, uh, Chris Fox Wallace was trying to count them. He found uh, 30 reports as of a few days ago on uh, Twitter. And he said, that's just what he's seen. He doesn't follow every poker player. And there's tons of people who either don't tweet about it or just purposely don't want to announce it because they want to keep playing like a degenerate and they don't give a shit about transmitting it. I'm sure there's tons of those people, including ones that are making day twos and especially don't want to be interrupted. So it's all over the place. I mean, it's, it's really all over the place at the World Series of Poker. But everybody who's reporting having it has a mild case. I'm not seeing a single case that I can even classify as moderate that came from the World Series. I'm not talking about people who got it two months ago or four months ago. I'm talking about ones getting it this month. Every single one of them has been mild. Now, there's been different grades of mild. Mine was super mild. Mine was so mild, I was convinced it was a cold, a mild cold, and very reluctantly went to go take that test while telling everybody, no, there's no chance it's COVID. I'm just doing this just in case. That's what I told everybody. Then I kind of felt stupid when it came back positive COVID. So extremely mild for me. Now, there were others who had it mild, but not extremely mild, where they did have fatigue. They had a worse cough and cold than I did. And they had uh, a low-grade fever, things like that. So there were people who did have it worse than me, but it was not that bad. Again, it was nowhere near as bad like what I had from the vaccine. The vaccine really did just knock me out. 
where I couldn't do anything. I'd spend the entire day in bed with my muscles and joints hurting, with chills coming on that are fairly bad, 103 fever. I mean, the whole thing sucked. And this would sit there for two and a half days like this. That was my vaccine experience, not my COVID experience. I did this to myself, having that jabbed into me. I haven't seen anyone who has even reported that it was that bad. So, yeah, people had it more severe than I did, but nobody had even what I would classify as a moderate COVID case. So I think even without a vaccine, I would have been fine. I'm willing to believe that the recent fourth shot probably did make somewhat of a difference and probably brought down my symptoms to be as mild as they were. So maybe it did help some. But do I think it was worth it? No, because I had to endure actually being sick from the damn vaccine. If it didn't get me sick, then fine, you know, whatever. It's no skin off my ass. But when it gets you as sick as it gets me for as long of a time as it does, I want it to really be doing something valuable. Now, preventing the original COVID, which was killing people my age, and more commonly damaging their lungs permanently or damaging their taste and smell senses permanently, well, that is a pretty good thing to get protection from, even if not 100%, but to get any kind of reasonable protection from it is very good and is worth enduring the three days of being sick. And same with Delta, which was basically doing the same stuff as the original and was more contagious. So I was happy to get the third shot to give me protection against Delta. And it probably did because COVID was spreading around the main event. But that was Delta, not Omicron. There's no Omicron then back in November of 21. And I didn't get it. Great. But now we have this really, really mild strain. So yeah, maybe this helped me not have it as bad. But I think what I would have gotten probably wouldn't have been that much worse. And yet I had to endure the shittiness of the vaccine and what it does to me. So I think I'm done with vaccines is the point. Not all vaccines, but COVID vaccines. Unless something changes here, like unless COVID worsens again of what it does to you, I think I'm done with these. I think four is going to be my final shot. We'll talk more about these current strains of Omicron at the end of the show. But yeah, I think I'm kind of done. And I think that if you're going to play at the World Series of Poker, you need to make peace with getting Omicron. Because there's a good chance it's going to happen to you. It's exactly what I was predicting. I mean, look at me. It busted right through the vaccine. I got the thing in mid-May. Boom, right through it. So you've got to know that. You've got to know that if you go there and you have not had Omicron yet, then you'll probably get Omicron. If you've had Omicron, you're probably pretty safe because from what I'm seeing, it's not that common, though not impossible. It's not that common to get two Omicrons. But if you have not had Omicron yet, meaning if you have not had COVID in 2022, then there's a good chance you're going to get Omicron. Even if you had previous COVID, like Delta or the original. Just the World Series is the perfect environment for it to spread. It makes sense. Everything we know about how it spreads, everything about the World Series is perfect for it. Indoors, thousands of people, you're there for 
12 plus hours a day and you're there every day. It's just a tremendous opportunity to spread. It has nothing to do with the chips, by the way. It's not about the chips. Don't bring hand sanitizer and think it's protecting you. It's not. You say, well, I'll just wear a mask. Well, okay, better bring an N95 because that's what you're going to need. The cloth mask ain't going to cut it. The surgical mask probably ain't going to cut it either. So if you want to sit there with an N95 on the whole time, okay, that should help. It's also very uncomfortable. (laughs) So I wouldn't advise going to the World Series and wearing an N95 the whole time. It's one thing to wear that for 20 minutes. It's another thing to have it on for 12 hours. I would not want to play poker with an N95 on. It's not worth playing to me. Now, what I will say is that going forward at the World Series in 2022, I don't have to worry about COVID anymore. Definitely not going to get it again. There are some very rare cases where people will get COVID a second time, like weeks after they have it the first time. Though I'm kind of skeptical. I kind of think that a lot of these might be where it doesn't completely go away and make some kind of resurgence. Viruses can do that sometimes. I actually had mono do that to me 30 years ago. 30 years ago, I had a bad case of mono in the spring of 92, and I had it. It was awful. It went away. I thought, okay, good. I'm glad to be done with this. About four days later, bang, it's right back. And then it lasted about the same amount of time and went away again. And then that time for good. But whatever, I... I'm pretty certain that I don't have to worry about getting COVID from the rest of the series. I did get an advantage, though, in that now that I have experienced real COVID and it did not, it was not a uh, a bad experience from the standpoint of how ill I got because it was very, very mild. Now my body has the experience of fighting real COVID and not fake COVID. Because the four shots I got were fake COVID. This is real COVID. So now my body's better at this. In fact, they are claiming that the best protection you can possibly have is a combo of the vaccine and actually getting the virus. So, okay, well, here I am. (laughs) I've had four shots and the real virus. So that should give me some pretty strong protection going forward. Hopefully I won't uh, have COVID again for quite some time. So that's it. That was my COVID story. Not very exciting. Kind of sucks I missed these events. I, I, I guess maybe it saved me money. Could have saved me as much as thirteen grand Because <laughs> I could have played the 3K and bricked it and then played the 10K and bricked it too. Also could have cost me a bracelet. Or somewhere in between. Who knows? There's no way to know. But I didn't play those events. And I dutifully stayed away from everybody once I got that positive test result but i didn't want to do a home test it just you know i if if i'm going to do a test i want the real thing i want to be able to tell with more certainty the pcr tests aren't perfect there's no perfect test for covid but they're a lot better than the home tests the home tests are kind of fail the home test used to be really bad earlier in the year the joke used to be that if you need a test to prove that you're covid negative when you're actually COVID positive, so you can do things that you want to do and not give a shit about infecting people, but be able to prove you're negative to anyone who asks, then you do a home test because they all showed negative. It was amazing how bad they were. They've improved them since then, 
but they're still nowhere near as good as a PCR test. So I went to go do the real thing, and it was positive. So, as you can hear, I sound okay, right? And I am okay. I'm better, and I don't see any signs of any kind of permanent damage I took from this. So it really seems to have presented like a cold and went away like a cold and hopefully will have no kind of permanent damage, just like colds don't. So let me quickly tell you about the two World Series events I played since last time. I played Limit Hold'em. As I described, I uh, had a sore throat I woke up with, but that wasn't the problem. That lessened significantly once I left the room which is why I was really blaming the AC somewhat. The problem I had was not related to COVID at all. The problem I had was a headache. And you may say, oh, headache is a symptom of COVID. Nope, not this one. This was a tension headache. I know tension headaches real well. I get about 250 per year. And this was one of them. And I get a lot of them in the summer. Summer and winter, I get them almost every day. And the cause of this, I don't know all the causes, but one of the causes of my tension headaches comes from rapidly changing temperature. So if I go from outside into an air-conditioned building, or if an air conditioner kicks on and cools down the room a lot, or if a heater comes on and warms up the room a lot, any anytime like an abrupt temperature change happens, there's a lot higher chance I'm going to develop a tension headache. I will also sometimes get them from sleeping in a way that my neck doesn't like. There's a lot of different ways it can bring it on. Sometimes if I just move my neck the wrong way or bend down the wrong way, I can get them. There's a lot of different causes to bring them on. I, I'm always carrying around aspirin with me because I get headaches this often. And this has been going on for a very long time, for over 20 years. So it's not something that I have to worry about is going to kill me. And in fact, it's hereditary. My mom has the same thing. I got a worse version than she did, but I know what it is. She's had them her whole adult life, pretty much, and so have I. It started in my mid-20s, which is around usually when they start. And I got a very bad one on Monday. But it was for sure a tension headache, because it has a very specific feel to it. It's like what I call a line of pain moving up. And I felt that same line of pain, but this is a spe- especially bad one. So that was actually distracting me somewhat during the event. I'm not saying I played it badly. I'm just saying it was distracting. It was hard to concentrate with that headache. And I I, I took pills. It wasn't doing it. Now, finally, uh, I got a hold of a Vicodin, which I actually carry with me on trips. And this is legally prescribed to me. I'm not uh, buying illicit Vicodin on the black market. This is uh, prescribed in my name. And I carry it with me on trips for this reason, because Vicodin packs an extra punch in the rare case that aspirin doesn't do the job. Aspirin will usually do the job, and once in a while it won't. Monday was one of those days. I just could not get rid of this headache. I took two aspirins, didn't do anything, took two more a little bit later, didn't do anything. So then I went out to seek the Vicodin, and I, I finally got a pill that did take it down, but uh, by then it was uh, well into the event. And that was... Uh, I, I guess I kind of learned a lesson. If I wake up with a headache, I should bring a Vicodin pill with me to the event so I can take it just in case something happens. Vicodin doesn't work to get rid of headaches for everybody, but for me it helps. And it helps when other medications fail. As I said, usually aspirin takes care of it. 
So I had that headache that was dogging me from that event. Again, it was not a COVID headache. It was uh, definitely just a typical tension headache. And I get a lot of them in Vegas because of the AC and the heat outside and the dryness. It's like it all kind of comes together to bring me a lot of these in the summer in Vegas. I started off well, though. I took my 30K stack to 45K in the early stages, which is about as well as you can do because your blinds are really small and it's only limit. But then I went through the same problem I had with like every event I'd played prior to that. Well, both events I played, both the stud and the 08. Midday one, just couldn't win a hand. Just lose every damn hand I enter. It also was a bit confusing because there were like two guys at the table who had a really weird play style. And when I say a weird play style, it was, it was kind of hard to see where they were at. I'm not saying they were good. I'm not saying these were great players who had me confused. I'm saying they, they were just weird. So you couldn't just um, make ABC plays against them. It was kind of hard to know when to fold and when to call. And in tournaments where you can't just rebuy when you make the wrong decisions against these guys, it can be either costly or, or very nice for you, depending on where these hands break down. And unfortunately... I just kept ending up on the wrong end of these things or uh, I'd end up folding because the board would just run out terrible and I, I couldn't call anymore. So it's, you know how it is. Sometimes just everything falls the wrong way and in mid-day one, just like it did in the previous two events, same thing happened. I lost every hand and I was gone. I did have a weird hand in that one. This is by one of the guys of the weird play style. The guy was short-stacked and he announced under the gun that he's raising blind. And I wasn't watching him real closely, but it did look to me like he put out his blind raise. In fact, he asked the dealer if he could do it before he was even dealt his cards. I was pretty sure I saw him do that. Then it folded to me, and I'm in middle position. He's already put in his blind raise, and I have queen nine suited. Well, queen nine suited is a funny hand to have in that spot. It's definitely an above average hand. And there's a number of ways it can win. The problem is it's not the greatest hand to run out for a showdown because a lot of times it won't win by itself. If both players miss, it can still lose because it's going to lose to king high, ace high, or any pair that someone has in their hand. Or even a better queen high. So it's not like ace trash where if both players miss, that there's a decent chance it wins. With queen nine, you know, it's... it's kind of an average hand from that standpoint. So it's not the greatest thing to go run out the board with. However, remember the guy's raising blind and I have an above average hand. And it's not so terrible to where if somebody else comes in that I can't beat them anyway. Queen nine suited is a much better limit hold'em hand than no limit hold'em. Because uh, it's a lot cheaper to draw in limit hold'em. And that's definitely a drawing hand. And if you do flop and get dominated, like if you flop a queen and you're up against a better queen, okay, you're going to lose, but not as the decisions aren't as tough to call down as it is with a no-limit hold'em. So there's a lot of reasons why queen nine suited is a better limit hold'em hand than a no-limit hold'em hand. So I said, all right, I'm not as short as this guy, but I'm below average here and I'm below starting stack. I've got to make a move here. So here we are. Here's my opportunity to uh, get some chips back. So I three-bet him, and 
it comes back to him and he uh, forbids me. So I say, okay. So I call and he's almost all in. Like I could have just put him all in. Like I think he had uh, 6,400 in chips or something. And I think the bets were 1,200 each. So I could have just about put him in pre-flop, but it was obviously we're getting it in. It didn't really matter. And this guy was the type of player he wasn't going to knit it up if he hated the flop, even if he saw what he had. He was definitely going to put in the remainder of his chips, so there was no question. The flop came with one spade, like 10-5-4 or something. So he bet, and uh, at that point I realized I was going to have to put him in. So uh, I think I even waited to the turn. He bet, and he had like a tiny, tiny thing to bet on the turn. Well, the turn I picked up a spade, so... Even if he had more, I'd have to call a full bet on the turn now with the uh, flush draw. So I was feeling pretty good against two random cards against my flush draw here. And maybe even my queen high was good. So we get it in, and he says, I promise you, I really raised blind. And I thought, "Uh uh-oh, is this what I think it is? Yes. He had pocket aces. I know what you're thinking. You think I got angled. You think I got played for a fool. I was made into a chump by this guy with a weird play style. I don't think so. For several reasons. Number one, and by the way, I missed the uh, river. I didn't get the spade on the river, so he won and doubled up off me, and now I was a short stack. But... The reason I don't think I got angled was that everybody at the table said they were watching him and that he did indeed raise without seeing his cards. In fact, that he had done it before he got his cards, like I had thought. Supposedly, after I three-bet is when he looked. He took a quick peek, and I didn't notice. So I guess it was after I three-bet him that he decided to look. And, of course, at that point, he's going to definitely get it in with aces. But it would have played out in the same way. Because let's say he didn't look yet. Well, he was short-stacked there. He was committed to get it in. And especially with a board like 10-5-4, he would think, okay, well, even if he doesn't want to look at that point, he'll say, okay, well, my random cards, they could beat a lot of hands here. It's not like the board comes ace-king-queen, and he, he thinks if I'm three-betting, i got to have him crash, and he's got to look. Uh, with 10-5-4, any two trash cards he has have a chance there. Like, let's say he had 6-8 offsuit. That has a definite chance, right? Even 2-3 offsuit has a good chance. So that's what I'm saying here is that this would have played out the same way. And then, uh, of course, even if he, uh, let's say he looked on the flop, it's all he had aces. Well, if he, if he bet, which he did, and I called, which I did, with a 10-5-4 board like that, and then I, I would have picked the spade draw, and of course, uh, I would have, would have gotten it in. So it would have gone in either way. The only way I would not have gotten in is if uh, he had looked before he was dealt and raised. So if he had not looked until he got dealt the hand and raised, then I would have folded the queen nine, and I wouldn't have gotten involved in that hand, and I wouldn't have lost. But the second he opened with those aces, not realizing they were aces, because he hadn't looked yet, the second I decided to three-bet him with a queen nine, whether he looked or not, it would have played out the same way. So that part didn't really matter. But it was interesting. <laughs> of all things, I mean, talk about my luck here that the guy 
decides he's going to put it in and open raises under the gun with a short stack with any two cards, and it turns out to be aces, which is a 1 in 220 chance. That's what he would have had. Now, someone at the table did point out that because neither of us hit the board, that even pocket deuces would have beaten me, which is true. Any pair in his hand would have beaten me. So it's not like he needed aces to win. It's not, it's not like I flopped a queen and lost because he had aces. I, I ended up with queen high. So that's pretty much the only like real interesting thing that happened in that event. Oh, by the way, this guy was also a high limit player. I didn't really know him, but other people there did. And people came up to him who were other high limit players and go, what are you doing in this event? And so the, the guy was a legit like high stakes degenerate. He wasn't a poker pro either. He's like a high stakes degenerate who seems to have a lot of money. Nice guy. Weird play style, but nice guy. And like he he's not, not going to angle there. That wasn't his style. His style was much more, okay, you know what? I'm kind of sick of this. I'm short stacking. I'm just getting in with this hand no matter what. That was totally what he was doing there. He just happened to get aces. So this wasn't like a, a nit or a known angler. This is like this rich degen guy who plays like way higher than even the uh, top prize of this event was going to be. And people were, in fact, laughing that he was in this event, people who knew him. Going, what's the upside here? So... It was legit. I just ran into aces. <laughs> My fourth event, and that, that one I probably played when I had COVID, but didn't know it, the 1K No Limit freeze-out event. Would you believe that I got dealt pocket eights and flopped 10-10-8? So I flopped the boat. Would you believe that I lost the hand? In case you're wondering why I'm not cashing in these events, now you're understanding it. Yes, I lost a flopped boat. I was uh, a little bit over starting stack. This is early stages of the event. I didn't get past the early stages. So I raised pocket eights in early position. And to my direct left, this British guy, who was semi-short stacked by this point, not so short that he was like crippled, but semi-short. He probably had about a little less than half the stack I did. He looks down at his cards, and he looks so nervous. Like he wants to raise me, but then he also doesn't want to raise me. He looks so nervous, and I was reading this nervousness as he has a big hand, and he's afraid to run me off. And I think, what's the hand that you really don't want to run everybody off? What, what, what's the hand you're going to hold that you really just don't want to chase away the under-the-gun razor, especially when you're semi-short but not really short? You want to make sure that flop is seen so then you can get it in when, that, when the guy commits himself more. What is that hand? Oh, yeah, the old aces again. I was sure he had aces. This guy to my left. I see this this nervousness, nervousness. And then he he, he very reluctantly throws out a call. And I thought, uh-oh. I'm going to play these eights real carefully. If I don't flop an eight here, <laughs> I may have to check fold this or 
maybe just make sure that I'm correct and make a bet and see if he uh, raises me and then fold or check fold the turn if we don't approve. I, I wasn't 100% sure what my line would be. I was going to look at the board before deciding that, but I was kind of thinking I'm going to check fold the flop if I don't get an eight. I was that sure he had aces. Well, the board comes 10, 10, 8, and I go, okay, there we go. Thank you. I'm going to get all his chips here. So, and we had other people in hand. We had two others who joined along too. So I bet. And this guy sat there again, kind of looking nervous. And he just called. Like, oh, these aces are going to, they're going to get a rude surprise here. And then the other two guys folded and I go, okay, got to get his last money here. Term was a blank. So I checked. Let him do the all-in, just in case I was wrong here, or just in case I'd scare him off because of the two tens on the board. Or, you know, like, I I wasn't worried about giving a free card here, obviously. So I checked, and he, of course, went all-in. I snapped him, proudly turned over my eights. He looked very upset. I turned over his aces, just like I thought. And an ace hit the river, of course. Didn't bust me, but brought me down to a little bit more than half starting stack, and then I just couldn't win a hand after that. I think I won one hand where I bluffed. Yeah, I did. I won one hand where I bluffed a guy because he showed his hand, and he had top air, and he was convinced that I had him beat. By the way, uh, why was he convinced I had him beat? Well, among other things, I mean, my betting pattern a little bit looked like that, but... There was one other factor. I wore my bracelet to that event, which I, I don't wear to every event. I would wear to some events, but I wore to this event for sure. Because this event, only a $1,000 buy-in, it's a no-limit freeze-out, attracts a lot of recreational players. And I got a great table draw of what looked like all recreational players. And if it wasn't all, it was most. Well, they were so excited to see my bracelet. They, they asked me about it. They wanted to see it. Three different guys wanted to take a picture of my bracelet, and I let them. They, w- they walked up and actually took a picture of the bracelet on my arm. They were that excited that they were playing with a bracelet winner, and that they got to see one at their table, including the guy, by the way, who had the aces there. So they were very excited by the bracelet. They wanted to hear other stories about, uh, you know, have I played the main event, and I told them I ran deep twice and it's not like I made the final table or got down to 15th or something I my two deep runs were 88th and 128th which are, are pretty good considering the 7,000 8,000 sides of size of the field but uh you know they they wanted to hear about that and they, they liked the main event story <laughs> they just wanted to hear from me about uh about my poker play and they were just so excited to have this bracelet winner at the table and whenever it's like that, I had the same thing happen to my second table, the Big 50, three years ago. The Big 50 was the $500 event three years ago. The same situation. Not the first table, but the second table. Again, very, very excited, everybody, about the bracelet. But they also openly comment about being afraid to play with me. Like, they actually say it and play like that. It's not like they say it to encourage me to loosen up and then uh, then they beat me. No, they, these are people who are honest that they are worried about playing against a bracelet winner. So this is good. I like all this. This is exactly what I want. 
I like it when everybody at the table is afraid to play against me or is nervous playing against me. This allows me to have better control of the hands. So this is exactly what I wanted. A table full of rec players who were impressed by the bracelet I purposely wore there for that reason and openly were stating that they felt nervous playing against me. I mean, it's, it's ideal, right? Didn't help. <laughs> I lose the flop boat, bluff one hand, and then just lose everything else. And the hand I went out on, I, I still believe I did the right thing. It wasn't an obvious move, but I decided it was time to make a move. Because I, I was getting dealt trash. I mean, I was so card dead. And the other people really weren't. So they were like, guys who weren't really that loose were raising, and I'm just getting dealt trash after trash after trash. I can't even tr- like represent hands I don't have. It's just one of these things where the only thing you could do is just keep folding. So I got down to like 7,500 chips. You start with 20. The blinds had gone up some. And what had happened was uh, someone who was fairly new to the table and I noticed was uh, this guy was not a rec player. This guy seemed like he was uh, pretty good, but he was pretty loose also. So he was a pretty loose razor in the short time I'd seen him. So he opened. And then a decent player to his right, who was also new to the table, because two guys, actually three guys busted before me, including the guy who beat me with the those aces. He busted somehow too before I did. So two of the new guys at the table were to my direct right now. So one raise is the other flats. So I knew the flatter has shit. The original Razor, yeah, he could have woken up with something, but this guy was opening a lot, and I had not been opening a lot. I was uh, pretty t- tight-looking by that point because I was getting trash. So I looked down, and I see Ace-Jack off, and I'm in, like, middle position. So I go, okay, you know what? I know the guy to my direct right has shit, and the opener, he probably has shit, too. So if I push this here, if I just push my 7,500 in then it's likely it's going to fold around. They're going to both fold and I will get the blinds and annies. And I actually would have increased my stack by about 50% from doing that. If, if the result was just everyone folding, I would increase my stack to like 11K from like 7,500 by the 1,200 raise, 1,200 call plus the blinds and annies. So I really was going to go uh, up by 50% and I thought there's a pretty high chance that's what was going to happen. So was I correct? that the opener and the flatter had shit? Yes. What was I not expecting? That the small blind was going to have kings. (laughs) I guess there was a right move, wrong timing. Because I read those two guys right for not having very much... They would have laid it down, but the kings were not going to lay it down. The kings were acting after me in the small blind, and I did not get anything on that flop. I actually did pick up a wheel draw on the turn, so I had a few more outs, but didn't happen. Ended up like a nine high board, and I was gone. So that was the last event I played. Then I took my COVID test the next day and I uh, found it was positive the next day after that. So 0 for 4 to start the World Series of Poker for me. One event I made it through 
right? I'd say two events, I made it through about 15% of the field, and then the other two, I made it through about 30% of the field. So out of four events, I've still failed to make it past 30% of the field. In 2019, I was doing the opposite. In 2019, most of the events I played, I got pretty deep. I either was caching or getting fairly close to a cache. I I had a few that I busted early, but I, I remember I had very little time to do anything else that series because I was getting so deep into so many days I played. So deep, not meaning I made final tables or anything, but that I was taking full days of play. I wasn't showing up and playing an hour and busting and leaving, either on day one or day two. But this time, it was not like that. Though the three limit events I played, those took a while because those are very slow at the beginning. So is that it for me? No. No. I am not done. I'm not going to be a madman playing a ton of events, but I've got... I've got some events left on the schedule. But not in this batch. This batch is done for now. I will leave, I will come back, and I will continue my quest first to cash, and hopefully a lot more than that. In the upcoming events, at least I know I won't have COVID. It is kind of demoralizing to not even get close, to not even feel like you've got a shot at it. Only in one of the four events did I accumulate more than 120% of starting stack. And that was in, in Limit Hold'em where I got close to but not uh, up to two times starting stack. So none of the events I made two times starting stack. So that was not good. I never really had much hope in any of them except the limit hold'em at the very beginning. Oh, shit. I, see, I, I sat here ranting too long. I forgot to make the phone call. I'm going to apologize to Cynthia. I just set an alarm for this type of thing. Okay, so uh, let me get to what happened with uh, the situation with the nipple gate, as they call it. There is a poker player named Frank the Tank Stepuchin, and he is 62 years old, to my knowledge. And he's kind of a jokester. He's kind of a guy who likes to show up, have fun, screw around. He doesn't have a bad reputation. He's just kind of known as an older guy who likes just to play jokes and have fun at the World Series. I didn't really know him. I'd kind of lightly heard of him before, but if you asked me before this controversy to tell you anything about Frank the Tank Stepuchin, I really couldn't. I learned about him more after this particular controversy. So, about a week ago, he was at the World Series of Poker, and he decided he's going to have a joke video made of a nipple massage. The World Series of Poker has massage girls that roam around there that you can hire to give you at-the-table massages. They're pretty expensive. They're uh, $2 a minute, and I think the girls get half of that. I'm not totally sure about that, but the reason it's expensive is because the company that 
hires these girls as subcontractors, which is called Professional Massage Inc., and they've been around for a long time. Uh, They are organizing the whole thing. They're the only massage provider to the World Series. They're contracted with the World Series to do this. They must pay the World Series to be there. And they obviously need to keep their portion. So that's why these are expensive. Anyway, the degen poker pros enjoy getting them. But Frank was not interested in a real massage here. Frank wanted to take a joke video of a joke massage. He wanted a fake nipple massage. So what he did is first ordered two beers for this, t- for this picture. Then he found a massage girl, and sh- she'll explain when we get her on here. But he found a massage girl whose name was uh, Cynthia Amstaldin, who was willing to do this, who was willing to be in on this joke. I don't know if he arranged it beforehand or, or what, but he, he found her in some way. And she was willing to do this for the video. To be clear, this was not any kind of sexual massage. This was not an actual nipple massage. This was a, a little gag for a very short video, that, and the whole thing would end after the camera went off. So then he unbuttoned his shirt, held each beer in one hand, so he's double-fisting beers. He has her get behind him, and squeeze his nipples and he has like a look of ecstasy on his face now the whole thing's staged the whole thing is staged for this video that's being taken by somebody else at the table and everybody else at the table's laughing everybody's having a good time they think this is hilarious and they take this little video which i don't have a copy of i have a copy of the still picture and you can find it on the internet you can find it on poker fraud alert in a thread called cynthia the nipple massager versus farrah galfond so you can find that there and you can see this now infamous picture. So you may think, okay, what's the big deal? This was harmless. This was a joke. It was a clear joke. Well, it was put up on Twitter by the person who took the video, by Frank. I I don't know who put it up, but someone put it up. And Farrah Galfond, who is Phil Galfond's wife and longtime girlfriend before that, She saw this and was disgusted by it. And I don't know if she knew this was a joke or not, but she really, really hated this video. She was disgusted by it. And this is what she tweeted. And keep in mind, she has a pretty big following. She has like 42,000 people following her because, number one, she's the outspoken and pretty visible wife of Phil Galfond. And second... She was an actress before. She was like on soap operas. Her her name before was Farah Fath, and now it's uh, Farah Galfon. Fath is spelled F-A-T-H. So you can Google her and find some stuff she's been in. So she was like a real actress who was in real shows, not like super famous, but she was she wasn't like some failed actress who was uh, getting bit parts. She had some real parts in real shows. So anyway, she has a decent following. And this is what she tweeted. The latest tweet from, quote, Frank the Tank is an utterly disgusting display. The masseuse should be fired and he should be banned. What's next? Hand jobs at the table? I can't imagine how uncomfortable the other players were. I would have screamed. At WSOP, at Jack Effel. Jack Effel is the tournament director. First of all, Jack Effel probably didn't receive this because, unbeknownst to her, he left Twitter about 
four and a half years ago. But at WSOP is a different story. So she was definitely trying to get attention is the point. She was trying to have something done. She wasn't just saying, I think this is disgusting. I think this is inappropriate. I hate this. And that's her right to say this was put out there publicly. And she has a right to say that she thought it was in bad taste. She can give her opinion. She's not restricted from stating her opinion on Twitter. The whole point of Twitter is to give your opinion. However, not only did she call for Cynthia, the massage therapist, to get fired and for Frank to be banned from the World Series, both of which are too harsh, in my opinion. But also, she actually put at WSOP, at Jack Ethel to try to get the attention of management of the World Series to actually make these things happen. It wasn't like, oh, this should happen, but not actually make any effort to do it. She actually was trying to get the attention to management there to actually get Cynthia fired and actually get Frank banned. Over what? I mean, yeah, she didn't like it. It's in bad taste, she said. All right, she has the right to that opinion. But it didn't hurt her. It didn't hurt anyone that had to do with her. And what I think she especially didn't understand is that she is the wife of a rich and famous poker pro. And she's trying to get a working class masseuse fired. And that's a very bad look. Now, you may ask, how could I say that when I have gotten people fired before who are working class? But huge difference. I have tremendous respect for working class people and the difficulty of their jobs and the fact that they don't always make the most money. And you have to understand that there's human beings on the other side there of these jobs. You can't just uh, try to get them fired every time something goes wrong. The only time I ever make any effort to get someone in trouble at work is if they are directly rude and confrontational with me. Even if they make a mistake, a big mistake, as long as they make an effort to correct it and make the situation right, then I don't report anybody to their boss. It's only when I get into uh, situations where people turn into a battle of egos and start getting rude and nasty with me or refuse to fix the problem. That's the only time I will complain. But that didn't happen here. Nothing happened to Farah or anyone that Farah knew or cared about. She just didn't like a video that she thought was in bad taste. Also, the WSOP is not church. You have to be 21 to be in that room. So kids can't even be in that room. You have to be 21 or older to be in that room. And it's a place where people get together to gamble and have fun. It's a sick enterprise that degenerates participate in, as a not-so-great man once said 14 years ago. But it really is. I mean, that's that really is a WSOP. This thing really did fit in pretty well with the atmosphere of the WSOP. It was harmless. It was a joke. And anyone who is that offended by that shouldn't be playing poker and shouldn't be at the WSOP. Now, I can understand if the massage company doesn't like this, if they have certain standards and they don't like this, and if on their own they fire her because... They do have strict rules against touching nipples or any kind of uh, part of a body that could be considered sexual. Because, as you probably know, the massage industry 
has a lot of sexual overtones to it. So professional massage, trying to live up to their name, wants to distance themselves from as much as possible, as much as possible from that. So they do not want to be seen in any way as a sexual massage. So they have very strict rules that you can't massage nipples, you can't massage genitalia. There's, there's certain things you can't do if you subcontract with them. And you agree to that when you go to work for them. And if you break those rules, then you're subject to be fired. So if they found out on their own and they fired her, then this wouldn't really be a story. But that's not what happened here. What happened here was that a well-known person, a visible person, Farrah Galfon complained and tried to get World Series management's attention and probably did. And then, yes, she got fired. She actually got fired. So we're going to call up Cynthia now, and uh, then I'll tell you the rest of the story of what happened from there. But a big controversy basically erupted here, and the poker world had mixed opinions on this. Some in the poker world felt that this was Cynthia and Frank's fault for doing this, and that Cynthia's firing is her doing and Frank's doing, and that just because Farrah complained about it on Twitter, that's not her problem. Others felt that Farrah either caused it, or even if she didn't cause it, attempted to cause it, and that this was very bad form, especially as the wife of a rich poker pro. She looked like a rich, out-of-touch woman who called for the job of a working-class woman over a victimless circumstance. Remember, it is a victimless circumstance. There's not a single victim in this whole thing. So let's, let's give her a call. She has agreed to come on the show, which I appreciate. And she can tell her own story. I know she was telling me a lot in uh, Twitter DM. So there's some things that aren't really all that known here. Really like if she could tell us. Cynthia, welcome to Poker Fraud Alert Radio. Hi, thank you. Thank you for coming on, and I apologize for the uh, late call. I, I, I had uh, a COVID diagnosis, and I was, uh, I was too busy ranting on here about both my COVID diagnosis and my uh, 0 for 4 World Series performance full of uh, bad beats and coolers. So I, I got so into talking about myself, I go, oh, shit, I forgot to call Cynthia at uh, midnight Eastern like I promised, and... Uh, I'm glad you didn't oh, fall asleep. So as that's as long as you're feeling okay. Are you feeling okay with the COVID? Yeah, yeah, I'm feeling okay. That's why I'm able to do this show here. So I, I, I think it's better. I, I don't feel the symptoms anymore, and it's been in a number of okay. days. So I, I think I'm past that, and I'm good. So anyway, uh, she is no longer in Las Vegas. Uh, she's back home uh, across the country as a result of what happened here. And uh, I wanted to get her on here and tell us in her own words what actually occurred. I've uh, already uh, given a, a summary of kind of the beginning of the story, Cynthia, from uh, you know what happened and, and when uh, Farah got involved and the controversy that ensued. Uh, now, something that you were telling me in DM, which I was unaware of previously that I'd like you to tell us about, um, is I had wondered about this at first. When when you got fired for this, I did wonder why 
would you have actually done this if you knew that this was against the rules? So can you tell the audience why you did this if this was against the rules of professional massage? Okay, first of all, I do not do it as a massage therapy, not, not as a service. And I think, you know, it's not against the rule for a doctor to play a medical joke as long as, you know, he's not at, the, you know, at part of his work and his services to a patient. Even though, you know, everybody can play a joke. When I did the joke, I was invited to participate. It was not a massage services, nor a service being provided at the WSOP was a prank separate from the services or the massage. And he invited me to participate, and he said, can you do this prank with me? And I said, okay, what do you want me to do? And he told me, I, I learned as we went along, and he asked, Jose, please bring me two beers. So he staged everything. He called the waiter to bring Jose to bring him two beers, and then he asked the guys on the table, is it okay for me to unbottle my shirt? I'm going to try to videotape that myself. And the other guy said, I can do it for you. It's not com- going to come out good if you videotape yourself. The guy next to him said, oh, my God, he's such a good sport for participating in the joke. And I'm like, okay. You know, and he goes, well, can you pretend you rob him? And if I pretend I was robbing his, his nipple. I literally pretend it was not massage service. It was not related to it. I did not get paid for that, and I did not get any tips for that. Oh, interesting. So... I did that, and he did a video, and I saw, I thought he was going to send it to his, you know, his friends. And he says, like, 1,500 people only on his Twitter. He doesn't have many followers. As I saw him putting up on his Twitter, I said, oh, my God, I'm in so much trouble with my company that I subcontract for. Not the massage, as, massa- as a massage therapist, because it's not services, nor massage therapy being provided to him. And if you can see, I was pretending I was even robbing him. And he goes, no, 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 go, go, go more, like, put him more. You know, it was a 19-second video, 19 seconds of a prank on a table where nobody really cared, and they even said it's such a good sport. So as I saw him put him like, I think you need to take this down. And then as we were changing rooms to go to another room, I bumped into my boss, and I told my boss, I made a video, and I need to talk to you because they're going to ask him to take it down. Please do not get me in trouble. Do not get mad at me. He said, okay, we're going to talk later, you know, like I told him, I'm going to get this down, so don't worry. So he knew about the video. As he was running and I was running, I couldn't sit down to talk to Frank and not good him. So as I went for another client, because I usually have a list of my clients. I don't walk much on the floor, just, you know, have a list. Um, Farah went to Frank's page, Twitter page. I guess they both had something that happened personally between them in the past so she went to his page got the video put a false misleading narrative to the video and she blasted all over poker news page she blasted on her twitter she has 40,000 followers so as she blasted with the false narrative people that don't know me people that don't know what happened took her word for granted and it spread the word as if it was a service. She never once said, oh my God, it's a bad joke. I take full responsibility for participating in the joke. I take full responsibility. People have different sense of humor and I know it can be offensive for some. It can be not offensive and I will take out the critics and I will take out the slashes. But as long as people know how to distinguish 
That was not massage service. It was a 19-second video. I asked Frankie to take it out. He took it out, but by the time he took it out, Farah had a splash it everywhere. few minutes after Farah splashed it everywhere, calling the directors for me to be fired with a false narrative indicating that it was services being provided. That can be offensive to people. Now, you know, let me let I me mean, let me ask you a question here uh, about the calling to directors. Did she actually make phone calls, to your knowledge, to the people in charge of the World Series, or was it just from that uh, tweet where she put at WSOP at Jack Effel? She tweeted and she tagged him and WSOP, and she also splashed it all over the Poker News page. So then, my boss, after that went out, my boss went in calm and said, "I need to talk to you." I was with a client. And I told him, I think my boss is really mad, and I know why I need to talk to him. So I left, and I went to talk to my boss. and said, Cynthia, you better pack your things and go. I need to let you go. And I said, but Rolando, you knew about the video. I told you earlier. So he goes, yes. But now the directors got involved to it. And then the manager told us, Cynthia, is a splash all over poker news. It's everywhere on poker news. Now we have to let you go. Because now the directors are involved in it. They were tagged into it. I so see. even though the directors are not on Twitter since whatever year, they still can't see. So that's how I was fired. Now they know, you know, now they're aware, and it's splashed everywhere, and they need to go. Yeah, well, but that actually makes sense. Because they knew before. That makes sense. It never really made sense to me, like, how they even found out. Because they're, they're not monitoring every page, uh, professional massage. They're not reading every poker player's page. And, and especially, like, Frank, who doesn't have a ton of followers. So no. someone obviously told them. And, yeah, it does make sense that as long as this didn't become a big story, that uh, they would have just let this go. And uh, once it became a big thing that everybody on poker Twitter was talking about uh, and, and, and the people who were in charge of the World Series were aware of this too and asking what's going on with this then they had to make a public display and say okay we have to let this person go to show that we don't tolerate this otherwise they could have uh uh kind of let this one go off with a warning and that's it and it makes sense to me because they they kind of felt like they're pressured if they don't fire you that it's going to look like they they're okay with this and so they have to kind of show how legit they are by firing you and uh so i i do believe see that's what people were saying oh i don't see that proof that Farah caused the firing. And I said, we don't see proof, but we see that she was trying to. So we, we see what she, she said that you should be fired and Frank should be banned. And she tried to tweet to at WSOP and at tournament director Jack Effel. And then it did blow up. And then you got but fired. She tweeted, so. she tweeted with a false narrative. And yeah. if you, you know, given the impression that it was services being provided. Right. That was so the I other problem, too. One of those services being provided. But she never once made it, you know, she's very entitled to her opinion. And she can be disgusted with the joke. Remember, it was a 19 seconds. WSOP is a 21 and over a casino where people play at gambling, where worse things happen in reality in there, you know, and everything. She never once mentioned, oh, my God, that's a horrible joke when... Frankie posted, he made it sure to say it, it was a joke and a prank, and people all knew it was a joke and a prank. So when she blow up, she gave us the insinuation that was services being provided, and she even said, what's next, a blow job? So everybody that left on me said, oh, my God, services you should never provide. You can lose your license because your therapist, those are services provided, and there's a difference between, I mean, I, I, as long as I live, 
we live in a free country. I think everyone is allowed to make a joke. I know offended people, and I did participate in a joke. I'm not blaming anyone. I'm taking full responsibility for participating in a joke. My action did not hurt anyone else. Someone else's action actually caused damage to someone. I own up to my. Why is other people not own up to their actions? If I hurt someone, I apologize. What? Behind the scenes, I went to my boss and said, can I apologize to the directors? Even if they fire me, I want to apologize. I want to see if there's anything I can do to make it up to them. I went to apologize and went out of my way, you know, to talk to them. Please let me apologize at least the minimum I can do. But I take ownership. But someone else's action actually really hurt. You don't put the false narrative. You can, yeah. you can say it's bad, it's horrible. But make sure you put the real fact. It's a joke. Yeah, look and, at this joke. And this that's joke should not happen. And that's the not thing. Massage to, to me, what looks most egregious here is that without having the whole story, she actually called for you to be fired and for Frank to be banned. So it wasn't just like, oh, the, look, look at this terrible thing uh, uh, that disgusts me so much. She actually then called for action to be taken without putting the time in to actually understand. And, I, you know, the second I saw this, before I even looked into the story, the second I saw it, I go, this is an obvious joke. There was, there was no actual nipple massage going on at the World Series. I knew this before I knew any part of the story, just from seeing that. I never even saw the video. I just saw that one picture going around. And as soon as I saw that picture, I go, this is an obvious joke. It was so obvious to me it was she a joke. Knew it was a, she knew it was a joke. She knew it was a joke, and everybody on his page, on his comments, knew it was a joke. But the fact that someone maliciously asked for someone to be fired, I am a mother. Do you know what? I am someone's sister. I am someone's mother. I am someone's daughter, just like you and me. The only thing is, everybody's going on with their lives. This is going to die. I have, you know, a whole family that I support, plus my elderly parents. And people do not understand where I come from, WSOPs, where I make 80% of my yearly income. Because I also have a medical condition, and I had a 16 surgeries and a cancer. So I go out, and because I had a cancer, I see life a little different than you guys. You know, I try to make things lighter, and I'm sorry if I offended someone. But I save that money that I have because when I go down, I constantly in the ER. So when I go down, that's something I never said public because I do not want anyone to feel pity for me. I do not want anyone to feel pity. But I want her to know the consequences of her action, the impact that had on another human life right after COVID when we're struggling. And now that money that I save is to last me longer. So when I'm, I'm down in a hostel, that money also helps me go on. And people do not understand the impact that it had. And you know what? I don't suffer alone. That is my kids, there is my bills, and there is my father. You know, my parents have suffered together. It's a whole family and no when someone asking for someone to be fired someone with influence someone where her husband is a big poker player whatever her husband say the directors will take his word you know someone when you have power you know responsibility comes with power you cannot just be responsible i was irresponsible i made a bad judgment for a joke but someone else made a bad you know i'm not blaming it's like two people to Two wrongs do not make eight right. Yeah, now she... But you know what? Since, since this happened... Take responsibility. Yeah, since this happened, she, after the fact, 
um, attempted to contact uh, professional massage. And this is after there was a lot of backlash. A lot of people uh, were criticizing her over this. Not everybody. There were some people on her side, but I would say mo- more than half the people responding were against her. And some of them were very angry at her and, and calling her a lot of names and just really coming after her for uh, – for for her role in this and in, in you getting fired and and the whole thing that she shouldn't have gotten involved in the first place it had nothing to do with her and and there was no victim here as you said so um after she took a lot of backlash here then she tweeted that she uh attempted to contact professional massage and talk them into giving you back your job and she said that they refused to do so and said that this was non-negotiable and they can't which at that point uh may have been true they may have made their decision and didn't uh want to reverse it because they e- even though they knew it was a joke and everybody knew it was a joke Can I they- say something one folk one phone call on would not do anything because she did not reach the owner if she truly in her heart if she want to make it right she's still entitled to her opinion she still can say what's a disgusting joke she still can say oh my god it looks bad looks disgusting and i'm fine with everyone's opinion but if she had a good in her heart to make it right she would have had to rectify and said oh my god just want to make it clear to all of you it was a joke a 19 second joke it was not services being provided at wsop that would have had to make a huge difference if she stated the real fact yeah it, it is true also that it, her husband phil uh because he is a very influential player he might have been able to get uh, the World Series to ask them at Professional Massage to reverse this. Now, it, it's up to Professional Massage, not the World Series, because that's two different companies. But it is true that the the more influential players can get decisions reversed. I've seen it happen before. Uh, also, from what I saw from her tweets, she wasn't uh, particularly apologetic even when she was saying that she was going to try to undo it. So this is what she wrote on June 7th. She wrote, the next time I'm at WSOP, I'll ask to talk to the massage company management and see if there's anything I can do to help persuade them to unfire the masseuse. I still stand by rightfully owned opinion. I I still stand by your rightfully owned opinion. She means my rightfully owned opinion. Uh, As the situation completely grossed me out, but... I've gotten wind that there were no repercussions for Frank, only the masseuse, which is very unfair. With all the recent discussions on how to make women more comfortable at the tables, this video to me was an abomination. It takes a lot to offend me, a lot. I've played in private home games where all kinds of kinky shit goes on, but it flies when it's in a private scenario. What they did was wildly inappropriate for the WSP stage. That said, I'm completely supportive of her having another chance. Not sure I truly will have any influence, as she definitely conducted herself in an unprofessional manner and had it posted for the world to see, but I'll give it my best shot. So what I didn't like she about still this... did not rectify and say it was a prank. She still is right. if it was a service. So that, right. So this, this was my problem with that apology, is it's still like... It, it's not clarifying this was a joke, which is really the biggest part of this whole thing that there was the confusion in the first place and second she's claiming that uh the reason she's turning around on this is because uh only frank you know frank got off scot-free with nothing happening and that uh and you got fired and that's unfair because the woman got fired and the, and the man didn't get in trouble which is a stupid reason to say she's going to do something about this because uh, it's two different things. Frank is a player there, and you were someone who was working for professional massage. So they're two different standards. So, of course, nothing happens to Frank because he's not working for anybody. He's just a, a player there. There's a much lower standard he's held to. So 
this isn't about sexism. This is just about one being an employee and one isn't. And uh, if that's the reason she's doing it, the the reason should be, oh, I didn't realize this was a joke when I first uh, was outraged about this, even though I still think it's distasteful and I, I don't like this being at the World Series, uh, now that I know it's a joke and that someone got fired over a joke, uh, I, I apologize for jumping the gun on this before I understood it fully, and now I'm going to try to undo the damage. That's what she should have said. But here she's kind of still justifying. She's, she's still justifying when you say here. The fact, when you say the fact or when you put a false misleading narrative, and then it can affect people. And then say, are you blaming Sarah for your firing? I'm not blaming her. But she was a huge contributor, considering I had I spoke with my boss earlier, and I was okay until she splashed it and gave them no choice. I took responsibility so much that I spoke with my boss. I went to apologize. I asked Frank. He put his the video down. You know, I went after to fix it. You know, people say so. I was taking responsibility for my action, for doing everything that I could. But she went over and left no chance for the people above me but let me go yeah and you would think the subsequent tweets would be saying more along the lines of oh i made a mistake here i jumped the gun i i shouldn't have called for her to be fired this is a uh, it was a joke like that that should have been the tone but it just was kind of staying like oh well because nothing happened to frank i really don't want her to have been fired so we'll see what i can do but i still think it's disgusting that's what she was basically saying listen Everybody's entitled for their opinion, and I will take I will take everyone's opinion. You want to say it's disgusting, it's gross, it's ridiculous, it's pathetic, whatever you want to say. I take it. You know, I can take it. All the criticism, everything. If everyone wants to say anything, everyone's entitled for their opinion. But as long as you stick to the fact, because a service being provided is a completely different thing. When we stage, he staged the joke from the beers to ask permission to open his shirt to everything. It was a completely stage. I didn't pretend that I was Robin and people in there saw it. They even said it's such a good sport in participating of the joke. It's really funny. And 19 seconds, we're talking about 19 seconds that nobody else really saw it unless the people on the table and the people on his Twitter. Now, I understand their rumors. I'm not sure if it's true or not. There were some a little bad things between the two of them, personally or uh, you know, on the game, prior to that. So that's why she's been nosing on his page and decided to use that and splash it in a different manner, as if he was receiving services, you know, because if he's receiving services that include in prostitution, he can't be banned. Remember that. So when you put a narrative that is not, stating the real fact and all your fans and people they would get mad i would get mad if i saw a service like that i would say oh my god this, you should not give services like that but if i know it's a 19 second prank you know that i realized i made a mistake and i went to fix it it's different it's completely different than a services or being providing if, if there was a massage going on it was nothing like that Nothing. And I know when people get offended, they do call the floor. You know, they do make a complaint. And that was not the case. Yeah, I, and you know, I, I see the picture. You know, it's it's not a big deal. It's, it was funny. I, I wasn't even the slightest bit offended by this. I don't know anybody personally who was. 
the, the average player of the World Series will look, even if they look over and see this, look, this kind of, they go, oh, what's going on there? And then when they hear it's a joke being staged, they, you know, they laugh at it. This is what most people will do when they look at this. They, they laugh at it, and it's over. And even if this isn't your humor and you don't enjoy it and you think, okay, they shouldn't have done that here, uh, it, it's not a big deal. I, I just That's what I'm not understanding from her standpoint is this is just so not a big deal. This is so not worth trying to it's get someone's attention. Deal. To get someone fired, it's just a it's it's such a victimless situation, and it's not outrageous, it's not crazy. It was just a joke, and it wasn't even that offensive of a joke. But it's it, not it's it, not like it was it racist or joke. anything like that. It was just it was just a, a simple joke about uh, a guy pretending to get his nipples massaged for 19 seconds, as you said. So yeah, I, I'm I've been on your side about this one. I've I've tweeted about it and uh, and I posted about it on my site and and I I wanted it made to international news and made international news. Wow. There are sites over in other countries. I can you know I can send it to you in other countries posting about that. Wow. And the funny thing is the people that don't know, the people that got most of the people that got offended and then they inboxed me were people that thought it was a massage services. Once they understood it was a nineteen you know, second prank, they go, Oh my god, why didn't they say that? That's that that's funny. You know, it's grossy but it's funny. That's yeah. the reaction I got, even from some people that were mad because they thought it was services going on out there. Well, you know, you know, I holy shit, they come back to me and say, "Oh my god, that's nothing. That's funny." I saw some claims from people that, "Oh, this makes women feel uncomfortable at the table to see this." I don't believe this. I, I don't believe that. Uh, this is going to deter women from playing poker or make them feel uncomfortable, especially because you know there was a woman involved here, and this was uh, it's clear you weren't coerced in any way. This was something that uh, no matter what it was that that you were voluntarily doing, and, and Frank was doing, and it was you know pe- people took a video of it and, th- and thought it was uh, amusing. So this isn't going to drive away women from playing poker. That's just ridiculous. I don't believe that either. And even if it was real, which it wasn't, I know it was a stage thing and it was it was like acting, basically. But I, I don't even believe that whole line of complaint. It would, it would not drive a woman away because, you know what, um, woman has seen wars in the WSOP, real things. Not even, I'm not talking about pranks, you know. WSOP, people are drinking, people are gambling, they're having a good time. They go there to laugh. And when players sit there for 12 hours playing tournaments, when they can see something that makes them laugh and a little lighter of it, they, you know, they smile. They say, finally, you know, we're playing for 12 hours, you know, it's, it's, it's tense in here. So they see something, oh my God, it's so funny. You know, it's just, it was meant to the intent of, you know, light up a little bit, you know, the, the poker world or the festivities of WSOP was not with intent to hurt anyone. I apologize. People got offended by it, yeah. but it did not hurt anyone. It did not cause harm to anyone you know but myself in a way now now frank started a uh, gofundme page for you and uh because you've lost your job from this and as you said this 80 percent of your income per year tended to be from the world series and you you also had to uh endure the covid situation where there, where there was no world series in uh, 2020 and uh, so this was started by frank himself uh this is on GoFundMe. If you guys want to find it, it's uh, GoFundMe.com slash F, like Frank, I guess, slash F, slash Compassion dash four dash Cynthia. That's C-I-N-T-I-A. And you can also find it on the Poker Fraud Alert thread about this in the Flying Stupidity Forum. You could find uh, 
the, the, that thread, the link to this GoFundMe, or you can probably Google it. If you want to just Google Cynthia GoFundMe Frank, I'm sure you'll find it. But anyway, uh, this is up there. It says this. On June 5th, Cynthia was terminated from her position immediately after a viral joke went wrong on Twitter. This unexpected financial hardship is going to hurt the divorced single mother of two children. If you would like to help her out in her time of need, a contribution of any amount would help tremendously. And then uh, Cynthia herself uh, made a statement afterwards, uh, which I uh, you, you guys can read. I won't bother to read it because it says a lot of what she's been saying here on the show. But you can go read her statement uh, after there, that basically saying this was a prank and that uh, um, she was just trying to keep up with the festive atmosphere of the World Series, which I believe, by the way. I, 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 if you guys wonder, do I believe her story that this was just something she was doing to have fun there and uh, do something Frank asked and she thought would be amusing? Yeah, that's, that's what I believe happened. So anyway... And I, and I, I do believe it's only 19 seconds, and this was not a real nipple massage. It was basically just acting. So anyway, um, if if you guys want to donate to this, and uh, she really isn't working here at the World Series anymore, she's she's in another state now. That's why I was I felt bad about not calling it uh, 9 p.m. because it's three hours later there. Oh. So she's she's gone. She left Las Vegas, and the World Series has another month plus to, go to it where she'd otherwise be working. And you know, if I was the one in charge of professional massage and i thought about this if, the, if i were the boss there the big boss the owner whatever and this was brought to me uh for sure if this didn't blow up i i definitely would have just given a warning and said oh no you can't do this even for a joke don't do this again and but then if this blew up i still i would have had to think about it but after thinking about it i actually would not have fired her here if I were the boss. I understand why they did because the whole thing became such a big controversy and they, they wanted to demonstrate that they, they don't have tolerance for this, blah, blah, blah. But uh, they, they could have also put out a statement saying that uh, this was a joke that they, that Cynthia didn't uh, realize that some people would be offended by this, that uh, she was just trying to add to the festive atmosphere there, that uh, she understands that, this is something that's not allowed and this will never happen again. And this was just uh, something that wasn't intended to offend anybody that unfortunately did. It was quickly taken down and that they're giving you another chance. And I think the vast majority of people in poker would support that. I don't think you'd have many people going, no, 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 no. She has to stay fired because nobody was hurt by this. If, if she had been no, rude. I have many players that did email my company and uh, I do work with a lot of high rollers and I do work with some celebrities. There are poker players. And um, most of my, my poker players, I've been doing for five years, the World Series. They love me. They, even before this, they always compliment, you know, um, my boss. Oh, my gosh, she's a, such an amazing therapist. She helped me with my pain, my scoliosis, my, my sciatic. She's an amazing therapist. She's one of the best. I mean, I've been to where I even fixed one of the directors of that is no longer working at the WSOP in the past when he, he had his back locked down and he couldn't move. You know, I've been, people know my reputation in there, the ones that know me personally. But my boss, like as he told me, Cynthia, is being brought up to the directors, but I was brought up to the directors in the wrong way. So I need to let you go. Yeah. And my boss, no, I bring him a lot of money, and that's serious too. Yeah, no, I, oh. I, I, no, I, like, I see why he did it. I, but I, if I were in his shoes, while well, I understand what he did, and it's not outrageous that, that he did, given how big it blew up. I, if I were in his shoes, I actually wouldn't have. And I think poker players on the whole 
would have been fine with that. They would have been okay because it's different if you were found like you know meeting these guys in the room later and and the paying you for sex or something if that was caught and then uh they didn't fire you i can understand people being angry but th- it's very clear this type of thing wasn't happening it's very clear that you only give non-sexual massages that you're everything is just very by the book and uh very straightforward and, and nothing along was, those lines that's why what would be very important if she would have had it rectified and put the actual fact that that was a joke. Because once she put that, the way, same way that she blew up in the wrong way, she could have had a blow up in the actual factual way. Yeah. It was a joke, and she can't, could go and tag everybody again. It was a joke. I'm sorry, I made a mistake, and I thought it was a mis whatever, even though she knew it, you know, it was a joke. But she could have rectified to the fact that it was a joke, and that would probably made it easier for my company to work out something. Yeah, and that's why I think, I really think that if they hadn't fired you and gave you another chance, I think there would have been very few people who would have been angry because nobody got hurt, so there's really nothing to complain about, and that, that that's what I think should have been done once it was clear what was going on, and so that, that would have been my approach after thinking about it if I were the company uh, head, but I, you know, I don't fully blame him because it did become no, a big... keep up an image. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a company that's been around a long time. They've worked very hard to maintain a clean image in an industry where there's a lot of parts that aren't very clean. So I understand that. I understand if, they, if that's what they want to commit to and they just have zero tolerance. And, okay, I can respect that. It's their business. They can make those decisions. But uh, I, I would have done it a little differently. But uh, the bigger problem to me, and the reason this is a big story, was because of uh, Farrah getting involved when she shouldn't have and also, as you said, pushing a, a, a narrative that wasn't correct and, and never really clarifying that she reacted to something that wasn't what it appeared to be. So yeah, I, I totally get all these points. And that's why I wanted to have you on here so people could become not just aware of the story, who aren't aware of it, but those that do know it can hear from you specifically and and can understand the whole thing. And everybody knows, you know, there's a... I, I never cry for bad workers who get fired, people who who uh, are rude or who uh, make mistakes and won't fix them and get arrogant about it, whatever it might be, just someone who's just a, a bad worker that's uh, causing grief for the customers. And when that type of worker gets fired, then that's fine. And I don't care if, if they have bills to pay or they've got kids and that's their own fault. You have to, uh, you have a certain responsibility at work to do the job and to treat customers with respect. But when someone is doing a good job at work and when someone is not causing any problems for anybody and is not victimizing anyone and is not rude to anybody and and they're getting fired then then you can really feel for the person and when they they have to instead of staying out here for the next several weeks and and making most of their money that they make for the year they've got to go back home to their uh, home state and uh try to scratch by so it's you know it's kind of a sad story to me and uh, and i'm one who doesn't cry for bad employees getting fired but you this wasn't the case here and uh you know I, that, I, can i just make one thing clear because people backslash and say oh you need to own up and take responsibility i take it full responsibility you know and people say stop blaming farah and i mean i cannot just i'm not blaming her i'm just saying two wrongs does not make it right i own up to my mistake but my mistake did not hurt anyone Someone else made a mistake of something that's not, you know, someone with power that should have had more responsibility on her words, you know, made a mistake and should have had to own up to it too. 
So two, I'm not blaming. I'm taking full responsibility for participating in the video. But two wrongs do not make a right. And like someone wrote it to my company, if someone is that good that, you know, that world champion, three times boxing world champion, Hank, only out of 400 therapists, he only allowed me to touch him. And he's a three times world champion when he was doing Netflix prior to COVID. Do you know, someone is that good that he allows you to touch his body because their bodies are worth a million dollars. Do you know, it should, it, it, it says something about me as a therapist. Yeah. Okay. So now I've got a question for you. I know you're uh, back in your home state. I haven't said where you are. I don't know if you want to say it or not, but uh, um, it has to do with my next question. Are you um, providing massagers for people local to you at, at home? And do you want to give out approximately where you are and, and have give out your Twitter for anyone to contact you to get uh, uh, massage therapy out where you live? I do provide massage therapies in Florida. I go in home. Um, I usually have a, a Twitter that I don't use much. It's like at Body Talk by Cynthia. But the thing is, right now in Florida, it's a dead season for us. It's extremely yes, low it, it is. It is dead now. You're so right. In Florida, it's not like Vegas. You know, it's full right now. Right now, that's why we, the Florida people, we go to Vegas because for us, it's a very low season for us to do our private clients because we, most of them are snowbirds, the people that come here, you know, on the fall or winter. So some is, even spas in Florida, spas all over Florida, everywhere you go, they have promotions because of the low that season for us at this time of the year. Yeah. That is the hardest part to get jobs right now here. Even my private clients, they're traveling, they have their children, they're doing things with children, it's cool vacation. So it's very harsh yeah. in florida for to work right that, now. that's a good point but yeah anybody who who's interested in in hiring her if you have if you live in florida maybe or because we do have florida listeners for sure and uh we have a number of them and if, if what area of florida are you in i am in the broward county florida, in broward west county palm beach so so by west palm beach if you're interested in uh hiring cynthia she's been around for uh a long time and uh you know she had a very good reputation as a masseuse uh the whole time, and uh, it's unfortunate this has occurred, obviously, but uh, she's Body Talk by Cynthia, which is C-I-N-T-I-A on Twitter, Body Talk by Cynthia, and uh, and you can arrange uh, a massage if that if you like getting massages, and, uh, uh, you know, if, if that's something you like and you live in the area, Broward County, uh, and you wanted to do a good deed at the same time for someone who is uh, kind of unfairly out of a job here, then that's something i encourage you guys to do and uh you know i i thank you cynthia for coming on here i wanted people to understand if you guys want to donate to the gofundme again you can find it in the thread on poker fraud alert or you can go to uh, gofundme.com slash f slash compassion dash four dash cynthia c-i-n-t-i-a or you can probably yeah. find it on google so uh these are all things you can do if if uh you've heard this story and you feel bad for the consequences she's suffering can i say one last thing that maybe they don't know the chain events i do four other wsrp secret tournaments okay i do four others during the year that helps me bring the bread home and the four others that i do for the year is the same director tagged on her post oh. so that will affect me in a great way yeah well Look, I, I hope you come back from this. Uh, hopefully, I mean, I'm, it would be great if, if maybe after some time pass, if maybe next year they could rehire you after this whole thing dies down. That's, I guess, a possibility, too. 
I, I hope it happens. I, I hope you get back on your feet in, in some way, whether it's that or some other way here. And this story is really too bad. And, you know, people just have to always watch. You always have to watch what you say on social media when you're calling for some kind of consequence for someone. Before you do that, you've got to think, do I really want that consequence to happen? And does this person deserve it? And if they don't, then don't do it. It's one thing to state your opinion. It's another thing to actually call for someone to get fired or someone to get banned or whatever. You know, you, you got to watch out before you say things like that, especially when there has been no victim. If it's if it's a scammer or someone else who's uh, deserving of a consequence, by all means, call for it. But uh, when no one's actually been hurt, you sometimes have to watch what you say, especially if you have a lot of followers and people take your words to heart. So thank you for coming on, Cynthia, and I, I hope things uh, work out for you. Thank you so much for letting me say my side of the story. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Okay, good night. Good night. Yeah, I feel bad for her. I really do. And I know some of you are probably thinking, you know, at the end of the day, she decided to do this and took the risk, and she did. And that's why if the whole story was just she did this and the owner of professional massage happened to see it and it's like, nope, we don't allow this here, even if it's a joke and you're gone, like it would kind of suck, but I, I don't think I'd even cover the story because that wouldn't be very interesting. I mean, people people get fired all the time for missteps at work where they break the rules. But this shouldn't have gone down the way it did, and I, I kind of believe that this was not going to result in a firing if this hadn't become a big story. It's it's one thing for a company to find that something was done that they preferred wouldn't have been done, but isn't getting much attention so they can just move past it. But yeah, when it becomes a big story everywhere on Twitter and everyone's talking about it and sharing that picture, because Farah... Galfon made a big deal about it being so offensive. Well, there you go. And it wasn't just became a big deal because she had a lot of followers. She actually called for her to be fired. That was, that's the point, is that this was the intention. This is what Farah wanted to see happen, and it did. She stated that. She said that in her own words. There's a little more to this story here that I want to read you guys. I didn't want to keep her on the phone for this whole thing where I'm just reading tweets. But I'll tell you some other things. Uh, Frank made a statement at the time. This is on June 6th. Remember, this happened on June 5th. So on June 6th, Frank said, I would like to apologize first to Cynthia for asking you to massage my nipples as a complete joke. That does nothing to me and was not intended to be anything sexual. I'm always horsing around and having a good time with all my table mates. That's true, by the way. I don't know if getting his nipples touched does anything for him sexually, and I don't really want to think about that, but the rest of it's true. I realize sometimes I go too far and I don't think I might, and don't think that I may be offending others. My sincere apology to anyone that was offended by my antics. Secondly, I want to apologize to Professional Massage Inc. if I caused them any harm in regards to the reputation of being a first-class respected company. Thirdly, I'd like to apologize to the World Series if I caused them any harm or brought bad light onto their organization. I will do my best not to get carried away having fun while not thinking of others around me. I never intended or wanted to make any players around me uncomfortable. Lastly, please do not fire Cynthia for this incident. I accept all the blame, and if any action needs to be taken, please place it on me. Sincerely, Frank. This is before she got fired, and then very shortly after that she did. So then... Frank tweeted this several hours later, hoping to get some help from Farah's husband, Phil. Good evening, Phil. Hope you are having a relaxing evening at home with your, quote, boss, referring to Farah. <laughs> That's not really a good way to ask for help, by the way, is to 
mock him that his wife is the boss. Apparently, she's got evil in her to want to fuck Cynthia's life up. A single mom of two, how was, quote, the boss affected by any of this? She was not present. Good luck keeping her happy, Phil. If possible, can you get Farrah to make another call and take back improper stuff that she made up about Cynthia so she can get her job back? Why did Farrah take her post down? She was probably getting ripped by people. Now, that's true. Farrah did take that post down. The one I read you earlier, calling for Cynthia to get fired, that's gone. You're not going to find it on Twitter. I found a screenshot of it. I didn't take the screenshot, but I found a screenshot, and it is an authentic screenshot. But she actually took it down. And Cynthia made a long statement that I won't bother to read because it's essentially similar to what was said on the show, except not as extensive. Frank also said on June 7th, the next day, there's two days now after the incident, everybody absolutely deserves their own opinion and can voice it freely. Anyone that really knows me, I feel, will say that I'm a stand-up guy and show respect and compassion towards women and men at the tables and in life. This was a joke gone wrong, and I never meant to harm or demean anyone. My opinion is that I believe the punishment was far too severe for what happened. I always have a blast playing and truly know sometimes I take things too far, for some of my table mates, one thing I will do my best to change is no more guttural screams in the poker room. What? <laughs> I've been told it upsets people and that isn't my intention. Once again, me getting carried away. On occasion, somebody has asked me to stop doing something. I think I've complied with a request. I'm such a big supporter of more ladies in poker. I know there are plenty of ladies out there that would say I made them feel very comfortable and welcome when they joined me on a table. I'm far from perfect. Yesterday, I talked with Cynthia for a couple of hours uh, and insisted she take some money to help make up for her loss. And by the way, she did verify to me privately that Frank gave her some money over this. So that was nice of him. I'm, I won't reveal how much, but uh, he, he did give her some. It wasn't huge money, but uh, he did give her something. She would absolutely rather have her job and earn her keep. I implore her company to give her a second chance she will not let you down ever again. We need more compassion in the world. I'm going to start a GoFundMe account in Cynthia's name for anyone who feels strongly about what has transpired. I wish everyone a happy, healthy day in life. Carpe diem. Now, I do want to point out that this page, this GoFundMe page, is run by Frank. I don't know him, so I can't vouch for him and say he's a wonderful guy because I don't know the guy personally. However, from what I've heard about him he seems like he's pretty straightforward and honest, so I would be surprised if he stole any of the money. I think you can probably feel pretty safe if you donate to that GoFundMe that it will get to her. Because remember, he's already given her money. I've, got, I've gotten that verified. So that alone would show that he's not looking to scam here. He doesn't have that history at all. And he's an older guy. This isn't some young punk or anything that you have to worry about running off of the money. So I believe that anything you donate to this GoFundMe would get to her and that he's just administering it. I'm not going to guarantee that, but that's my pretty strong opinion here, just from observing. So then Farah made a statement on June 7th. She did one of these things where she typed up a statement on Notepad or something and uh, then screenshotted it and tweeted it. She wrote, Frank tweeted a video of someone commi committing a fireable offense at his request and tagged at WSOP. I tweeted my honest opinion that many others shared, a single tweet. She asked me to delete it, and I did. Okay, so now she's claiming that Cynthia asked her to delete it, which is possible. 
I did not reach out and privately contact anyone about it. I think I believe that. I was not on a mission to get someone fired. Okay, that's false. I was with you up till there, Farah. <laughs> like, okay, you deleted the tweet because Cynthia asked you to. Okay, we forgot to ask her about that, but fine. Uh, you know, I, I think you're probably telling the truth. Um, you didn't reach out to anyone privately. Okay, I think I believe that too. I can't prove or disprove that, but I think I believe your story. But I was not on a mission to get someone fired. Yes, you were. It says right there. <laughs> it says right there that she should be fired, and you tagged at WSOP and at Jack Effel to see it. So if that wasn't your mission, then why would you do that? That's exactly what you were trying to do. Just a spontaneous tweet after being physically repulsed by a video. I believe that part, kind of, that it may have been spontaneous, but you were trying to get her fired. From that one tweet, I'm getting harassed left and right by Frank's friends. I'm sure Frank had no ill intent, but a lot of people were made uncomfortable by his joke. I'm sure he feels terrible that Cynthia lost her job because of this. I'm sure it feels good for him and his friends to blame and endlessly harass me so he doesn't have to take responsibility and feel quite as shitty about it. See, she's starting to play victim here, and that, that's not a good look. That's not a good look. She definitely had an impact here. I can't say 100% she had an impact, but I, I think it's likely she had an impact. I'm still working on contacting the company to see if they would consider giving Tinsia her job back, like I said I would. I don't know what more you want from me. If you want to keep blaming and harassing me to feel better, go for it. I'll keep exercising my block finger. And she was blocking a lot of people, by the way. I wasn't blocked, but I didn't say that much about it. So she did claim that at WSOP was tagged in the video, and I don't know about that either. And I never got to see the video posted or the tweet of it. However, it may have been hashtag WSOP instead of at WSOP, which is a little bit different because there's a million people hashtagging WSOP. In fact, we save them all on PokerFraudler.com, you can see in our World Series forum. I don't know, but she definitely called for her to be fired and Frank banned and then tried to get the World Series attention. I mean, that says it right there. And it really seems like her attempt to get Cynthia the job back was because of the pressure, because of the bashing that was against her. She, she was clearly rattled by the bashing against her because she's not used to this. Farrah Galfond was very well-liked prior to this. I remember a few years ago, some troll was bashing her, and she, like, showed it. She put up a copy of the troll harassing her, and he wasn't doing anything awful. Like, he wasn't harassing her in real life. He was just being rude. or I forgot what he even said. It was like a nobody also. It wasn't even like some well-known player. And everybody just, you know, jumped on her side and told her how wonderful she was and I've really seen nothing but positive things being said to and about her. That doesn't mean everybody loves her. It turns out from this whole thing that I saw that there were some people who didn't like her prior to this, but for the most part, she had a good reputation and was well-respected. So she wasn't used to a large Twitter mob coming after her and bashing her. Now, there were people on her side. It was a mixed response. There were some people backing her here and saying that this wasn't her fault at all and that Cynthia only has herself to blame. So there were people who had that opinion. Others were blaming Frank largely for it. But still, there were a lot of people angrily coming after Farrah there. And not just Frank's friends. She's all oh, Frank's friends are harassing me. Well, it's true some of Frank's, Frank's friends were coming at her pretty hard on Twitter. And 
Yeah, I mean, <laughs> that did happen, but it wasn't just Frank's friends. There were a lot of just randoms who didn't like this, and it's a bad look. You have to be very careful when you are someone who is both high-profile and wealthy that you do not call for working-class people to be fired for a victimless circumstance. If Farah or somebody close to Farah had a bad experience with Cynthia, where they got ripped off in some way, or Cynthia was very rude to them, and then she called for the firing, I'd say, okay, fine, provided the story's true. Okay, you have every right to ask for that. Just because you're rich and high profile doesn't mean that you should be mistreated by people in working class positions. And if you want to report any kind of mistreatment, that's every right of yours to do. But not victimless situations which don't involve you. Farrah wasn't even at the table. So why was she so offended? She wasn't in the room. She wasn't at the table. And who are all these people who got offended? I know Farrah got offended, but I didn't see a large number of people showing up going, oh my God, I'm so offended. The people who were on Farrah's side were stating that this wasn't Farrah's fault and this was Cynthia's fault and this is Frank's fault. That was their point. Not that this was so offensive. Yeah, a few people said that they understood why this resulted in a firing and it was breaking the rules, but I saw, I don't know if I saw any tweets that uh, said this was actually just outright offensive. I I guess I saw a few from the kind of feminist standpoint, which actually brings me to another thing I want to quickly point out. You wouldn't think this would be a political matter. Like, this really has nothing to do with politics or even anything that's currently in the news where the left and the right take opposite sides. But somehow, just like everything these days, it became political which is stupid, but it did. So interestingly enough, and I wouldn't say it became like majorly political, like politics didn't dominate this debate and conversation, but I saw overtones there. And I also saw a pretty clear pattern that most of the people who were on Farah's side were people who were on the political left. And most of the people who were on Cynthia's side were on the political right. Now there were exceptions, but it was interesting how that's, what I noticed was the breakdown to some degree. And the reason this was, I believe, is because the ones who were supporting Farah were doing it from the standpoint of feminism. Like, this is making women uncomfortable. This is making women look too sexualized. That uh, this is another example of the patriarchy at work, reducing women to this, and Cynthia went along with it, and uh, this offends women to see things like this in this day and age. It it got morphed into that narrative, which I think is dumb, as I was saying before. Number one, it's clearly a joke to anyone with a functioning brain. And number two, I thought that These people, these feminists, I thought they were so sex positive that they support sex work. They support women's rights to to do things like this, even if it was a real nipple massage. I thought people on that side of the aisle want this sort of thing to be okay. that if women want to choose to do it, let them do it and don't shame them for it. So so what is this here? (laughs) You're now saying that uh, a joke of this isn't even permissible. I don't get it. This is this shouldn't be political at all is the truth. This should be just very straightforward. It's just something you don't get involved in. 
if you're just an outsider. Even if you don't like it, you don't get involved. You don't get someone fired over this. And with all my complaints lifetime about employees, I've never once and never will made a complaint about a victimless matter. Never. When I say victimless, I mean where nobody was personally insulted, confronted, or damaged in any way. I've never once made a complaint like that. Let's say I went to McDonald's and then while I was waiting for my food to be made, I I saw two employees on break uh, smoking pot behind the McDonald's. And let's say I'm aware of the fact that this is against company policy to smoke pot while at work. You think I'd go get the manager and say, hey, look at those two people smoking pot behind the McDonald's. You should fire them. I wouldn't say that. It's not my business. It's not harming anybody. So I wouldn't say anything. It's victimless. Now, if the manager caught them and fired them, I wouldn't say, oh, my God, what a travesty of justice. It was their decision to do this and take the chance. And then they got caught and they got fired. Fine. But I would never report that because why? Why would I report it? This isn't my business. This isn't my thing to report. Now, if I saw the pilot of an airliner smoking pot or drinking before he was about to uh, get on the flight and pilot it, yeah, I might say something even if I was not going to be a passenger on that plane for obvious reasons. And same with the bus driver or anyone else who needs to not be doing that before they do work, which could harm someone if they're not in a completely clear state of mind. That's a different story. But something like just an average job, but which doesn't have that element to it, I wouldn't say anything. And I know this had no drug element to it, but I'm just picking that as an example. It's just not good practice to ever call for someone to get fired over a situation which had nothing to do with you and didn't have any victims. It's especially bad if you're high profile and if you're well-to-do then you really have to think before you type. And all she had to do was apologize and say, okay, I still think he was in bad taste. I still don't like things like this. However, I didn't realize it was a joke. I should have looked into it more before calling for someone to get banned and someone else to get fired. And I apologize for that and I'll see what I can do. And then she could have asked Phil to put in a good word and maybe this could have been reversed. I kind of think like the call was half-hearted. Like, I think she made it, and I think she probably said, look, this has caused a huge controversy. Can you just please reverse this? I'm getting harassed over this. You know, can you just please undo this here? And then the company said, nope, we've made our decision. We're standing by it. Like, I, I, I don't think that she made Cynthia's case well. And I don't know for sure because I didn't hear the call, but just from the way she's doing her own write-up on Twitter – It doesn't sound like her heart was behind really getting Cynthia her job back. Some people were accusing Farah of being a, quote, Karen and an out-of-touch rich housewife. And yeah, that's kind of how she came off there. Anyway, that's the story. Hopefully this has some kind of happy ending. Not the sexual kind of happy ending. Don't think that way. It's not that kind of massage. I'm talking about a traditional happy ending. All right, we have another weird story. If you think that was a weird story, I have an even weirder one coming up. Let's follow a weird story with another weird story. This has to do with Daniel Negreanu. 
And I have always wondered about Negranu, since he is not only a very, very famous poker pro, one of the most famous in the world, but also someone who is pretty outspoken and accessible. Like Phil Ivey is very, very famous and well-known and one of the best known poker pros in the world. But Phil Ivey is not accessible and not really out there. How often does Phil Ivey tweet? How often does Phil Ivey interact with fans? How often does Phil Ivey express political or social opinions? Never. He's very, very quiet and reserved. So he's much less likely to attract weirdos and stalkers because he just doesn't really put himself out there. But Negranu does. Negranu is very much in the thick of things in poker social media. He very actively tweets. He very openly states his opinions, even controversial ones. And he also interacts very much at the World Series with fans. In a good way there. Like with the fans, he he's always done a great job, always makes them feel welcome, always obliges pictures and autographs and will put on a little show at the table when there's people watching. Like he's very, very good for poker in that way and he always has been but on his twitter he does state a lot of strong opinions that piss some people off and i'd always wondered given his big audience and his high involvement in social media does he get stalkers and weirdos harassing him because i've run into stalkers and weirdos just from this show and from this forum and I have only a small fraction of the reach that Negranu has. If you think about how well-known I am in poker compared to Negranu, it, it, there's no comparison. He's way, way, way more poker famous than I am and always has been. This is kind of a niche show and a niche site. And I'm glad I have the audience I do. But I'm not a super well-known guy in poker. And he is. So I wondered... Is he just getting lucky? Is he just somehow not getting stalkers and weirdos harassing him? Well, I can't speak to before, but for the 2022 World Series, the answer to that question is most definitely yes. Now, there's something that has changed in 2022, and that is the venue of the World Series. And the reason that matters for Negranu is that he had a pretty good routine going on at the Rio, where it was from 2005 through 2021, where he could get out of the tournament room and into his back hidden trailer without anyone really seeing him or catching him in the process. So he could almost disappear out of the tournament room without anyone being able to approach him. And he could take his break in this trailer that he had parked in the back that almost nobody saw or was aware of how to find. I knew where it was, but most people did not. The average fan did not. The way he accomplished this was with the weird Rio back hallways. I didn't really talk about the back hallways much before because I used the back hallways sometimes. Not all that much because I'm not Negranu and I didn't need to... Uh, hide from the masses on breaks. I'm just the 
person who does a niche radio show and I run an eighth tier poker forum. But I occasionally use those hallways to get around the Rio and I didn't want to publicize it because I felt if they were getting overused, especially by faces that weren't known, that they might make it tougher to use them. I don't care now because it's never coming back to the Rio. But these hallways were all throughout the Rio convention area where they held the World Series. And they were a way to traverse the World Series area without being seen. It was almost like tunnels, except that they weren't underground. They were just kind of back hallways hidden behind the wall. And Negranu would use these hallways to quickly exit the room he was playing in and never have to walk in the main hallway if he didn't want to. So this easily got him from whatever tournament room he was in into his trailer, which was parked in the World Series of Poker employee lot right next to the back staircase that would go into the back hallway from the employee lot into the World Series Convention Center area. So all the employees knew about the back hallways because that's usually how they entered the World Series, but non-employees, most of them did not know about this. Now, if you were a Vegas local and you played the World Series every year, you sometimes got to learn about the back hallways. And that's how I learned about them. But that's what he used to basically escape. And it was a perfect thing for him because at the tournament, it's a controlled environment. Everybody there knows they can't hassle him while he's at the table. They know that's going to get them booted. So he can do all his interaction from the table, and he can kind of control it. When he wants to go up and talk to someone, he can. And when he doesn't, he sits at the table, and it's understood you don't go up to him and hassle him there. Like, it takes some real balls to cross the line and walk into the tournament area when you're just an observer. You actually have to cross the physical uh, little rail there and walk in there. That takes some balls to do, and and anyone who does it would probably be chased away soon enough. So I don't think he really had a problem with that happening. And this allowed him to control how close the fans got and how much he interacted with them. And then when the breaks came, when people actually could bother him, if he were just kind of out roaming the hallways, uh, he could make his quick escape through the hallways and, and spend the break in his trailer, which he would rent for the the entirety of the World Series. And he did that every year. I saw where that trailer was every single year. And that's where he would spend at least the breaks. I don't think he lived there. Like, I don't know if he spent many nights there. But I know he would go into that trailer during breaks. But that doesn't exist anymore. That's done. You can't park a trailer on the property of Bally's or Paris. It's a strip situation there. These are two strip properties. And... It's different than the Rio, which is off-strip, where that sort of thing is permitted. So he couldn't get the trailer. And there's no back hallways. That's another problem. So he had to go through the regular hallway. And what he got to replace the trailer, and this is not a secret. He's shown this in his vlog. What he got to replace the trailer was a small room. I guess it's like a small meeting room near the Paris ballroom where the World Series events take place. The problem is this doesn't have a lock on the door, or if it does, there's nothing he can lock. And 
it's also easy to access and anyone who sees where he goes could just walk right in there behind him. So first he started having problems with fans just going in there to talk to him during the breaks. And these weren't malicious people. These were people who were just fans of his who wanted to get his autograph or talk to him or whatever. But now he didn't have a place he could hide from everybody. Now he had to be at the mercy of anyone who sees that he goes into that room or he watches his vlog and figures it out. And then just walks in there. Hey, Daniel, what's up? How's the tournament going, man? Hey, you know, I've always been a big fan of yours. You know, I got into poker because of you, Daniel. And, you know, I, I haven't done as well as you, Daniel. But, you know, I've, I one time I, I cashed in uh, uh, 944th place in the main event, man. Like, that was the best day of my life, man. I, got, I made the money. And I'm just thinking one day I'm going to be like you, Daniel. I've been watching your career now for 20 years. Like, I, I could just picture, like, people who were not meaning badly but are just kind of annoying so he's had to deal with that and i don't know how he shoes them out of his way but he's kind of had to awkwardly deal with that but that's not the bigger problem here there's been two people who have caused some problems for him recently and he's discussed them on his blog now one of them i actually sort of know i didn't know them until a year ago I had a kind of bizarre encounter with them a year ago at a Resorts World gourmet restaurant. So the first person I'm talking about is a woman named Sarah Palmer, and she is uh, 38 years old, I believe, and she's pretty. Like, you're going to hear this story and picture like, oh, I bet this chick looks weird. No, she's, she's actually pretty. And... I met her a year ago. I was at a dinner at Resorts World. It was actually a free dinner. I won't go into the backstory. It's kind of a weird backstory to that, but I won't bother to go into that. But it was a free dinner that I was invited to by someone who was given it and could invite people, and I was one of the people invited. And one of their friends brought Sarah as, I believe, like a date, So this guy that was a friend of the person who got the dinner in the first place and invited a bunch of us, that guy said, can I bring a date? They said, sure. And Sarah was the date. Now, Sarah didn't show up until like 45 minutes in. I'm not sure why, but she came kind of late. But the dinner was pretty slow, so she didn't miss that much food-wise. And she showed up sat down, and most of the people at the table knew each other already, and she was kind of a stranger to everybody there. So, understandably, she was kind of quiet, and her date there noticed that. So, after about, like, 10, 15 minutes of her just kind of sitting there quietly and not saying much to anybody, the guy she was there with tried to break the ice, and I was sitting near her i was kind of like across from her and he mentioned poker because he knew she was into poker and this guy played poker too he's not like a well-known player but he plays too and so he brought up a poker topic i forgot what it was but he just kind of brought up poker in general to kind of get her talking with the rest of the group and it worked and we started talking about poker a little bit and then she asked have you heard about such and such scandal that just happened? I forgot which one. It's something that wasn't a huge scandal, but kind of like the scandal of the week or the story of the week. It was, it was something that was uh, 
on people's minds about a year ago for about a week. So she brought up that story and asked me if I had heard about this. And I said, oh, yeah, I have heard about this. And she said, yeah, you know, I heard a really good breakdown of this on this podcast I found for the first time. But this guy on this show called Poker Fraud Alert Radio, he did a really, really good breakdown. And it was really, really clear. And he explained it really, really well. And this, this guy on Poker Fraud Alert Radio, I don't know who he is, but this guy is really, really smart. And I really, really like the show. And I said, you're joking, right? So she was telling me that I should listen to Poker Fraud Alert Radio and that the host of Poker Fraud Alert Radio is a smart guy who explains things well. (laughs) And I'm sitting there going, okay, this is like, she's waiting for my reaction and then everyone's going to laugh. Like, she couldn't be telling me about me and not realize that I'm the one she's talking about, right? But that is what was happening. She was actually advising me to listen to me. She was advising me to listen to Poker Fraud Alert Radio, not realizing I was the host. That was like the first topic that was discussed at the table. By coincidence, of all things for her to bring up on her own, is advice to listen to this show, which she apparently had just found. So I asked her if she was joking, and she said no, and looked very sincere. And she was sincere. She wasn't joking. So I said, oh, well, this is going to surprise you, but I'm that guy. I'm the one you were listening to. I am that host. So that was a funny moment there. And then you know, we started talking about a bunch of stuff, and we had a good conversation, and she seemed normal. And uh, that was the only night I ever met her or saw her. I'd never met her before. I'd never seen her since. And... I kind of lost track of her since then for about, I don't know, about 10 months or so. And then I noticed on Twitter that she had changed because she followed me on Twitter. I think I noticed it like two months ago. And I looked at her tweets and I go, wow, this is uh, not the same girl I remember. She was into all this like conspiracy stuff and she legitimately believed that the earth is flat now and... Like, everything's a conspiracy. She even put that she's a conspiracy theorist right there on her Twitter. And just a lot of just really, really wacky and out there stuff. A lot of it's, like, even really difficult to follow. So this was not what I remembered at all from, like, 10 months prior. I, I talked to her for a while, and she seemed normal. So I was surprised to be reading all this. Anyway, she had also changed her opinion of me in that time she decided that I was a communist (laughs) and that I'm also in cahoots with uh, Daniel Negreanu and Ike Haxton to help cover up massive cheating rings in poker (laughs) I don't know which of those is funnier that I'm helping cover up cheating in poker. You know, the guy runs Poker Fraud Alert and calls it out all the time. I'm, I'm somehow covering up cheating in poker, and I'm a communist. Can you think of someone less likely to be a communist in poker than me? Maybe Tony Big Charles. I'll give him that. Tony Big Charles is probably even less likely to be a communist than me. But I can't think of anyone else. 
I really am like one of the least likely communists in poker. Could you ever picture in any world where I would be a communist? But she thinks I'm a communist. I don't know why. Anyway, like whatever, uh, no big deal. But about uh, over the, the next two months, I started to notice that she was focusing a lot on Negranu. Remember, I said that she believed that I was part of this uh, ring covering up cheating. And Negranu was one of the people involved. Now, Negranu is obviously a much bigger name than I am, as I was mentioning. So she was really focused on him, and she was making a lot of accusatory tweets to and about him, about uh, that and other subjects. She was also giving him a hard time about supporting the vaccine for COVID and a lot of other stuff like that. So Negranu, as you might guess, was ignoring it. She started to get a little more attention on Twitter, I'd say, about a month ago when Matt Glantz responded to something she tweeted and kind of introduced a lot of the poker community to her and her all her theories. So Matt Glantz was going back and forth with her and then other people were joining in like a lot of the big names in poker too were doing this and going back and forth with her and people were kind of just screwing around them no, nobody was serious in that conversation they just kind of were amused by her then she just kept pressing on with negranu and i was wondering if he was gonna give much attention to it but it seemed like he was mostly ignoring it which is smart because on twitter you have to be careful not to punch down. Punching down on Twitter means you're giving attention to someone with a lot fewer followers than you. So I would be punching up if I'm trying to get someone with a million followers to react to me. And if they were to respond to me, they would be punching down. Now, if it, we were agreeing, that wouldn't be the same thing. But like, if I'm trying to agitate somebody or make someone look bad who has a million followers and they respond to me, then they're punching down and they're risking people seeing what I wrote a lot more easily than if they were to just ignore me. However, when I get anonymous people or people with 20 followers trashing me on Twitter, I will often ignore them because that would be me punching down and me bringing attention to people who otherwise would not be even noticed because of their lack of followers. So on Twitter, that's kind of how it works. You've got to watch who you respond to and what you say because you're giving someone a platform with a lot less following than you if you answer them. And some people make that mistake. In fact, that's kind of the mistake uh, Bilzerian made with Vanessa Cade when he called her a hoe back in December of 2020. He was punching down there. Now Vanessa Kate is a lot better known, not more known than he is, but a lot better known than she was back then. Negranu mostly wasn't uh, acknowledging her, but everything finally came to a head when she showed up to the World Series and bugged him during a break. Now, to be fair, she didn't invade that room. She saw him in the hallway. So she did just comment to him in the hallway and he happened to be filming not because she was there but he was filming because he was just kind of filming himself walking out of the tournament area 
And then she happened to approach him there and start a conversation. And they had an exchange back and forth. The problem that occurred was that she went on Twitter afterwards and portrayed the situation as different than what really did occur. And Daniel had video proof of it. So she said one thing, but then Daniel said, nope, here's the video. Here's what really happened. And he proved himself right. And then he also was showing some previous tweets she had written about him. And it kind of looks like she's had this on and off obsession with him where she goes back and forth from really being into him and in fact having a crush on him to hating him. And it seems to kind of yo-yo back and forth. And at the moment we're in hate mode here. So I, I don't understand it, but here's what Daniel had to say about it. So I'm going to play you from his WSOP vlogs. And this is from day six I'm going to play, and then his day seven vlog. He's actually titling them day six, day seven, day nine, whatever. So I'm going to play you day six from the point where he starts talking about her. And then we'll stop and talk about it, and then we'll talk about, or we'll play and talk about day seven and what he had to say there. And then don't worry, there's more. There's a second half to this whole thing which has nothing to do with Sarah that is actually worse. Let's get to the point where he talks about Sarah in the uh, day six vlog. Okay, we're here to talk about the ending of the video last night. Okay, I just wanted to give you guys a glimpse of what it's like to be, you know, D-Negs or stuff like that or just anyone in the public eye. So you saw what happened last night. Okay, at the very end, a woman said something to me and I said, huh, whatever, you can see the video, you can see the video clip here, all right? The little, the little bit here where I say, uh, what was that? Blah, 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 okay? Um, another bullet in the, what's that? Oh, huh? Do I know you? Huh? Do I know you? I don't know. <laughs> you look familiar though. <laughs> How's it going? You good? I was better before I saw you. I'm sorry to hear that, yeah. Okay. You guys are good. It's all good. Alrighty then. Okay. So you can't see this. You're only hearing it, but he's like rolling his eyes like he thinks she's crazy. And you heard where at first they're like, yeah, do I know you? Do I know you? No, I don't think I know you. Okay. Well, I hope your day's going well. And she's like, well, I was going well until I saw you. So it's already starting to get hostile here. And then he's just kind of trying to escape. He, he's just walking and trying to get away. All right. So what was I saying anyway? Um, I'm going to go this way because <laughs> what are you doing? So today, what she said at the end, you may have missed it. Vax those kids, right? Vax those five-year-olds. So that was attacking him for being uh, pro-vaccine. Let me continue to play his explanation of this the next day. This is what was written about what happened. Okay. And you saw what happened. Okay. Here, we're going to read it. We're going to read it together. Okay. Spend two hours at World Series for first time. Everything looks awesome. Leaving Paris, I felt someone getting closer and brush against me. Plenty of room. Dun, dun, dun. WTF. Real Kid Poker following. Capitals. Me with a sense of urgency while streaming. Nobody streams. While speed walking and not on a break. 
He said, do I know you? You look familiar. That's not what happened. I'm platinum blonde now. I stared coldly in the eye, I stared coldly square in the eye and said, I don't know you. We do. Dun, 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 she lied. Oh my God. He stared back quizzically, finally realized it was me and kind of shock slash panic took over for a split second. I said something about him wanting to vax innocent babies and he was out of there. Ob, the worst capitals part, the worst part. Tinfoil was covering my entire hat. Gotta block those EMFs. Electromagnetic something? Okay, I don't know. <laughs> Over my head. He couldn't see my face and wanted to see who I was. So he followed me at an unnecessary pace at 12 a.m. This real kid poker's soul slash pineal is so calcified, senile, and with a nasty superiority complex. I sense negative ROI for him this year. I forgot how short he is. I'm taller than him. Must be from watching so much TV. Looked cracked out, to be honest. Vades? I don't even know what Vades is. Now I know why he needs an RV. Let me stop right here. The one thing she's right about is she probably is taller than him. She's actually pretty tall. I don't know her exact height, but I remember standing next to her that she was pretty tall for a woman. And the ground is not tall, so she probably is a little bit taller than him. But the rest of it, I don't think he has Vades, whatever that is. (laughs) Let's go on. Locked his wife in a house for two years during scandemic and attempts to hit on cute blonde conspiracy realists when she's not around. If I were you, I'd put him on a short leash, Radio Amanda, or blink twice if you need help. Hashtag great poker awakening. Hashtag great poker reset. Hashtag poker go. I get that part. Anyway, so there you go. You saw the video and you saw like the rundown, right? The thing is, this is what the way world we live in, right? You know, that's just, I think I'm going to have a body cam everywhere I go now and just vlog everything just so that way anytime one of these goofy things come up, I can say so. But in all seriousness, I did want to say this. Um, you know, I, I have mental illness in my close proximity, you know, in my family, and it's nothing to laugh at. I can't help it. I mocked it a little bit, made fun of, you know, the conspiracy thing, but it is kind of a sad situation. What's happened to a lot of people in the last couple of years that already suffer from some sort of things, maybe you're not medicated the way that they need to be. And then fall into these like traps and then they go down these rabbit holes of like whatever. Like this is some, you know, like I don't even, I, I could show you like some of the messages there. It would take eight hours to read them about, I don't know, Rothschilds and Illuminati and Freemasons and and uh, George Bush's father helped Hitler. And I mean, just it's like never ending. So anyway, just gave you guys a little glimpse of what it's like to be me. <laughs> okay, so that was the day six vlog. And that was the day after he had posted the other one where at the very end that occurred and then he just replayed it the following day and explained it and decided he's going to give more context to what occurred. And he did not say her name there. And even when he was reading her tweets, he didn't show her name. He was still not publicizing that yet. He was mentioning mental illness and the pandemic worsening it, and it did. And for some people, the pandemic really did have a negative effect on their mental health, especially if they already had mental health issues. And when I was talking about how Sarah changed, because remember, I spent a while talking with her that night, and she was normal, and we had some good conversations. So the type of stuff she tweets now was not at all part of any of those conversations and she was just not the same person back then and we were only talking about a year ago so what changed and when i was discussing this with someone they said oh it must have been the 
pandemic being shut in all this time. And I said, no, it actually wasn't because this was in June 2021 when I met her. So nobody was shut in in June 2021. The world was back open. The vaccines had been available. Anyone who wanted a vaccine had gotten one by then. So she got through the pandemic fine. It was after that. (laughs) So I don't quite get what the change was there. But there definitely was a change. And I don't think Daniel even knows that because I don't think he really had interaction with her prior to that. Okay, so the next vlog is going to be a little bit confusing. This was day seven. Remember, the one I just played was day six. Day seven, he talked about a woman who was tweeting about him and claiming that he was staring at her chest back in 08 and that she was happy to bust the tournament to get away from him. And then he went back and found that six years prior in 2014 that she had written a bunch of wonderful stuff about him. So here she was in 2020 bashing him and saying how creepy he was in 08, yet he found other stuff she had written about how great he was. But this was not about Sarah. It had nothing to do with Sarah. But I even thought it was about Sarah until I watched it again and listened more closely. So this is actually about Ebony Kenny. And I don't know why she went off on Negranu out of nowhere, but she did this last month. And apparently he stayed quiet about it, but then he decided he's going to take this blog and take the opportunity to mention this because he's just basically tired of it. He's basically tired of just being randomly attacked about things that didn't happen. So listen to this. All right, morning routine. I got a few, like a five-minute deal in. I got my water. I'm drinking that, chilling out here. And like th- uh, reminiscing about yesterday. Yesterday was a rough one. We had... Um, two online events. I had the dealer's choice and I was calling triple draw because big bet games require more focus and I felt like I was distracted. I also had the other issue of the distraction with that sort of video and what you guys saw. And I want to thank those on Twitter who, you know, were supportive because they watched the video and saw that it was complete bullshit. But I ask you this, what if I didn't have video? Fair question. What if I didn't have it documented on video? Okay. What happens then? Let's just look at the, let's just look at what would happen in that case. Okay. This gets written. People say, wow, Daniel, you're such a creeper, blah, blah, blah. I can't believe you did that. You, all these things and that uh, clearly didn't happen, right? So for, so, so, so we live in a society, unfortunately, because this is the second time this happened to me in a month, right? The first one I let go, didn't want to give it fuel. I'm like, okay, this is clear bullshit and I can prove it, but let it go. I don't want to like make it a story when it isn't because it's partly what exactly what the person wants, right? Because we live in a society today where unfortunately, if you wanted like positive attention on social media. It is as simple as this. Make up a victim story or two where you were victimized in one way or another. It doesn't even matter, right? Male, female, whatever. Tell the story, come forward with it. The bear, the bear, the truth has no, in, there's no, has no, var- it's not even a variable in this. It doesn't matter, all right? Just tell the story and while, all, instantly you will get retweets and people's talking about how brave you are for telling it and da, 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 da. And it does an injustice to actual victims. And people wonder why the fuck I was so invested in the Johnny Depp thing. Well, this happened to me twice. This this person, okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna just because I, I can't I can't keep it in. Everyone says, just leave it, let it go. No, this is some fucking bullshit, all right? In 2008, well, I guess if I was accused of something, this is as mild as it gets. In 2008, I was accused of staring at someone at a poker table that was sitting next to me. This was the accusation. And it made this person so uncomfortable that they confronted on me, confronted me on it. And then in the height of the poker boom in 2008, in front of a table full of people, I said, yeah, I'm staring. Like, it doesn't even fucking add up, right? That on its own. Okay. So 
Then this person claims that they were happy to go busted with pocket aces because, uh, you know, it was so uncomfortable that I was staring at them, right? And I guess they're, they're you know, implying that it was in like of a, of a, of a checking out manner of some kind, okay? Same person, same person, 2008. Same person asked in 2014, who's your poker hero? Daniel Negreanu. His aura is spectacular and the things he's done and continues to do for poker are to be recognized and celebrated. He always has a smile for anyone and everyone, especially the amateurs. A lot more players should take a cue from him and be more welcoming and inviting for the players that do this for fun. So that was in 14. So in 08, she was saying he was staring at her and she was happy to get off the table with him even though she had her aces cracked because she was so creeped out by it. And six years later, he's her hero. And actually, the compliments she paid him there were true, that he does make things more pleasant for amateurs and makes them feel special, that he talks to them and recognizes them and all that. I mean, that's uh, that's all true. But it's funny that she was so positive on him then. This is the same person who in 2008 was so disgusted by my presence at a poker table and was new to the game, their first 10K, that, oh, I, I, I'm so happy to get bust out. Fucking bullshit. In 2020, I have cordial DMs with this person. I've always been friendly with this person. But this person decided that she needed to add a little oomph to the story. So she used my fucking name when it's complete bullshit. So, yeah, now I think you understand a little bit more about wh- why the trial meant so much to me. Um... And I know I probably shouldn't even be doing this, right? But which is fucked up, right? Because I'm the one that was victimized in both cases. Because in the first case, people like, oh, Daniel, what a creeper. Why would you do that? I didn't fucking do that, right? And first of all, you're at a poker table. You're supposed to stare at people, right? That's kind of what you do. But the idea that I was gawking, that's some fucking narcissism right there. Because that ain't, that, that ain't what happened. Um, anyway, like, like I said, every, just leave it, let it go. That's what I should do. I should be the one who is like, you know made allegations about and I'm the one that should shut up and not say anything I can't do it man it's eating away at me despite everyone saying I should not release this video I'm gonna fucking release it because I'm over it and that's it I'm not gonna talk about any of this stuff anymore now again he was talking about Ebony Kenny not Sarah Palmer this has nothing to do with the Sarah Palmer situation and this occurred last month and from what I remember this was when he was under fire for some comments he made about why there weren't more women in poker and some women didn't appreciate it. He was basically saying that women just don't really have an interest in the game for the most part, and it's not really about how they're being treated. And a lot of women didn't like that, and there was a big backlash. I didn't even bother covering it on this show because we've talked about it so many times. Not really his comments, but we've talked about other people making similar comments. So I didn't bother to make it a topic, but I think it was around then during the bashing of Negranu by certain women that Ebony Kenny jumped in and told the story in 08 that he was staring at her, which I don't believe. It sounds like bullshit to me. So already in a short time, Daniel is dealing with allegations against him which aren't true. First from Ebony Kenny last month. Then you had the stuff with uh, Sarah, who'd been accusing him of a lot of things over time and then had that confrontation with him in the hallways at Paris. But now we have a whole different thing that's going on. But before we get to that, I will play you the interview with Sarah from 2018. And you can hear how normal she sounded back then. 
Hello everyone, I am here with Sarah Palmer who went deep in the ladies event and tell me if I'm wrong, this is the first time you've ever played a live tournament. Uh, yes, this is the first time I've ever played a WSOP live tournament. WSOP, so you've played others? I've played other live tournaments, um, but never at this caliber of play. So what made you decide to come to the WSOP this year and try your hand at the ladies event? Um, well, um, of course, I'm a lady, and <laughs> and I love poker, and um, I think it's, there's nothing like greater than like that sense of accomplishment and like just going for it, um, especially among a room of talented women. Uh, plus, I really wanted to like get to know how women play more. So just like as a learning opportunity, I don't get a chance to play with a lot of women, and so I wanted to really see how their style of play differs from the standard uh, pool of players. And I mean. Doesn't that sound normal? Right? I mean, <laughs> nothing wrong with that answer. Nothing wrong at all. And you can see in this video, it's called 11th Place, her first World Series of Poker event. This is on the Poker News Channel, where you can look at the poker fraud alert thread about this. You can see she's attractive. She speaks well. She comes off as totally normal. I don't know what the hell happened. I really don't. And as I said, the one I met last year was basically the same person from this uh, Poker News video. Again, still attractive, still normal. And then, I don't know, something happened since then. Very odd. But as I said, that's not the worst thing that has happened here. Involving Daniel and people making false allegations against him and stalkerish behavior. This other incident I'm about to talk about involves a male, except this one involves an unknown male. To my knowledge, this person has not been identified, and it's probably not someone who is a known person in poker. It does seem to be someone from Arizona, but that's about all we know. And Daniel is the one who revealed this himself. This is something he could have kept quiet. And I guess he did keep quiet for a while, but finally, after he got a text from this guy following other voicemails, he had to come forward with a story and talk about just what, the way life is for him, being a known figure in poker and how it can really be tough with all these things one after the other. So, you know, if you think about the homeless population, the vast majority of them um, suffer from some sort of mental illness that is not being treated. And there are medications out there to balance people out. And on that note, you know, thinking about mental illness since COVID, I think it's, see, we've seen a spike. Like, I'm not even kidding. I got a message today. Okay. Uh, without, forget about all the other stuff going on. Okay. All right. So I got a message from a guy. And this doesn't make any sense to me. I had to look it up where it was. I'm going to go public for what you did to your family in Lake Havasu. Okay. That was fucked. I know your little secret. The whole world's going to know. Then he shows me a text message which says, Phil, give me a call. If you want to expose Daniel Nugruno, we can talk money. I have proof. All right. So I had to look it up because I don't know what the fuck Lake Havasu is. It's in Arizona. No family in Arizona. I don't know what the hell this person is talking about. But I'm going to use one. Get ready for it. Such is life. What in the actual fuck is going on this week? All right. I'm going to chill now with the pups. Good morning, wife. I didn't tell you this morning, but I got another text message from a different crazy person. Oh, yeah? Yes, this one's trying to blackmail us for... No, I'm not even kidding. And we've got voicemails, too. This person says that, I know what you did to your family at Havasu Lake. 
Where is that? I had no, I googled it. It's in Arizona. Okay. Okay. Yeah. And uh, I have no family in Arizona. <laughs> I've never been there. Me either. Oh gosh. What is it? What did you do to someone in that? Like- I did to my family in Arizona that I don't have. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Yeah, maybe you're right. Maybe I should get a, an entourage of bodyguards, like six. I didn't say that. I meant more like security to get you to your room and not a yeah. bodyguard. But I think maybe people at this point. Oh, I need to get beat up. Is what? No, it's not what we're talking about. You just want people to just leave me alone. Just to walk through. Yeah. And get to your room. Yeah. Before we get to the rest of the story here, Daniel actually put that out as a poll question if he should get a bodyguard. And the reason Amanda, his wife, brought this up was because of these various incidents and the fact that just anyone can stroll into that room that he's renting near the Paris tournament area. And she was suggesting maybe that he should just hire some big guy to stand outside the room and to stand next to Daniel as he walks through the hallway to just basically let Daniel pass to the room and then block people's access to the room and not to have him follow Daniel everywhere and grab anyone who tries to talk to him, but more to just be there in case a problem comes up and also to control access to that room. That was her suggestion to him and he didn't want to do it. And then he even created a poll about it. I don't think he's going to really do it, but he's, saying, you know, maybe I will if this type of stuff continues. But forget that text about his Lake Havasu family that he supposedly abandoned. There's more. There were voicemails about this prior to the text. It was the text which encouraged him to share everything. But here's the voicemails. Okay, so what? This is getting, it's getting weird. This is just starting to get weird. Patty had mentioned to me that I had some voicemails from a guy a while ago. I don't know what. And I was like, Patty's his assistant, by the way. Whatever. I don't care. Right. So then he said, he mentioned Lake Havasu. And I'm like, didn't she mention Lake Havasu? So we looked back in our phone and luckily she saved these messages because they were, um, he was asking, he was blackmail. Basically it was a blackmail email. And so essentially, and I'll let you, pl- I'll let you hear the clip because I'm going to play it for you right now. Essentially, he thinks I lived in Lake Havasu on Huntington Road or something. And have an alternate family in Phoenix somewhere that I abandoned. My son Andrew and Cassidy. It's like, and Randy. I don't know anything about any of this stuff. I've never been to Lake Havasu. And obviously I don't have an alternate family, etc. But then at the end, wait till you hear it. I'll make this go away. Listen in. Check this out. I really am calling you. Because I want to let you know what happened after you left Lake Havasu. You have a right to know. I don't upset about it, but, um, you know, thanks for my pain and grief and stuff. When you left, I had to watch Andrew, uh, Kathy, Baby Boy, and the other kids all be evicted from across the street. So this guy's claiming it's a little bit hard to understand. Daniel actually transcribes this on his vlog on his day nine. This is around like the six minute mark. He transcribes it so you can understand it a bit better. But since you can't see this transcription on the radio, what the guy is saying is that after Daniel just abruptly left his secret Lake Havasu, Arizona family, that this guy who's leaving the message had to take over watching 
these kids, like Andrew and Cassidy and the, quote, baby boy. So I guess there were three kids that Daniel abandoned, according to this guy, just got up and left Lake Havasu. And this guy had to pick up the pieces and then watch that family get evicted. I lived there, Andrew. You know, the guy was hard. Across the street from me, had the to drive. And we had to take them in when they got evicted from their house on Huntington Drive. Now, I'm not sure you did the right thing, man, but to watch them cry for you and while they're getting evicted out of their house, you know, when Randy was kind enough to take them in, uh, we had them out until we got them on their feet. Took a while, but uh, if they're working at Arby's, remember she worked at Arby's, Kathy, uh, they finally got an apartment. But uh, I just thought in the back of your mind, you'd want to know what happened to your other family that you abandoned, you know what I mean? But I got all kinds of people trying to hit me up, trying to make this go public. But I'm giving you a chance to make it right, man. Just, you know what I mean? You already see where this is going. He says, I've got a lot of people trying to hit me up to make this public, but you've got a chance to make it right, man. You just, you know what I mean? So you, you know what he's asking for. But in case you think maybe he could mean something else, don't worry, he gets more clear as this goes on. Uh, really happy for your success, dude. Honestly, I was a kid when I met you and you came over for Randy's uh, things. I met you as a kid. You were really cool with me. You know, I really liked your band. You just disappeared. So this is interesting. This guy's claiming that Daniel came over to this guy Randy's house. Randy's also supposedly the one who took in that family that Daniel abandoned. Randy's not supposed to be the one leaving the message. It's supposed to be someone that this guy knows. But that Daniel supposedly came over to Randy's house and that he met him. And this guy was a kid when he met Daniel. Which is interesting because provided the guy's not just completely making this all up. And when I say making all this up, I don't believe that Daniel has a family in Lake Havasu that he abandoned. I'm saying, like, this guy seems to think it. I think this really, this guy really does believe that he knows something. He's just wrong, but he thinks he knows something. So I believe he does think he met Daniel when he was a kid. And I think he does think that Daniel lived there in Lake Havasu with that family and just walked out. And I think he believes he can blackmail Daniel into getting some money for this, not realizing that this is all incorrect and he's confused. (laughs) But anyway, what this does say is that this is a young guy, because if he was a kid when he met Daniel and Daniel was an adult, this probably puts the guy in his 20s. Daniel is in his mid-40s now. I think he's like 47. So this guy's probably, I don't know, 27 or something is my guess, and that does give you a little bit of a clue, but I think this is a complete nobody. This is not a name you would know in poker. And I don't know if this guy showed his phone number. I mean, he must have shown a phone number when he was texting. But anyway, let's listen to the rest of this. Chase, you went to Las Vegas, you know what I mean? It's kind of fucked up. We just left the family there, man. Like, I'm still, like, kind of grieving over because I had to watch him cry outside my window from my bedroom for you while they're getting evicted out of the house. So I believe, if you don't want me to go public with it, maybe you should give me a call back on this phone. Because I'm getting all kinds of, because I've been putting comments. Hell, hell news really wants me on so. They really want to use it against you. They really want to pay me, so I'm giving you a chance. 
He may not still follow it with it. He says that uh, Helmuth has been asking him to say something about this, but he's giving Daniel a chance. Now, that part I absolutely don't believe. I don't believe any of this, but I don't believe this guy even thinks that Helmuth's been talking to him, unless it's been in his head. You paid me off, whatever. I'll keep quiet about it. I'll sign a contract. But uh, let me know. Okay, Dan. Okay. So he actually says right there at the end, pay me off. I'll keep quiet about it. I'll sign a contract. So what I think is going on here, I think this is probably someone who does have some mental illness. He probably does remember a guy who looks like Negranu, who grew up across the street from him, or not grew up, but when he was growing up, that a family was across the street and that he knew the male, the uh, husband of the family, probably someone who looks like Daniel, Maybe the guy's name even was Daniel, not Daniel Negranu, but probably Daniel, and looked like Daniel's, probably around Daniel's age, and then just walked out on the family one day, and he watched the wife and the kids be uh, devastated over this, and maybe this Randy did have to take them in. And I think when he saw Negranu become successful and famous in poker over the last 20 years or so, somehow he got it in his head it was the same guy. So maybe he remembered as a kid a Daniel being there and walking out. And then he, he he believed it's the same guy. I don't know when this person was supposed to have walked out. But he seems to really believe that Daniel originated from that area, which already has a huge hole. Because if you know Negranu's history, he wasn't from Arizona. He was from Toronto. So Negranu went from playing in charity clubs in Toronto to moving to Las Vegas to try his luck as a pro poker player over there and being successful and, you know, the rest. There was no in-between period where he was missing and out in Arizona somewhere and having this whole family with three kids. There just simply wasn't time for this. There is no time where Negreanu just vanished from the poker scene. He was in Toronto, then he was in Vegas with no time in between. And he's been in Vegas since, and he's been very public and visible. So this is impossible to have occurred. He's not even alleging that Daniel went down to Lake Havasu and banged a woman and then wouldn't take responsibility for his kid. Now, that type of thing happens all the time with famous people, and I'm not saying I'd believe it, but I'm saying that it would at least be possible. This isn't possible because this requires many years of Daniel living in Lake Havasu for no apparent reason, which is not near any poker, by the way, and somehow everybody thinking he's in Vegas all that time. It wouldn't make any sense. So obviously... Not that you believe this, but this is actually impossible. Unless there's just an alternate universe where alternate Daniel Negreanu was actually living in Havasu and abandoned his family and then became a famous poker player. But the real Daniel Negreanu in this universe definitely never did that. But this guy does seem to think that he has information and that Negreanu is going to say, oh shit, he knows he knows about my secret time in Havasu. It's the only one who's figured this out after all these years. I cannot let the secret get out. I must pay this guy off. He really thought Negranu was going to react that way. Because obviously, with this guy making these threats, if Daniel knows that this is not true, 
and Daniel's very aware that everybody knows where he's been for the last two plus decades and they know where he was right before that and there's a lot of people that can vouch for that that are still in poker he wouldn't worry about this guy bringing out the story because nobody would believe this guy first of all nobody would listen to him he has no platform like where would he put out the story but even if he did Daniel could immediately disprove it so Daniel would not be the slightest bit worried about this and the guy blackmailing him if he felt this was a false story that Daniel could easily disprove he wouldn't attempt this. Instead, he would attempt something that is much harder to disprove. He could say, oh, you, you uh, got a woman pregnant there and won't admit that's your kid. Or, oh, you raped someone there. Yeah, you, you could make these kind of false allegations where, yeah, you have no proof, but Daniel can't disprove it. This he can disprove. This he can show the actual timeline of his life that people have been witness to. So that's why this is the worst blackmail idea ever. So I seem to believe here that this guy actually thinks what he's saying is true. And what he believes he's going to pull off is letting Daniel know that he knows the dirty, dark Lake Havasu secret of the secret family and that nobody knows yet. So if Daniel just hands him some bread, then the guy will go away. But that only works if you've got real info to embarrass someone, not fake info that can be easily disproved. So, very weird, huh? Let's uh, go on here. So, as you heard in the audio, this was the voicemail. Um, that's, I don't know, extortion, blackmail, all these types of things. So, now the question is, how seriously do I take something like this and do I go to the FBI? And it seems like something where I did get four voicemails from this person. The first three were less uh the first we didn't ask for money or anything like that just say hey wanted to let you know the family you left behind in lake havasu i took them in and like the first year i'm like okay but then the fourth one is where you know i'll make this go away if you pay me some money so obviously i could put this person in prison like for real like that that i mean yeah that's that's a federal offense so the question is what to do why is everything getting so weird this week? <laughs> Strange, man. All right, let's figure this out. Okay. So that, that's it. And yeah, I would actually go to law enforcement if I were him, especially because he has a phone number and it can be tracked down in some way. Even if it's a burner number, it can probably be tracked. And because this very clearly says that the guy wants to be paid off, that might interest authorities to actually do something about this this is not implied this guy could not claim oh i didn't mean i wanted money for this of course he said pay me off he actually said pay pay me off and uh, i'll sign a contract it can't be more clear than that and the other reason to do it is because who knows what this guy is going to do next if daniel doesn't pay him which of course he's not going to who knows this guy could start stepping up his actions if he feels that Daniel didn't give him what he wanted. So you should want this guy identified. I know these are the other side of the coin here is that if he just doesn't engage, that maybe this guy will go away. But he is engaging. He, he just publicized this whole thing. So I think what he should do next, and maybe he has done it and hasn't made this public, he should go to law enforcement and have them track this person down and not only will this guy get in trouble, but they can at least try to convince this guy that this 
other person was not Daniel Negreanu. So maybe if this person believes that Daniel did not have this secret family and that he was mistaken, maybe this obsession he has with uh, Hasseline Negreanu will go away, even if he does get into some trouble for this. I understand why this is disturbing one thing after another for Daniel. And I have a feeling if this guy is found, it is going to be kind of a semi-mentally unstable character living in Arizona who's in his late 20s. That's the profile I'm putting together right now of that individual. He sounds young, too. Like, I'd be surprised even without that whole thing about meeting Negreanu as a kid. Even without that, I would have been surprised if I heard he was like 45. He just sounds like a younger guy, even though it wasn't a really clear voicemail. But especially with that story about him being a kid, meeting Negreanu, then that puts him younger. And it seems like he's saying he's still there in Arizona. Very odd, huh? Next topic, Scott Seaver, who already won a bracelet this year. I think he has four now. He decided that it is very important to him to, at the very least, get a cash in the WSOP flip and go. And if he does not get a cash, he's going to keep trying and trying again until he gets one, no matter how much it costs him. So here's what the flip and go is, in case you don't know. I've talked about it both last year and recently, but just in case you don't know. The flip and go is something very stupid. It's a World Series of Poker event where everybody at the table, I think uh, nine players, gets dealt three cards. And they choose one of the three cards to throw away to create a typical two-card hold'em hand, then everybody is forced to go all-in pre-flop, no matter what they're holding. You can't fold. Even if you have awful cards, you can't fold. Then a flop, turn, and river are run out. Of course, there's no betting because everybody has the same stack and has gone all-in already. And the winner of the hand moves on, and everybody else is out. So after one hand, every single person at the table is out of the event and out their $1,000 that they paid to enter it, except the winner who moves on to play the remainder of the tournament, which is a normal no-limit hold'em tournament the rest of the way against other people who won their tables. That's why it's called a flip-and-go. The flip is the part where there's very little skill. I say very little because there's a small amount of skill in deciding which card to throw away. I'll take a very obvious example. Let's say you're dealt ace-ace-3. Well, obviously you throw away the three, so you keep pocket aces. And there's ones that are a bit more challenging. Like, let's say you're dealt ace-6-7. Do you keep the ace-7? Not necessarily. Maybe you want to keep the 6-7. So you, you got to think about what your opponents are likely to keep. So there's a little bit of skill in that. But the truth is, it's mostly luck. The truth is that it fails the dandruff monkey test. The monkey test is very simple. If a monkey could be trained 
to cash in the event, then it's a bad event. And a monkey could definitely be trained to just throw away one card, even just randomly. I mean, I guess you could teach the monkey that if two of the cards look the same, to throw away the one that doesn't look the same. So they would keep any pocket pair. But even if you can't train the monkey to do that, you could definitely train the monkey to pick up three cards and throw away one of them and keep the other two. And then the dealer does the rest. And if the monkey happens to win, the monkey then cashes the event. So a monkey would not be at a very big disadvantage compared to the best poker player in the world in that first round to cash, which is a disaster because you should not have a World Series cash that a monkey could obtain. But here you could. So it fails the monkey test big time. It's a joke. So I've always been against this event. I won't play it. Some people said, oh, well, it's a good event because you're going to get a lot of random people winning these flip-and-goes who otherwise would not get to the late stages of a No Limit Hold'em event, where usually by the time everyone cashes, the most of the players range from decent to excellent. And you might think, yeah, that's a good point. But no, 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 no. That would only be true if each person could only enter once. But enter Scott Seaver, who decided that he wants to get past that first almost all-luck round. And since he has a deep bankroll, he's going to invest the money to do it. Because if you try enough times, you're eventually going to win one of those, right? You're going to win on average once every nine times. So why not keep trying till you finally win? Well, Scott Seaver entered his first one. He didn't win. He entered his second one. He didn't win. He entered his third one. He didn't win. Starting to get a little frustrated, but hey, you know, it's only one in nine. So got to keep trying. Gets to his ninth one. Still has not won. So he's already invested 9K in it, and he still does not have a win that allows him to continue and play the normal tournament and get a cash. So he fires that 10th bullet, then the 11th, then the 12th, then the 13th. He gets all the way to 18. Well, now he's gone twice as many entries as he would have expected with average luck. When it was all said and done... He fired 43 bullets to get that first cash. And of those 43, how many times did he win? I guess you'd guess it would be one because he would stop at that point. In fact, I don't think you can continue after one. But the actual number of times that he won that flip and go out of 43? Zero. Point zero. Yeah, he 0 for 43. That's hard to do. I mean, that is some pretty bad luck to have a 1 in 9 shot of hitting and going 43 without hitting. I haven't calculated the odds, but it's really bad. So he didn't continue. He gave up. I'm surprised he didn't just keep at it, but maybe he didn't want to get to 100K and look really stupid. But he spent 43K on this. In fact, it was found that he'd have to finish in one of the uh, top few places in this event to break even if he were to do a 44th attempt and even make it. Now, he did just win uh, 320K 
at that $2,500 No Limit Hold'em event that he won this year. So I guess he can afford it, and he always plays high stakes. But still, actually, it's worse than I thought. I thought it was nine players. It's actually eight players I'm seeing now. That's even worse luck. One in eight shot, and he couldn't do it out of uh, 43 tries. Wow. That is pretty brutal. According to some people on Twitter, I haven't checked their work. They said that Seaver had a 99.7% chance to get at least one win in those 43 tries. Seaver apparently was not angry. Now, in the past, he's been seen kind of bitter about losing. And he notoriously complained about how he always gets bad luck, that it's always always on the wrong end of bad beats, and uh, it's, it always just happens to him. And then someone showed a montage of all these times he sucked out and people laughed at him. But this time he wasn't acting like that. He was apparently in good spirits as this was happening. He even ordered 120 drinks while doing this, not to drink himself, but to both drink and give away to others at the table as he was attempting this over and over. Flip and goes have a lot of uh, pre-entries to them. You don't necessarily have to do it right when the event is running. So that's how you can enter this many times. But yeah, 43 times and couldn't get through. In case you're wondering, is that a record for the number of times someone entered a single event? And the answer is no. Daniel Negreanu entered the 1K No Limit with Rebuys event 48 times in 2007. And he also did not cash. Now, that was not a flip and go. That was a regular No Limit Hold'em tournament. And even with all Daniel's skill, he could not make it to the money in uh, 48 tries. Not just didn't make it to the money. He uh, In 47 of those 48, he didn't even make it to the end of the rebuy period. So I don't know if the fourth, 48th, he did make it past the rebuy period or what, or if he just gave up, but he tried 48 times and did not cash. I was proud of myself there because I entered that same event back in 07 one time and I finished 10th. In fact, they gave you an option to add on and I turned it down and I rode my 1000 dollar investment all the way to uh, 10th place and in fact uh, took a bad beat on the river otherwise i would have made the televised final table there my second best world series of poker no limit hold'em finish as far as place not as far as money but as far as place the only one i had better was a fourth place in 2006 i'm talking about no limit not uh limit anyway daniel is still the record holder in that the 48 entries that Negranu fired on in 2007 was considered such a disgrace and embarrassment to poker. And I don't mean Negranu himself. I mean, it was within the rules to do it, so he did it. He didn't do anything unethical there. But it made the World Series look bad. And it made it look like that pros were just spending whatever they felt it would take to buy a better chance at winning a bracelet. So they temporarily did away with these rebuy events for two reasons. For that and also because floormen were stealing 
from the prize pool because the rebuys were not done through the computer back then. The floor man would just hand you chips and then the floor man would just pocket the money. And the way they'd get away with it is when there would be discrepancies in chips, they would blame it on the color-ups and uh, this was discovered. And I think some floor men were quietly let go over this back in 07. And I actually got screwed by it because I cashed in that event pretty big because I was 10th place. And some of that money should have gone to me. So that was pretty ugly. But they changed it to what they called a triple chance event in 08 where you had to, uh, you got these little rebuy chips that you would just present to get your starting stack back. And you have two of those that you could use. So you have three shots at it. There were no rebuy events and then they eventually brought them back. But this is the second highest number of rebuys to my knowledge in any World Series of Poker event. Overall in this event, there were 1,256 entries. So Scott Seaver's 43 entries (laughs) makes up... uh, about 3% of that, which is crazy. Norman Chad is kind of a World Series of Poker purist. He and I agree with a lot. Uh, we agree on a lot of these things here. So we both don't like these rebuys, and we both don't like anything which makes the World Series look stupid or cheap or gimmicky. Here's what he had to say about it. The World Series of Poker is the most prestigious poker series on Earth. Yet, in the flip-and-go bracelet event, you get a 1-in-8 chance to win a flip with almost no skill involved, and that puts you in the money. And this year, Scott Seaver entered 43 times. That's a mockery of poker. Scott Seaver responded in good humor. He said, I entered once per ex-wife that you've had. See, this is why I like Scott better these days. Like, the old Scott Seaver was taking himself way too seriously and kind of came off as a jerk on Twitter. Like a jerk and a whiner. Now, see, now he's more jovial. Now he, he kind of gets it more. So, yeah, 43 attempts and zero hits. I guess he used up all his luck in that 2,500 no limit. You know, I'll take that. I'll take running super bad in something like this if I can win a bracelet. Not that I'd ever enter 43 times. The fact that they're letting people re-enter is an even bigger problem than just the whole lack of skill to cash issue, which is also a big problem. Now you get the worst of both worlds. You get the lack of skill to cash, complete lack of skill to cash. And then you get tough pros that you have to face if you do cash. You can't even say, well, for once I get to the later stages of a tournament where a number of the players will be weaker players. You can't even say that here because you have the Scott Seaver type just hammering buy-in after buy-in after buy-in until they finally hit. And he's not the only one. It's not like Scott's the only one decided he's going to just invest a ton of money to try to win this thing. Negreanu did something similar last year. He just didn't go 43 times. It's hard to go 43 times because you have a 12.5% chance to win each time you do it. So one of those times is going to hit. He just got super unlucky. But there's a lot of pros who decided they just want to get another cash under their belt, and they like the idea of just getting a express ticket to where everybody's in the money. 
and you can just go for the gold. I told you I hate this event. I told you it's stupid. But if they're going to have this, at least don't let people rebuy or let them rebuy once. Don't let them rebuy so often to where they can guarantee themselves a cash if they do it often enough. Because you can. You can just keep doing it, doing, doing, doing until you're just going to finally get it. He just finally gave up at 43. I don't know why he chose to give up at 43, but he gave up at 43. There's the whole concept of karma in poker. And you would think that if you are a good person and you try to do the right thing in life and you treat people around you with respect and with fairness, that the poker gods will smile upon you and reward you with better cards. Now, you may say that sounds like nonsense and random cards are random cards, but definitely people are not being rewarded for good behavior. And I can tell you this because of who has been final tabling in the first few weeks of this World Series of Poker. So first we had Ali Imsrovic, who is, of course, accused of multi-accounting and various other cheating offenses online that we've discussed on other shows. And he got fourth place at the 100K high roller event. So he cashed 350K, which is a 250K profit. Now, he enters a lot of really big events, so it's not like he's just taking a shot at a big event and happened to cash. But still, there's very few events at the World Series like this. So if if you're going to run well in an event, that's a good one to run well in. But yeah, he finished in uh, fourth on that one and got a 250K profit. That's just right at the beginning of the series, event number two. That's the first open event. The first actual event was the casino employees, which you can't enter. So it's right off the bat. May 31st was the starting date of that. Ali Imsrovic, part of that initial big cheating scandal called out by Alex Foxen, that he was uh, not only allegedly multi-accounting, but also looking at people's whole cards when playing live when they're not protecting them well. He just comes right off the bat and gets fourth place in the high roller. But wait, there's more. A second person was said to be in cahoots with him online and doing the multi-accounting with him. And that person was Jake Schindler. So Jake Schindler was very closely associated with Ali. They are both very high-stakes players. They both enter all these nosebleed tournaments. They both have a lot of success. And they were both really, really considered to be bad guys of poker after what was alleged this spring. So undeterred, Jake showed up to the World Series. This is how he's done. On June 4th, he entered the 25K No Limit Hold'em High Roller 8-handed and finished in second place for $874,915. You think that's good? No, 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 no. That's not all he did. Right when he's done with that, he enters the 50K No Limit Hold'em High Roller 8-handed. What does he do there? Oh, nothing. Just wins first place. 
So Jake Schindler won the bracelet and $1.3 million. Combined, that's $2.2 million and a bracelet and a second place finish. Isn't that nice? But wait, it's not just those two. No, 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 no. What about, you may think I'm going to say Bryn Kenny, but no. So far, we haven't seen much from Bryn Kenny as far as results, but what about David Mizikowski? Remember him? Remember David Mizikowski? Cocksucker Mizikowski. Cocksucker Mizikowski? I don't know the guy's name. Cocksucker Cocksucker Mizikowski. Cocksucker Mizikowski. Cocksucker Mizikowski. Cocksucker Mizikowski. CSM. Cocksucker Mizikowski. Cocksucker Mizikowski. Cocksucker Mizikowski. Remember him? CSM? David Cocksucker Mizikowski, according to Martin Zamani. And that really caught on. Just everyone knows David Mizikowski now as, as CSM or Cocksucker Mizikowski. You hear his name, that's immediately what you think. He's going to forever be known as a cocksucker. <laughs> Just because Martin Zamani called him that. But anyway, he was accused of being part of that whole Bryn Kenny multi-accounting ghosting and cheating ring. Well, he had to get in on the fun, too. He couldn't just let Ali Insrevic and Jake Schindler have all the fun. So, at the 3K No Limit event, which started on June 8th, he finished fourth. Fourth place for CSM. So, another final table for these alleged cheating figures from the spring of 2022. And he even got a cash in the Eight-handed high roller on June 4th. You know the one where Jake Schindler finished second? Well, CSM got 16th. Not quite the same, but hey, he did cash for 57000 and made a cool uh, 34000 profit on that one. Good old CSM. Off to a decent start. I don't know how much of that Bryn owned. I guess that's a way to look at it. The Bryn benefited there too, even if he's not winning himself. But wait, there's more. Now, this is not a cheating figure. This is not someone who is accused of any kind of cheating, to my knowledge. But he is accused of a bunch of other stuff. Nikki P., a.k.a. Nicholas Palma. Now, he's been the butt of a lot of jokes because the Massey brothers have been trolling him relentlessly on Twitter for a while. Nikki P. has borrowed from a lot of people and not paid them back. And he's drawn the ire of a lot of East Coast poker players who are sick of Nikki P.'s antics. And they've been trolling him very hard on Twitter for quite some time. Nikki P. is also notorious for blocking anyone with the slightest criticism of him. In fact, he graduated to blocking anyone who follows the Nikki P parody accounts. So you, even if you don't ever talk shit to Nikki P, he blocks you if you're following accounts that do. I'm not even kidding. Nikki P also was accused of uh, sexual assault by a girl he dated who actually came on Poker Fraud Alert and made these allegations and she said who she was so this wasn't anonymous and it was someone who really dated him now there's no way to know if she was telling the truth 
but she was never known as someone who made up drama in the past. In fact, she wasn't even well-known in poker. Her name was uh, Stephanie, and she made these allegations, so who knows? But that was also put out there. So Nikki P. is a figure that a lot of people in poker either dislike or laugh at, or sometimes both. He did get a bit of revenge on one of his biggest detractors, Tim Riley. And I mentioned this on a show not too long ago. Remember the whole Tim Riley fake vax card controversy? Where it was alleged that Tim Riley used a phony vaccination card to play the 2021 World Series when he actually had not gotten vaccinated? The one who pushed that was Nikki P. And he successfully pushed that, even though Nikki P.'s rep reputation was not particularly good, he was able to get some traction, and even Negranu started talking about it and really got it traction. So that was a bit of revenge that Nicky P got against one of the people trolling him. But the people trolling him are not doing so because they just like being trolls. These are people who feel that uh, he has wronged them in some way, and this is kind of their way of responding. Anyway, Nicky P has also had some success of the World Series of Poker. On June 2nd, he got a min cash at the housewarming, so we won't even talk about that. But on June 9th, he played the same No Limit Hold'em Freeze Out that I played. But he had a lot better result. I busted early. He finished 5th and cashed 85,761. And this is a big field event. There were 2,663 people. And these were actually individual people entering because you could not rebuy. He got fifth. So another final table. Look at that. So of these four, we had Ali Imstravik final tabling. We had Jake Schindler getting first and second. We had CSM final tabling. And we had Nikki P final tabling in a big field event. And Bryn Kenny, well... He didn't do any of that, but he did get some of those sweet CSM funds, I am assuming, because he was a longtime backer of CSM. So far, I'm not sure if Bryn Kenny has played, but he has not cashed in any World Series events. So isn't that nice? Don't you feel good? Don't you have a warm feeling inside that after everything said about Ali Imstravik and Jake Schindler and CSM and even Nikki P, that they're all having a good World Series. I bet you feel great. Now, I will say that at least with the first three, Jake Schindler, Ali Imstravik, and CSM, that they are known to be good players. I know Martin Zamani was saying that uh, CSM was a fish, but I don't believe that. So, especially Jake and Ali were known to be legitimately really good, but they were accused of cheating on top of that. CSM is kind of more under the radar, but I, I believe he's a good player. Nikki P, I've heard different things. I'm not sure if Nikki P is broke because he's a degenerate or just because he isn't that good and just loses more than he wins. But, yeah, he has to have some talent, probably, to get to uh, fifth place here in that huge field. So maybe Nikki P's pretty good, too. Who knows? But still, 
you got to have some luck to get that far in all these cases. So there's your feel-good story. Hope you enjoyed it. Here's another really feel-good story about a bracelet win. Not about a bad guy. Alex Livingston, who once came close to winning the main event, and he did win his first World Series of Poker bracelet. He was without a bracelet, despite his very deep, I think like third place uh, main event finish. He had not yet won a bracelet. So he said on his Twitter account the following regarding the bracelet that he won at the $1,500 seven-card stud event, which I also entered. Some of that money was mine. He tweeted on June 8th, remember just a day later, lost my bracelet within 20 minutes of receiving it. Do I wish this was a joke? Yes. Is this a joke? No. I have an 08 day two restart now, referring to the 10K 08 event, which I didn't play, considered it, but I didn't play. Let me know if anyone finds it. Possibly at the coffee place at Paris entrance. Then he said, $200 to return it to Paris table 143. Could be at the coffee shop or around there, or maybe one of the vacant tables in the main ballroom. So he tried to offer the $200 to get people out there looking for it. So what happened? Was the bracelet ever found? Yes. Four hours later, he tweeted, bracelet has been found and returned by security. So I guess he didn't have to cough up the 200 either. Thanks, everyone, for the retweets and help. Shout out to my haters and trolls in the comments. And yes, I am an idiot. (laughs) I still want to know how this happened. How do you lose your bracelet within 20 minutes? This is his first bracelet, too. How is it not on his wrist? See, he must have just been carrying it around. He must have been hungry or something after he won it and just went over to the coffee shop and bought something and just holding the bracelet in his hand. And then when he grabbed the food, he put it down and just didn't take it with him. But why is this not on his wrist? I don't get it. (laughs) 20 minutes after buying it, he lost it. Amazing. I actually thought I lost my bracelet once. Not on a trip or anything. Not at the World Series, but I, I at home it disappeared. And I was going crazy looking for it. I couldn't imagine where it went. I knew it didn't get stolen. I just thought, well, it got lost somewhere in the house. It's very unfortunate. And I was going nuts, looking, looking, looking. I was pretty tired when I realized that it was gone, so I just couldn't continue looking. I went to sleep. I woke up. And then I realized that I probably shouldn't have been looking for it when so tired because it turned out that my bracelet was never missing. Just the black case of it blended in with the back, the black background of where it was sitting the whole time. <laughs> True story. I don't know how I missed that. but I'm like, oh my God, my bracelet's missing. It was just camouflaged. It was, it was, my bracelet was being a chameleon. Well, the case was. The, the bracelet was inside the case which was black and the background was black where it was sitting and it just looked like a black surface to me i just didn't see the bracelet i thought it was gone isn't that nice but at least it was found even though it was never missing livingston's bracelet really was missing 
as I said, I entered that event. I ran bad in the middle of day one. I took a bad beat to go out, too. But had I been the winner there at that stud event, I guarantee I would have had that on my arm. I would not have lost that in 20 minutes. All right, so we're going to do two bonus topics now. I wasn't expecting to do bonus topics, but I forgot to put these on the agenda. I had intended to do them, and a listener reminded me. So here is the first bonus topic, and that is Dan Bilzerian. Dan Bilzerian, remember he was a GG Poker rep, and that it caused all kinds of controversy. Remember he called Vanessa Cade a hoe? I talked about that earlier. I've talked about it so many times when she criticized him. And Poker Twitter was outraged and attacked him. And I agreed he shouldn't have done that, but she milked it way too much. But that doesn't change the fact that Bulzerian wasn't a very good signing for GG Poker. And as time passed, it became more and more clear that it was a horrible signing. I understood what GG Poker was going for. They were still growing. It was basically GG Poker and Poker Stars as the two largest online poker sites in the world. And they were kind of going back and forth at the time, which was bigger. Now GG Poker is actually bigger. And they had already signed Negranu, who was once a Poker Stars rep, and then they let him go. Or at least, I don't know if they let him go or if they just offered him something too low. But whatever it was, it was clear that they were done with him. And he went over to GG and did a great job helping GG continue to grow. Bilzerian was brought in to presumably appeal to guys who might want to try online poker but aren't already part of the poker community. Because Bilzerian has a very large, overwhelmingly male following. And they knew that he has a lot of international followers, so they didn't have to worry about the fact that U.S. players can't play on GG because a ton of his followers are out of the country. So they felt that since he is someone who plays poker, he likes to call himself a poker pro, but we know he isn't really. We know he has family money. I believe he plays in or played in very big uh, poker games that that were private, that were hard to get into, that were good games because pros weren't allowed there. But he isn't a real poker pro. But still, he's associated with poker, definitely. But yet a lot of his following follows him for non-poker reasons. So it would stand to make sense that he could be a decent ambassador for that reason. However, he brings controversy to the table, and you have to deal with that. And if you're going to deal with that controversy that he brings, then you have to make sure you're getting the positive aspects of him. You have to make sure that he is really promoting it. He's really putting his being into promoting the brand. Because if he's not, it's pretty worthless. Then you get the bad part of him, the controversy that you have to defend why he's still there why he's still associated with you, but not the good part where he brings new people in. You need him to bring new people to the site. And if 
whatever he's doing doesn't produce that, then the sponsorship was a failure. And he doesn't come cheap. I don't know what they paid him, but I'm sure he didn't come cheap. So right off the bat, when they signed him and announced it, and then Vanessa Cade said he's a sexist and a misogynist, whatever, and she wasn't well known back then. And he called her a hoe. He said, shut it up, shut up, hoe, H-O-E, nobody knows who you are. That was already a bad start. He was punching down. He should have just just ignored her and moved on. Not just for the whole reason of giving it attention, but also because it's a bad look, referring to a female critic as a hoe, especially because it didn't really describe Vanessa Cade. You can say she's a drama queen, and I would agree, but she's not a hoe. I haven't heard that about her. I don't think anyone thinks that about her. So it's just a dumb thing to say. So anyway, that was the start of it. But there became a lot of other issues which were not related to Vanessa Cade. And they didn't fire him from this. And they didn't make him apologize or anything like that. And I doubt he would have if they demanded it. Apparently, there was early on a contest. And I know I talked about this before, but I got some details a little bit wrong. So I'll clarify here. There was a contest for Dan Bilzerian's birthday, I think also in December of 2020. And uh, if you won the contest, then you would win a ticket to play in a uh, some kind of free roll to eventually play him heads up, something like that, where it's like a $3,000 ticket you're, where you're winning. What confused me was, was like a $100,000 uh, free roll thing, but it, was, uh, it wasn't like a $100,000 first prize and it wasn't a $100,000 heads up free roll match against him. Like the whole thing of what she won was something like 3000 and that was never explained properly until very recently when I brought it up on Twitter again and someone corrected me and then showed me the truth of the matter. But the exact amount doesn't matter. Yeah, 100000 is a lot more eye-popping than 3000 But the bottom line is he actually did have to play her heads up. She had won the opportunity to play him heads up and, and uh, you know win $3,000 or whatever. And he never showed for it. So here they center this whole contest around him and his birthday. You get this contest to, I think it was a tournament or something, to win the opportunity to play Dan Bilzerian heads up, and he just never showed up. So the winner was a woman named Alex O'Brien, and he just never played her. Gigi was ignoring this for a long time and making this excuses until she kept bringing it up on Twitter, and then it was suggested, uh, hey, can I play Vanessa Cade heads up for a charity? The winner will give it to charity. So that's what they did. I'm not even sure who won it. But that was the eventual way they rectified it. Dan never even made good on that, which is pretty bad because here they had this whole promotion about playing Dan Bilzerian heads up. And I don't care what you're trying to win. He's got to show up for things like this. This is part of the job. This is why you're signing on as a sponsor. And he just never played it. There was also a problem where he was just not enthusiastically promoting Gigi Poker. He basically just wasn't promoting Gigi Poker. And he was at some kind of Gigi Poker party. And when he was interviewed on Poker News by Tiffany Michelle, of all people, he was 
in fact, very clear during the interview that he was there because he had to be there. He said something like uh, that this isn't really what I would normally go to, but, you know, GG, referring to, you know, I have to because I'm representing GG, something along those lines. That's not his exact quote. But he made it very clear that, you know, she was trying to get him to comment on what a great party this is, and all he did was uh, bash it indirectly and, and make everybody realize that he was only there because he's obligated to be there by contract. That's not the type of promotion they want. The whole point of having him there was to feel like you're partying with Dan Bilzerian and having fun, not that Dan Bilzerian can't wait to leave and that he would only go if uh, he was compelled to. <laughs> That's not the type of partying you want to do. That's not the image you want to show of someone who is associated with your site, that they're only associating with you at a party because you're making them. (laughs) So how can he do these things while supposedly under contract to promote them? I still don't understand that part. Now, this was all known before. This is not new information because... It came out that Dan Bilzerian was fired. This was in early March of 2022. It was announced, but not officially, that Dan Bilzerian had been canned. Now, the weird thing about that March date was that it didn't coincide with his signing date of December. Usually when people leave a site as a sponsored pro... It is exactly a year from when they signed their previous contract. So you look back when they signed, and you'll always see it's the same month as when they're leaving. Because the contract's up, and they don't renew for whatever reason. Sometimes one side, sometimes the other, sometimes mutual, whatever. The only time you really see termination in the middle of the contract is where something really bad happens, and they just want no association with that person anymore. So whenever you just see someone abruptly dropped like that in the middle of a, of a deal... That really means that something went wrong. Often they don't publicize what it was, but that's usually what that means. Well, with Bilzerian, March was a weird month, and I mentioned that because if he signed in December 2020, it would make sense if he were fired in December 2021. But March of 2022 made it look like he re-signed, only to be canned less than three months later. So what the hell? But this is being reported pretty widely back in early March, that he had been fired. And then GG Poker clarified something. They clarified that he actually had not been fired. This is on March 23rd, about two weeks after the story went around that he had been fired. They didn't correct it the next day. They just wouldn't comment. And then oddly, two weeks later, they said this, GG Poker would like to confirm that Dan Bilzerian remains a partner. We will continue to work closely with Dan to engage new player communities and grow our favorite game. Expect to hear about some new and exciting partnership activities in the coming months. What the hell? So they were trying to say he wasn't actually fired. Now, to their credit, they didn't say that he was fired. That was just going around in poker media, but someone seemed pretty sure of it. And it didn't seem like this was just made up out of nowhere, because if it was, they wouldn't have taken two weeks to clarify this. They would have 
right away shot back, nope, that's a false rumor, sorry. Here, it took two weeks. So my assumption at the time was that they changed their minds. They came to terms with Bilzerian, and he said, okay, okay, look, just don't fire me. Give me one more chance. I'll promote GG better. Sorry about that. I I thought it was something like that, where he hadn't uh, officially been fired, or if he was, they undid it. But it was weird. It was weird that two weeks later they come back with, we're still working with him. And he hadn't been promoting Gigi. That was the problem. <laughs> like, we'll continue to work closely with him to engage new player communities and grow our favorite game. Well, But that hadn't been happening. So did these exciting partnership activities in the coming months become a real thing? Of course not. We heard nothing about Dan Bilzerian and Gigi Poker after that one statement. It was as if he was not there. But we got our answer. We got our answer because Dan Bilzerian went on a fairly big show called the No Jumper podcast, which is on YouTube. It's not a poker show, but they will sometimes uh, have uh, poker and gambling figures on there. And he went on this No Jumper, and he talked about a lot of different things. But he got into the poker stuff about an hour into the show. And he said a lot of things that uh, raised eyebrows. Let's go to the part about the GG Poker thing. This is at the one hour, 12 minute mark. Why is there no more uh, Dan Bozarian avatars on uh, GG? Um, so I just, man, I don't know. I just couldn't fucking post. Like I couldn't promote it. Like, I don't know. It just seemed cheesy. I, right. You signed to them. And then it was noted by many people that we almost saw no promotion on your end. Dude, I'm so bad about it, man. I get offered so much money to do fucking promos. I just can't, I just don't have the heart to do it. Really? No, man. I've but been, you don't have somebody on your team that could throw it up in your story? I don't so let don't anybody to touch it? my shit. I got oh. offered $3 million to promote an NFT. I got offered fucking, you know, 3 million plus equity to promote a crypto coin. Um, I don't know, man. I, I just, I just won't sell out. I don't know. Right. But and you, did, I didn't, you and signed I didn't really the contract cons- with GG, though, right? Yeah, but like, they're, like the whole premise of it was that they were going to fucking like put me in high stakes cash games, and I was going to get the content there, right? Like that was kind of the thing. Is like it wasn't supposed to be me sitting on a fucking laptop. They also told me that they're going to give me a bunch of money to play online. And so like, okay, if I'm fucking you know playing a bunch of fucking money online, like I could get a picture out of that. But when the fucking deal kind of like regressed to where they didn't want to do the TV show or like all this other stuff, like. Okay, like, I'm not going to come up with fake content, you know? And, like, you know, like, I went down to Turks and Caicos to, like, promote one of their free roll tournaments or whatever, and they didn't do it the way I said. Like, I told them that I wanted to fucking, like, have it wide open, just let anybody fucking enter the free roll tournament. They wanted people to deposit a certain amount of money. So that, because I was like, cast the big net and then retarget all these people. That works. I know that works. They didn't want to do it. They wanted to do it their way. Dude, I spent like $170,000 between jet fuel and the fucking villa and all the shit in Turks and Caicos. You know, and so it's like I was in this spot where I'm like, and they and they said that they'd like they'd, they'd pay for the travel cost, but I don't think they like understood. Like that's the way I travel. Like I'm not. <laughs> hey, let me stop this. A lot to unpack here. So at the beginning, he says that it was cheesy. He just couldn't bring himself to promote it. That he's just so bad with doing these things. And I kind of believe that 
and I kind of believe that he was bitter about things not going the way he expected. You know, he obviously signed for a reason, and he probably intended to promote them at the beginning. Maybe the Vanessa Cade thing was something that really torpedoed the enthusiasm on both sides. Even though they didn't bash him or apologize for him or anything, maybe that already created a sour taste and they kind of were already starting to back away from him, even though he was under contract. Or maybe they were hoping it kind of go away and he wasn't happy with their commitment to him anymore. I, I don't know. I mean, there's two sides to every story. I do think it's ridiculous that when they say he'll pay, they'll pay for his travel expenses, that he's mad that they won't spend $170,000 for him to travel to some islands. <laughs> you can't just say, dude, that's the way I travel. No. When someone says they will pay your travel expenses, that means reasonable travel expenses. Now, if he wanted to say he wants to go first class, fine, but... Not on a private jet, that's on him. And not to get a private villa, that's on him. So travel expenses doesn't mean that. That's what's funny that he would say that. The rest of the stuff, they're saying that they would put him in high-stakes cash games. That's what he's claiming was the agreement, and then they wouldn't do it. And then they claim they give him a bunch of money online to play high-stakes on GG Poker, and then they wouldn't do it. You know, maybe these were just things that they were telling him they might do and they didn't do it because this should have been in the contract. He obviously had a contract with them. So something like the travel expenses, you could say, okay, this was a misunderstanding on both sides. He thought that they would just pay whatever he's going to spend traveling there, even if it's 170000 and they meant, no, we'll get you like a first-class seat on an airline. So you can see on that sort of thing, how it could be a misunderstanding. But as far as putting him in online or live cash games, you would think he would say, as part of this agreement, Mr. Blazerian will receive X amount of dollars to play online every month on GG Poker, and then he's expected to play in these games and spend this much time playing, whatever, or he is going to receive this much to play in high-stakes cash games, and that he will wear GG insignia and take a lot of pictures there and post it on his Instagram. Like, that's what the contract would say. And it's hard for me to believe that they would write into the contract that they would do these things and just not do them. So I think if they claimed in the contract they're going to give him X number of dollars, whether live or online, I would think they would do it. So there's got to be more to that story. I'm not saying he's completely making it up. I'm saying there's got to be more to that story. Now, maybe they decided that having him wearing GG insignia while playing high-stakes cash games or high-stakes games on the site wasn't really worth it to them once the whole Vanessa Cade thing happened and they wanted to die down. Who knows? But if it's in the contract, it's in the contract. I'd love to know what the real story is there. Let's go on and continue listening. I'm not going to get on a commercial flight. I didn't buy a jet so that I could fucking fly commercial like, I, you know what I mean? I'm not, and then I wasn't even fucking like really enjoying myself in Turkey Caicos. I was writing my goddamn book the whole fucking time, but I had to get it out of the country so that I could do their fucking post. So initially, like I tried to do it, you know what I mean? I like did some posts, like I drove them a fuckload of traffic, you know, but then they were supposed to give me like a percentage of the people that I, that I recruited. And, you know, we had like a hundred thousand fucking downloads. There's like a lot of people. Right. And so like their the numbers that they were saying that they were going to pay me was, you know, like millions a month. So like, okay, for millions a month, like, cool, you know, we can do something, but you know, they weren't really paying me the affiliate revenue. 
Ah, okay. So this is starting to make more sense. So they probably had a discussion with Dan about what he could potentially make with his huge following. Remember, he has, what, like 18 million followers on Instagram? I haven't checked recently, but whatever it is. And they say, Dan, a lot of the people who follow you are out of the U.S. They can play on GG Poker and just promote it, get people to download it, and we will give you X percentage of the rake generated. And he probably said, okay, sweet. Or maybe he wasn't even rake generated. Maybe it was uh, a payment per sign up and real money deposit. But it was some kind of deal like that. And they probably quoted him, if you get such and such number of people to sign up and they play this much on average, then you'll make millions per month. And he was like, wow, maybe it was some sort of rake deal. So it was something like ongoing. So maybe that's what they quoted him, that you have such a huge following that if you could just get this many people, which probably didn't seem like a big number, to sign up and, and play regularly, you'll just rake in millions per month doing nothing. And this was very appealing to him. So that's probably why he did this deal in the first place. Now, maybe this was attached to what they were going to give him in the cash games and the online games. Maybe some of that was going to go towards buy-ins to these games Maybe he was all hinging upon that, and then it turned out he didn't really bring any kind of real active players there. I mean, maybe a few, but it didn't do anywhere near the numbers of what they were saying it would do. So he's saying it got 100,000 downloads. Well, yeah, it got 100,000 downloads, and then most people didn't want to put money on and play, or if they did, they played microstakes and quit when they lost, and that was that. And they probably did not get that many grinders who raked a lot that would give Dan that percentage. So he probably didn't make that much from this and was very disappointed. And then he lost complete enthusiasm. And I've seen this before. I've seen it where someone enters some kind of partnership. I mean, this was a little bit different because he was a promoter and also an affiliate. But I've also seen where people will enter a partnership with a business thinking it's going to get them rich. And they're very, very excited about it. They put a lot of work and a lot. Of, they have a lot of enthusiasm and they seem like they're going to sink or swim with the business. And then when they start to notice that all of the projected profits of this supposedly can't-miss business idea don't materialize, even though the business hasn't crashed and burned yet, the person becomes very unenthusiastic. And they start to do less and less. And they start to show up less and less. And eventually they kind of just bail out and disappear. Because they're just not motivated anymore. In fact, I kind of pictured that's what happened with Bill Reaney with WSOP.com. That when he signed on there, he thought he was going to be the head of something huge. And then when it was a fail site, then all he wanted to do was hide. Especially because he was so uncomfortable with the people on social media criticizing him which was deserved but he couldn't handle that and he was thinking shit you know not only am i getting bashed on twitter but this site is a fail site and it's never going to go anywhere i can see it just stuck and spinning its wheels and then eventually he left 
So I could totally see that Bilzerian just probably checked out, and he believed that he was lied to. He's probably going to claim, if you were to ask him if this were to go to court, I don't know if it's going to go to court, but if this were to go to court, he would probably claim that they misrepresented his likely income from this. And that once he realized that they had misrepresented it, that he didn't want to perform on the rest of the contract because he felt he was misled. I think that would be his claim. I don't know if it would hold up. I'd have to see the contract. And even then, I'm not an expert on contract law. But I at least have a better idea if I were to see that. I never will see it, most likely. But if I did, then I'd have a better idea of what's going on. But that's my guess right now, is that they promised millions a month was going to come in if such and such number of downloads happen. And then he didn't get anywhere near what was expected. And he was pissed. But their response is, look, we can't control who plays and doesn't play. It's not our fault that your followers don't really want to play poker. Maybe you didn't promote well enough. So, sorry, we said millions if such and such happens. If such response happens, you didn't get that response. So, oh, well. We said you're getting a percentage, not a promised flat fee. That would be their answer. Let's go on. And so, yeah, we just agreed to just kind of like end it, you know. How much of a storm was it early on when the actual poker community was having their little fit about you getting signed to GG? Like, how much did they actually care? And was there any actual heat on you? I would assume that at this point, you don't really care that much. Yeah, I mean, I don't know, man. Most poker players are fucking nerds, you know? Like, I don't (laughs) really hang out with that many of them. I don't really want to associate with them. I mean, I shut most of them out of my fucking games. Like, I never let pros in, really. Like, we had some semi-pros and shit that I'd take pieces of. But, like, I don't know. I mean... Uh, yeah, I mean, they're just, to me, I mean, yeah, they just, like, seem like the typical, like, online troll fucking dude. I mean, like, the guys that are, like, playing, like, really, like, the real guys, I mean, I'm friends with most of the fucking real guys, like, the fucking, you know, I don't know, uh, fucking Roble and Jungle Man and Antonio and, like, all the OGs, like, Phil Ivey, you know what I mean? Like, I know all, like, the real guys. But, you know, all these, like, random fucking online grinders, like, I don't really give a fuck. But Gigi didn't really make it a big deal to you? Uh, Believe it or not, I was, like, surprised they stuck by me, you know, after that whole, like, you know, when I told that chick to fucking fuck off or whatever. Shut up, hoe, or something, I think it was. Yeah, something along those. Man, she fucking clung on to that fucking tweet, (laughs) rode that motherfucker to a contract. And then she won $1.5 million, like, two weeks later, which I thought was a pretty nice little Cinderella story. That was so painful. Beating the fucking villain, Dan Bozarian. So painful to watch. <laughs> He's saying it was painful to watch her win the 1.5 million on Poker Stars. He is right that she wrote it though. She wrote it really hard. She, in fact, was getting on people's nerves, and a lot of people forget that because when she won the 1.5 million, then that reset the narrative. Then all of a sudden, she was a darling again. But she got on people's nerves in between there, both by over pressing the matter about Bolzerian and also that tweet about how she can't find any good men to date in poker and basically they're all losers. So can't forget about that tweet either. But all that was forgotten when she won that one and a half million because as was just said there by that no jumper guy, it was like a Cinderella story that Dan Bolzerian picks on her and calls her a hoe and nobody knows who she, she is and then not too long after that, she wins $1.5 million and everyone knows who she is. 
<laughs> I mean, it was a pretty good story. And that really propelled her into a lot more popularity. And people looked past, for the moment, some of the other stuff. And then she got back in some drama again involving ACR. But, yeah, it's interesting he's saying it was painful to watch her win. <laughs> I had a feeling. Watch this fucking idiot. But, yeah. So, because, like, she, you know, she got on there just, like, talking all this shit. And it's just, like, it's just so typical of, like, that fucking, like, feminist movement. They'll fucking talk all this shit. And you say one thing, and they're like, oh, my God, I'm so fucking offended. You know, like, I called this guy a piece of shit and a scumbag and this and that. And, like, drug his name through the mud. But then he says one thing to me, and it's like, it reminds me of, like, the soccer players when they get, like, flicked in the face with a finger and they fall on the ground and like flop around you know that's like how i describe her like you know what I mean? like one comment she's like flopping on the ground like oh my god by the way we skipped over the comment that's getting the most attention here in poker media right now and that is the nerds comment he said i don't hang out with poker players they're mostly a bunch of nerds and then he clarified that he likes the quote og guys who quote really play and mentioned like ivy and antonio esfandiari and Andrew Robel. I'm surprised he didn't mention John Robert. But anyway, he mentioned guys like that and says he's friends with them, but that he doesn't like the online grinders and he thinks they're nerds. And, of course, there is a big backlash to that in the poker community. Oh my God, he called us nerds. Blah, 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 blah. I didn't find that very interesting. I didn't. I mean, the truth is, a lot of the online poker grinders are nerds. And that's fine. I'm not saying this in an insulting way. I'm a guy from the uh, 1980s computer scene. Okay, so I'm not insulting nerds here. But the truth is a lot of them are. That's how they got so good with all their uh, mathematical analytics of the game. And their constant quest to play Game Theory Optimal. I mean, of course those are nerds. So he's right about that. These people don't have much in common with him. And they also don't have that much in common with some of these uh, older school players who do it more by feel. So I don't think that's really an earth-shattering comment. But people are jumping on it because it's like an insult to the community. Now, this was still a bad signing. There's no question. This just wasn't right from the start. And I understand what he's saying about Vanessa, that she did insult him first. That is true. I also understand that when he responded, that she did overdo it of how uh, terrible it was. But again, it goes back to the punching down thing. When you are the celebrity and when an unknown female criticizes you and when you do make your brand about being surrounded with a bunch of bikini-clad women and you act like you're the one guy and 20 girls and it's implied that you're partying with them all and having sex with them all and he's really not these are just models but that's supposed to be the implication when you're looking at these things of course you're going to have women who don't take well to that and feminists who think it's degrading and i don't really care about that part i it's just theater it's just modeling basically and these girls know exactly what they're doing and they're paid well for it so whatever that's fine i don't really understand the criticism there but you're gonna get it 
especially in this day and age. And you'd think, okay, let people say that. Who cares? You're, you're doing something that is likely to generate some critics. And you just let it go because you're the famous one and they're not. And you just let them say it. And you have to expect that's part of being famous, especially famous doing things that are going to be a little bit controversial. So you can't attack people who are attacking you just by criticizing you. It's not like she's showing up to his house and stalking him or something or throwing things at him. I mean, she's just criticizing him on Twitter. So he should have just ignored it. He's, he's missing that part. But it is true. You, you can't attack a famous person and then go, oh, my God, look what they said back to me. And that was part of my problem with that whole thing and how she handled it. Let's go on. Do you think this is the end of you as a, a poker ambassador, though? You just don't got it in you at this point? Um, I mean, you know, poker's kind of a th- you know thing that I've like moved on from. I mean, I play, you know, like I was, I kind of like transitioned from the ring game stuff more towards the heads up, and I would play some heads up. Um, I would play like some you know high stakes heads up and stuff like that. But I, you know, I stopped playing online a long time ago. Um, I think you know, I mean, and then the collusion, the cheating, all this stuff has come out. I mean, and then the ultimate bet they had cheating. I mean, there's been a lot of fucking issues with the online play, you know, and I was never really a big fan of the online. It's like, like I said, the biggest problem was that you have money in that fucking account. It's like always there. Like you can play anytime. And it's like, man, it's just such a fucking negative impact in your life. You know? And like the, after playing so much online during the pandemic, I remember the first time I came to Vegas after the pandemic. And normally when I play, it's on the hustler live stream, bunch of loose ass players. Everybody's having a good time. People are drinking. So it's like a great, game like that mr beast game looked like a fun right, game exactly yeah but then i come to vegas and i go sit down to play five ten, and everyone's on their phone everyone's got a mask on everybody's playing crazy tight like super boring and after playing online for the whole pandemic i was thinking like oh playing live is gonna be so fun and then i get there and i'm like fuck you just sucks. have to play recreational guys you know like you just have to get in those private games because here's the fucking truth of the matter. Some fucking rich guy that's playing poker for entertainment is not going to play 17% of hands. He's just fucking not, you know? And he's not going to, like, bluff the correct amount of times. Like, they're going to, like, and it, I'm the same way, dude. I play fucking, you know, 70% of hands. Like, you know, and that's, and, and if everybody's doing that, it's a different game. There's different calculations and there's different hand values and you play your hands differently and you, you know what I mean? The whole thing changes. Nine guys see the fucking flop. You know what I mean? It's a different dynamic. So, I've that's kind of how I came up is playing in those games, which is not fucking ABC, which is not like, you know, how these standard online hundred big blind games are fucking run. Like we were playing with 500, a thousand big blinds, you know, so we're playing super fucking deep. So you can call for those gut shots and you know what I mean? Like you can put big pressure on people and it's just a, it's a very different, different game. And like I said, when you're playing against guys that are playing recreationally and they're playing all these fucking hands, they're just not going to have a strong hand very often, right? If you're playing 90% of fucking hands, like you're not going to be in there with a with a hand that can withstand a fucking, you know, check raise on the turn very often, right? So like in that Mr. Beast game, there was like a hand where uh Phil raised and all the YouTubers just folded and they all were like, "Phil, we know you have a strong hand." And he did. And it was like the first hand of the whole session where everybody just folded, and it was so perfect that even these like super mega recreational players had picked up on Phil being too tight. Yeah, we talked about that before. They okay. were on set. They so, were on set. So that's all I'm going to play of this. You can go watch the rest if you want. It's 
a long interview. It's almost two hours. I played you from the middle, starting from an hour 12. Uh, he's saying he's done with poker. I don't know if that's true. It's possible that whatever games he was getting going before just aren't really happening now. Because that was where he preferred to play, where he had fish with him. And maybe those fish aren't playing anymore. Maybe they're playing somewhere else. Maybe he doesn't get invited to where they are playing. I don't know. But clearly he's not someone who's going to go sit down in a high-stakes game at the Bellagio against all the crushers. He's not going to do that. Or the Aria, wherever. He wants a controlled environment without poker pros where there's a lot of fish at the table who are also very well-funded. That's what he's looking for. He's basically being a uh, Toby Maguire here. Which, okay, that's his right. It's his money. He can do what he wants. But when he says he's done with poker, it's not like he was a, a long-time grinder. And we're like, oh, well, we're not going to see Dan Bilzeri in, uh, at the Bellagio every day anymore. Or we're not going to see him playing uh, online every day. I mean, there was a time when he did play in the casinos like that. In fact, that's how I met him. I met him before... Most of you knew who he was. In fact, almost nobody knew who he was when I met him. But he is apparently mostly done with it. And I think poker's kind of done with him, too. But I'm not offended by that nerd's comment. And as far as GG, I'm really curious to see if they're going to sue him. Because he actually stated plainly on there that he couldn't bring himself to promote them. Later on, he gave some reasons of why he was irritated with them. But unless there's language in the contract that says that if they fail to perform in such and such way, then the contract is invalid or he doesn't have to perform this way, then he could be legally liable. Now, he may figure that they are also legally liable and that he could countersue and win so no one's going to sue the other. It's also possible that when they terminated their association that they both agreed that neither would sue the other. But you would think if there was such an agreement, there would be also be a non-disparagement agreement. And it looks like there must not have been one because he's disparaging them right now. <laughs> I don't know if GG Poker has idiots writing contracts or what. Because either he is tremendously in breach here or they did not write these contracts correctly. They should have set out very clearly what he needs to do, when he needs to do it, and penalties if he doesn't. That's what they should have done. And they also should have had him agree, when they parted ways, to a non-disparagement agreement. Now, he wouldn't necessarily have to sign that. It's his free speech. If he doesn't want to agree to non-disparagement, then he doesn't have to. But they could have also pre-written that in the contract. That could have been part of the initial contract, that upon termination, that there will be non-disparagement on both sides. But apparently they didn't have that unless he's violating it. So I think they're putting together stupid contracts. And maybe this is the first time they're getting burned. Maybe all their other pros have lived up to what was promised. Like Negranu, if you sign him, he's not going to fuck around. Negranu's going to do what's asked of him. Negranu understands what they're ex expecting of him, and he's going to do it. And as you've seen, he's been 
very aggressively promoting Gigi, and I'm sure they're happy with what they're getting from him. I don't know if, what it's translating to as far as new signups because he's there, and probably they don't even know that. But he is doing what's expected of him, and that's very clear. And I think they don't have to put together a very strict or punitive contract if he doesn't, because he's not likely to bail on them. He's not likely to screw them. He's not likely to just not do what he promised because he's been down this road before. But, you know, it never hurts to have language stating exactly what is expected of the person and what would put them in breach and what happens if they get in breach. Because you never know. You never know what occurs. So sometimes it's good to have stuff in the contract just in case things happen and things don't work out as you're expecting at the moment. But if you're going to not have that type of language, at least do it with someone that you know is unlikely to cause an issue in that way. But someone new like Bilzerian, who's kind of such a wild card, such a loose cannon, that's a tremendous mistake. Now, maybe these were very good contracts and he's just breaching them and maybe they just don't want to go after him. Because remember, if they sue him, then that creates a whole new set of drama. And maybe they don't want that. Maybe they really just want to walk away and now he's kind of kicking them. Maybe it's kind of like if you break up with a girl and then she goes on Twitter and starts bashing you. And you think, you know, I kind of want to respond to this and bash her. But then I'm going to create a whole spectacle and everyone's going to watch. Maybe I better just let this die down and say nothing. Like maybe it's along those lines. Maybe this is a breakup that they just hope goes away quietly. Because they're taking in so much money that maybe suing him for whatever they paid him isn't worth it. And they, they also may not win, especially if he can try to make a convincing case that they got him into this contract with false promises about all the rakeback that he's going to make and that he wasn't making anywhere near what they projected he would and that they misled him. But this was not a good signing. This was not a lucrative signing. This likely did not translate into many players who raked a lot on there. I think all that they were hoping for out of this, just nothing came true. Nothing good came from this. Only controversy. Okay, so we're going to move on to our second bonus topic. And that is Mickey Maz. So remember, we had Mickey on this show. First, we talked about Mickey. We did a long segment on Mickey. And then we actually had him on here. Because Mickey made a lot of claims I didn't believe. And I tried to get him on this show and he kept kind of saying yes, but then wouldn't allow me to nail down a time and it just seemed like he wasn't really interested in coming on. But you know what made him come on was someone directed his attention to the show where I talked about him. And I actually was kind of hoping he wouldn't hear that because I was afraid he'd get pissed off and not want to come on here. But it had the opposite effect. He listened and he got irritated that I was doubting him. And then he abruptly is like, okay, you want me to come on? I'll come on right now. Just let's do this right now. So I had to drop everything and get him on here. And it was an interesting interview. Now, he was 
kind of nasty to me. He was kind of uh, abusive during the interview, but he, I just took it. I didn't care. I was uh, just letting him talk, just letting him spew. I had questions for him, and then I just let him give his answers and let the listener decide. He did promise that we could meet up and he would show me his win-loss statements at these casinos to prove that he was really a winner, and of course, that didn't happen. And I even asked him about it, and he just ignored me. He ghosted me. Not a surprise. But what's happened since then? Well, a number of things, but on March 29th, I believe, he appeared on Hustler Casino Live, and he only brought 15K there, lost it, and then didn't appear back on the show. So he was just gone, which meant he only brought 15K. He claimed that he forgot to bring the money and he didn't know it was playing that big. So some people were theorizing that Mickey was down to relatively low funds and couldn't afford to donk off much money on there anymore. Actually, I think it was a bit longer ago than March 29th. I think it was sometime in March, though. doesn't matter. He only brought 15K there and didn't rebuy, and people kind of raised eyebrows at that, given the multi-multi-millionaire image that he portrays. But that's not what we're going to talk about here. He put up something on his TikTok related to his attempt to register for the World Series of Poker and some difficulty he ran into that I'd like you guys to hear. I'm playing in the World Series of Poker this year. My tournament schedule has my first tournament starting a few days ago, and I'm fairly stacked all the way through mid-July. I go in for my first tournament, and I'm in the registration room, which is the room where you like do your buy-in, you register, you sign the release to be on TV, and whatever. And I'm by myself, and I'm minding my business, and I'm focused. I'm in the zone. I'm ready to go play. Two security guards, they come up to me, and they basically just press me up against the wall. And they says, I want to see your ID. And I says, what's up? Now, I know what type of time they're on. I'm not new to this. I post these kind of videos all the time. You know, whatever. But I oblige. I don't want a scene. I don't want an issue. I just want to stay focused and play my tournament. I give them my ID. They radio up. They says, uh, we have to remove you from our property. And I said, what are you talking about? They go, uh, you're banned. You're 86. You're trespassed. We got to remove you. I said, no, I'm not. I said, fellas, I really think we should think this one through. Let's talk about it. And we talked for a little bit. They radioed a little more. They got confirmation I'm supposed to be there. No problem. And the truth is I am allowed to be there. And I know that. I got confirmation beforehand. I know I can be there. I'm playing in the WSOP. I am not breaking any rules. And I know this. I'm minding my business. I am on my best behavior by the book. Chilling, calm, alone, quiet in my own zone. The registration room is in a hallway which connects both towers. I walk out of the registration room. I walk down a hallway and I take a seat at a blackjack table. And I, I only took a seat because I was chilling. I was wasting time and I was using my phone for a second. And I know most people are going to say, well, you can't use your phone at a blackjack table. I'm going to tell you something. I'm a special case and yes, I can. So I'm sitting at the table. This is not but three minutes after the first encounter I had with security. They asked me for my player's card. I have a seven stars card. I throw it down on the table. No problem. They take it. As soon as I put it down, when they take it, uh, the floor person, she takes it and she goes, wait right here. And I says, what are you talking about? I said, what's with the tone? What, why would you say that to me? 
immediately I get surrounded by all the uh, pit bosses, all the floor people, and all the security. I says, what is going on? They says, we need to remove you from this property. You are banned, 86, trespassed. We don't care, WSOP or not, you got to go. At this point, I've had enough. I didn't want a scene. I'm trying to focus and play in the WSOP and just chill. I called the executive. I, specifically, who I called was the vice president of Caesars Entertainment. And I did it on speakerphone. And he answers first ring. And he goes, hey, Mick, how you doing? I says, all your dogs are here trying to just bark, bark, bark and throw me off the property. I said, I need you to call your dogs off. I said, I've had enough. This is crazy. And I got my first tournament. I need this to stop now. It's on speakerphone. He calls them off. He makes them all apologize. And they all look stupid. But I have both of those encounters fully filmed on camera. Let me know if I should post it. Yeah, I want to see that posted. So what really happened here? I don't think he made this whole thing up. In fact, the hallways he describes are pretty accurately described. Not that he couldn't have just walked to the World Series area and seen it and just manufactured the story. But I don't think he totally manufactured the story. The hallways he described, as I said, do connect Paris and Bally's. And the way he was describing his movement in the area does seem accurate for the way it's laid out there. So the fact that he's actually doing it this way rather than just say, oh, I went here, then I went there, I went there, that shows that he's doing it from actual memory, most likely. Yeah, he could have thrown in that detail to make it sound more realistic, but my read is that something did happen there. But what? Did he really get, at first... 86th when he was in the registration line and then got confirmation from someone in uh, middle management that it's okay for him to be there. And then did he really walk to the blackjack table shortly after registering and get surrounded in 86th the second time in a very short time and then call the vice president on speaker who answered on the first ring, who then not only reversed the 86, but actually told everybody there to apologize to him. So what do I think happened? Well, first of all, we have to look at why would he be banned? I know what Mickey would say. Mickey would say, I got banned because I'm beating them for so much money. But I think we know the truth. I think we know that's not really what was happening and not really why he was banned. Obviously, this ban didn't just come out of nowhere. In fact, notice he doesn't express shock or surprise at his ban. Now, remember when I got banned from the Venetian? Remember my story about that? Still hasn't been resolved. I still haven't been back there. But that was legit shock and surprise when I found out about my ban, as well as when I found out about the reason for the ban, where I was accused of something I absolutely did not do, and I could prove I did not do if they would go look at the footage, which for whatever reason they wouldn't do. So that was real shock and surprise, because one, I didn't think I was banned, and two, when I found out why, it didn't make any sense, and it was something I clearly didn't do. But Mickey in this story wasn't saying, like, what? Why would I be banned? I'm not banned from here. Instead, it looked like he was banned, but got it undone. And that he was annoyed that they were kicking him out anyway. That someone hadn't gotten the memo that he got the ban reversed. So it does seem like he's already acknowledging, even though not directly, that there was a ban and that he just reversed it somehow prior to coming there to register for the World Series and that he was being thrown out unjustly at that point because he's not supposed to be banned anymore. So why would he get banned? 
the rumblings I've heard, and again, these are just rumblings, so maybe they're true, maybe they're not, were that it was, it was something behavioral. I don't know what, but it was something behavioral, not just from, not because he was killing them and because they can't beat him, but it was something behavioral. That's what I have heard. Is it possible that Mickey, being the whale that he is, was able to convince someone in Caesar's upper management, maybe this vice president he's talking about, to give him one more chance? Say, okay, I won't behave this way anymore. I won't be a problem again. Just give me one more shot here. Might they give him that one more shot because of the amounts he's gambling and probably not winning like he claims he is? Yes, that's possible. But then how do you explain two attempts to 86 him within a very short time, which sounds like on the same visit? I could understand if he was somehow still in the system that he was being 86 and he had to clear that up first, I'm talking about the registration line thing, before they let him stay. You know, maybe the guards came over and said, you're 86, you're not supposed to be here. He said, yes, I am. You don't understand. I got this cleared up. They say, no, you didn't. We don't have that information. And then he says, look, you, you know, please go check it with them. Go check with such and such person. They'll verify it. And then you know, some time was taken. And then they came back with, okay, you're right. You're unbanned. Uh, go about your business. But then why would this happen a second time? And why wouldn't he just cite whoever he spoke to a very short time before that, that said he could still be there. Now, maybe he got permission to only play the World Series, but that wouldn't make a lot of sense because that's not why they'd want him there. If he's such a nuisance that they just don't want his action, even though he brings a lot of big action there, why would they say, okay, we're going to let you be here, but you can only register for tournaments where we make the same off you as we do off everybody else? That would kind of be defeating the whole purpose of letting him back there, which would be to make a lot of money from him. Here they'd be letting him back to potentially be a behavioral problem, but at the same time, not making very much from him. (laughs) So I don't believe it was just like a World Series-only permission. I do think it's possible that he was banned and unbanned and not everybody got the memo. I just don't understand this second thing. Now, maybe he's leaving something out, Or maybe what happened was he was banned, he got unbanned, then he got hassled by security, that eventually security checking with the person who verified he was unbanned let him go back to registering. And then someone above that person said, oh, no, 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 we don't want Mickey here. No, 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 he's not unbanned, F him. And then told them to kick him again the next time they saw his card anywhere, which came when he went to sit at Blackjack. And then he's like, oh, no, not again. And there he had to go up above that person's head and get the VP on the phone. And I don't believe that the VP made everyone apologize. I mean, that, that reminds me of like a bunch of three-year-olds playing together where one hits the other and the mom of the three-year-old who was the hitter goes, okay, you better say sorry. I want you to say sorry. And then the kid has to say this very insincere sorry to the kid he just hit. I don't believe they did that to the security guards there, that they had to all grovel and say, Mickey, we're so sorry. We apologize to you, Mickey. So sorry for trying to ban you twice. We we know you're unbanned, Mickey. We're sorry. Please forgive us. I, I don't believe it. I think maybe one person apologized. Maybe he demanded an apology and the 
head of the security that was booting him at the time said, okay, we, we apologize, sir. We got the wrong information. But I can't imagine every person involved there apologizing to him. Like, like they all get in line to apologize to Mickey. <laughs> Can you imagine the Mickey apology line? I, I paid money for that video of a, of a line of them. We're sorry, Mickey. Mickey, I'm so sorry. Mickey, I'm so sorry. I, I didn't mean it. Mickey, please forgive me. Please. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm so sorry. Like, what, what the hell? That didn't happen. But I think some form of this happened in some way. I just don't know what is the truth and what is the trash here. With Mickey, it's always hard to tell. I just don't think it's completely fabricated. Like, I think with most things Mickey says, that they're not completely fabricated. I think Mickey is someone who morphs his stories. I think he will take something that happened in some way and then changes the details around. That's always the, been the impression I got from him. Now, there are people who just outright make up stories. Some people who just absolutely claim to have done things that just never happened, or they claim, claim to have gone places they never went. I don't think that's Mickey. It's like when he says he played, I think he probably played, but he didn't play as high as he claimed, or he didn't win when he claims he won, or he won a little bit and claims he won a lot, or he leaves out losing sessions. Like That's the type of thing I'm expecting from him. So there's something to the story here. It's just kind of weird. So I hope he posts the other videos. Now, this was four days ago, but he has not since posted the other videos. He is getting a lot of uh, views. Like on TikTok, he has 266,000 followers. He got uh, 627,000, far more than the number of followers he has, views of this one I just played you. Another video that he had posted prior to that, I'm not even sure what about, got 1.6 million views. Well, this is on TikTok. All right, let's get back to the regularly scheduled program. I've had a lot of requests to talk about this, and I'll give it a little time. There's not that much that I have to say here, but it is something that we should discuss here on this show, and that is about Houston Curtis. We had Houston Curtis on this show when he was basically doing his book promotion podcast tour, where he was appearing on a lot of different shows and talking about his history and talking about Molly's game because there was a character in Molly's game that was uh, definitely based on him. And he had a lot of intimate knowledge in that story, so we asked him about that. And it was a very well-liked interview, and people enjoyed it. But one thing I will say about Houston Curtis is he doesn't exactly have a spotless past. This is someone who has admitted that he's cheated in cards before. He also was friends with and still is friends with Russ Hamilton, the main cheater behind the UB scandal. And he has never really came at Russ for this. Like he hasn't. He hasn't condemned Russ for what Russ did. He's kind of made excuses for him and we've been saying that Russ is a fall guy, that Russ wasn't innocent, but there were a lot of people involved and Russ just took it all the chin because he was such a nice guy and didn't want to give up anybody, which totally does not match with who Russ is known to be. So he 
still defends Russ to this day. So you have a guy who has bragged about in his own book, you know, the one he was promoting when he came on the show, about cheating cards in the past and cheating shuffles and things like that. And someone who's friends with Russ Hamilton. And now he's actually in charge of Live at the Bike, which I didn't even know until recently. And that's raised some eyebrows. Chicago Joey did a video on this. It's called Expert Gambling Cheat Reveals Secrets. And I'm not going to play this thing. It's like uh, three hours long. Just looking at it right now. But people have wondered, like, why is why is he managing anything at Live at the Bike when these streams are already kind of under suspicion and question, given what happened with the whole Stones Live situation and Mike Possel? There's been a lot of paranoia ever since then that people could be looking at your whole cards and cheating you. Because these whole cards are broadcasted on the internet on delay, but yet there is a way for those in the booth to see them live. And if you have unscrupulous people in the booth, then they can signal or message players in the game what everybody has. And that is something that has always been possible. And ever since the Stones thing, everybody's been worried about every stream with that issue. And Hustler Casino Live, I know, has been taking extra security measures where they don't allow anyone to have their phone at the table. So at least they can't receive signals by phone. I guess unless they hide a phone somewhere, but at least they can't look at a phone. Maybe uh, a phone could vibrate or something in someone's pocket that isn't known and they could cheat that way. But aside from that, you can't use your phone at the table in Hustler Casino Live. You actually have to give up your phone to them and let it hold, let them hold it for you while you're on the stream. And then supposedly they have all these other security protocols regarding who has access to the live hole cards in the first place. So, I mean, that's good. They do that there. I still don't think that co-owner Nick Vertucci should play in that game, but that's that's not what this segment is about. This segment is about Houston Curtis. The question is, should he have any kind of role on Life of the Bike? How can you trust someone who is an admitted cheat from the past on Life of the Bike? I mean, it's one thing to be a player there, but to be anyone who has a role behind the scenes, you have to wonder. Now, Houston claims that he's reformed, he doesn't do that anymore, that he's gone straight. But we're not talking about someone who did these things as a 20-year-old. We're talking about someone who, I don't know how old he was, but he wasn't a really young man when this occurred. And in general, someone who does something that's unethical after the age of 35 isn't likely to change it. They may not do it again for a while, but you can't assume they're a changed person. Usually behaviors after that age, they can't be blamed upon youthful exuberance or immaturity. 
So after that age, it's pretty much ingrained in who that person is that they have the capability to do it. So would I want to trust anybody who had poker cheating in their background to work on a show where security is very important and where integrity is important and honesty is important? No, I wouldn't want that. Now, Houston Curtis, he may have interesting stories to tell. He may be someone who could write an interesting book or write interesting columns. He does write uh, columns as well and could be an interesting guest on podcasts as he was here. So just because he had a shady past doesn't mean he can't do other things in poker. He could even play poker. But you also have to put him in an appropriate role and keep in mind what his past is. His past is his past. He's not a new person. It's not like it's his brother who's accused of it, but he didn't do it himself. Like This is, this is someone saying, yeah, I did this stuff. He wrote a book saying I did this stuff, and now he's got this position at life of the bike. And it's a little bit weird. And I don't know what they're thinking. He's listed as executive producer. I'm not totally sure what he's doing there, but executive producer is a pretty big role. He's not just some promoter. It's not like he just has a contract to bring attention to live at the bike or to play on there a certain number of times or whatever. I mean, executive producer is a pretty high position. It's a weird hire. Also, he had one of the accounts that Russ used to cheat on UB. Now, that doesn't mean that Houston cheated. It's just that one of those accounts was registered to, to Houston. Now, those two were friends, so Russ could have done this all on his own without Houston even knowing. It's even possible Houston knew, but had nothing to do with actually committing any of the cheating. But that's something to raise your eyebrows uh, at as well. A poster on 2 Plus 2 named Mr. Mister said, it's easy to have sympathy for a guy in his 50s who admits he cheated in his 20s, but has a 25-year track record as a solid citizen. But how much sympathy can you have for a guy who says, I cheated in my 20s, I ran shady games in my 30s, I turned a blind eye when my buddy and business partner ultimate bit robbed everyone, but this poker security job, I run a clean ship so I can be remembered as a guy who made poker clean. (laughs) I mean, that's that's, uh, a good point. And someone else said, watch the interview. The guy seems likable, but I guess that's a component of being a con artist. Yeah, uh, he does seem likable. He was likable on this show. But I wouldn't trust him to run security or really run anything in any game that needs integrity. There's a certain position people shouldn't have. I would say he very much disqualified himself from that position. So this Mr. Mr. Guy made the same point I did, that we're not talking about a guy who's much older that looks back on some dumb things he did as a, a young man and says, hey, that's not me anymore. Justin Bonimo is a good example of that, even though some things Justin says I don't agree with and he acts like a douche at times. I will say that he has not been tied to any kind of uh, cheating scandal in the 16 years that have passed since he was caught multi-accounting on, I believe, poker stars. So yes, Justin Bonimo was a 2006 cheater, but he was very young then, and people have 
gotten over it. People mention it occasionally to troll him, but no one's really worried about Justin Bonomo being a cheating threat. And you can say, well, he was so young then that you can't just say that defines him for life. But someone doing this when they're older and was doing it for many years, they're not, they're not going to be just a new person in their 50s. Now, do I think that he took the life of the bike job to turn it into a den of cheating? No. It's very possible it was just a job that was offered to him and he liked taking it. And maybe he did think this would be a nice final chapter to his time in poker that he can show he turned around and went from a cheat to a guy who actually makes the game safe. Some of you might remember famed hacker Kevin Mitnick from the 80s. And Kevin Mitnick has since taken uh, various uh, security jobs on a consulting basis. And he's no longer the same guy he once was. That's a little bit different. And again, Mitnick was not that old when he finally stopped all this. He wasn't really young. But sometimes hackers, they can more easily turn it around because their general worldview changes and they can still get their excitement from the computer security standpoint from just working the other side. Rather than trying to break security, they're trying to stop those who are trying to break it. And you could say, well, I bet Houston gets the same thrill here. But the thing is, you're not really stopping people from trying to cheat if you just have a good setup in the first place. I mean, yeah, you can look for for colluders or things like that, but there's not that much to do once you've got the initial setup going and you just have eyes on the game and you watch closely. This is different than taking computer security jobs to keep out hackers when you were once a hacker yourself. So I don't know his motivation to take this, but it is an odd choice. You just can't pick someone like that. Like, Live at the Bike is just making one dumb decision after another. Like, that idiotic decision to have this darkness in their first broadcast back after a long time off the air. That was incredibly stupid. And everyone was making fun of that. So th- this is why Hustler Casino Live is eating their lunch. They're doing things a lot better. All right, let's go to the next topic. Paul Pierce is in some controversy, talking about former NBA player Paul Pierce. There has been a lawsuit filed against him for refusing to pay back a $180,000 loan, which he lost playing poker. Stephen Carmona claims that in January 2022, he was hosting a private poker game and Pierce was a participant. By the way, Carmona is a former poker player. He has a few caches, unless it's a different Steve Carmona, 
1999, and 2000. Maybe it's a different guy, but I hadn't heard of him before. These are small caches. He wasn't like some great player from those days. So he claims in a lawsuit that he gave Pierce a $150,000 loan to play in the game and that Pierce promised to pay it back within seven days. In that game, in the poker game, Paul Pierce chunked off 140000 of it. And when he left the game, he's like, uh, yeah, here's your $10,000 back that's remaining. <laughs> Carmona claimed in February, a month after that, that Pierce came to a second poker game and said, hey, I don't have any money to play. Can you loan me some? And Carmona gave him 40000 to play in the game, even though he never got that payback within seven days. And then Pierce chunked off the entire forty k and just bounced. So these two add up to 180000 and that in the four months since, he has not paid, according to the lawsuit. So Carmona is seeking $180,000 plus interest, which isn't that much in that time. And the interest rates are low, as you probably know. But that's what he's seeking. So what's going on here? Paul Pierce made almost $200 million in his NBA career. But that's a little misleading. His agents take some. Taxes take a lot. And of course, he spends a lot, I'm sure, and spent a lot. This is over a period of many years, so that all adds up. So it's not like he's likely sitting on $150 million. That would be very unlikely, even if he was responsible. But how much does he really have? Is it possible that Paul Pierce is busto and is using his celebrity reputation as a rich NBA player that he's getting these loans? Is it possible that as a degenerate gambler that he's chunked off a ton of money we don't know about? It is interesting that the second loan he asked for was only 40k. The first was uh, 150, or maybe he asked for more and he only got 40k. But why isn't he paying back? Now it's possible that this is a Leon Sukernik type situation where he's not broke, he just won't pay because maybe he thought he was being cheated. But if he thought that, why would he come back for a second game? That's always the problem with loaning people to play in these private games. Because you never know if they're going to pay you. Even if they're good for it, they may come up with an excuse not to pay you because they're mad about losing and they sometimes will convince themselves that they were cheated rather than face the humiliation of losing. It's not always about the money. Sometimes it's about the admitting you just got beat. If you can convince yourself you're a victim of cheating, then you can say, okay, well, you know, I was as good as any of these guys. They just cheated me. So F them. I'm not paying them. Or it could just be that he's broke. Or it could be that he's cash broke. Maybe he invested in some things and he just doesn't have the cash to pay. Though 180000 is not that much money for someone like Paul Pierce. It shouldn't be. Charles Barkley is one who has also been in hot water over gambling debts, though not to an individual, but we've seen before where casinos have said that Barkley owed money. Most famously, the win once took a full-page ad in the newspaper claiming that Barkley owed them 400000 and would not pay. And then very quickly, he paid it. However, Barkley has a steady income 
from both his commentating and a lot of commercials he does. He he maintained a lot of appeal because of his personality that he was able to make a lot of money well past his playing days. Pierce doesn't really have that. Even though he was a famous player, he doesn't have a memorable personality like Charles Barkley does. So I don't know what kind of earning opportunities he had. Now remember, last year, he was fired from ESPN after he posted uh, videos of him with a, a bunch of uh, bikini-clad girls, and they were doing drugs, and there was a poker table in the background, and it looked like a, a poker game had gone on at some point. So that wasn't directly related to poker. We did talk about it on this show. But it's possible he's playing a lot of these uh, private games and just getting clobbered. Maybe he really is out of cash. So 180000 that's not a lot for someone like Paul Pierce to be unable to pay. But NBA players are notorious for spending away or gambling away their earnings. In fact, Michael Jordan is a notorious losing gambler. He's just not broke because, like Charles Barkley, but uh, to a much greater degree, he has a lot of opportunities to make money long after his career is done. Because Jordan, of course, was a much better player than Barkley. So Jordan, by many people's accounts, is the best player of all time. He has a ton of endorsements he can still do and does. But apparently he has a major gambling problem himself. So is it possible that Pierce chunked off everything he had? Yeah. And we might find this out in court if this case makes it that far. Okay, finally, I want to finish off talking about Omicron and where it stands today. As I said last week regarding the true and false little quiz I gave on the current state of COVID, Omicron is the only variant right now to be concerned about. And that's pretty much been the only variant for just about all of 2022. It replaced Delta very quickly, and it happened in January, and that's what we've had. There has not been another variant that has caught on other than Omicron in 2022. But what we've had has been subvariants, and that's what confuses people. Subvariants are also Omicron, but they've mutated to be different forms of Omicron. These subvariants have basically been seen to be very similar to the original Omicron regarding symptoms and regarding deadliness, but they are increasingly more contagious. And that probably is why we're seeing it spread around the World Series like wildfire between that and the fact that people haven't had a vaccine in six plus months, for the most part, at the World Series. But of course, I had one in mid-May and that didn't help me as far as not getting it. I got very mild symptoms, but I got it. But let's talk about what I was noticing both in myself and in other players, that it seemed like everybody described it as a cold. When Omicron first hit the scene, 
there were reports coming out of South Africa, which was one of the first countries where it was spotted, that it was much less severe than Delta, and that there were symptoms that were a lot more cold-like than the previous variants of COVID. COVID always had some overlap with cold symptoms, like often it would begin with a sore throat, much like colds do. And sometimes people had uh, other cold-like symptoms with original COVID and Delta. But like runny nose was not that common with original COVID and Delta. In fact, that was something that was cited back in 2020 and 2021 that if you are trying to determine whether you have a cold or whether you have COVID, that if you have a runny nose, you probably don't have COVID. It was also said if you have a fever, that you probably have COVID and don't have a cold. Now, you might have the flu. The flu sometimes has fever, but colds rarely cause fever in adults. And when they do, they tend to be low grade. So if you've got symptoms where your fever is 102, then it's just about surely not a cold. And back then, if you had a runny nose, that it probably wasn't COVID. That, that was the situation with original COVID and Delta. Also, COVID would come sometimes with symptoms that colds didn't bring, like the complete loss of taste and smell. That didn't happen from colds. Sometimes a cold would make you not smell that well because of stuffiness in your nose, but that's different. You're, that's not an issue where your brain can't determine what a smell is or what a taste is. It's just that uh, it's just being blocked, physically blocked by the congestion. But COVID was actually removing your smell and taste temporarily. Not all the time, but it, but it was for a lot of people back in 2020 and 2021. But that smell and taste thing has mostly vanished with Omicron. The fever is sometimes there, sometimes not with Omicron. And sometimes it's just low grade. Omicron very often has a runny nose. In fact, it's one of the most common symptoms. Omicron was really looking very much like a cold. In fact, and I'm not sure if this was ever conclusively solved, there was a theory that Omicron came to be and was such a tremendously different version of COVID so quickly because it merged with a cold, that it mutated in an unusual way, that when they were examining it at first, they said, this is kind of an odd way for it to change. Now, these viruses do tend to become more mild over time because what they're attempting to do is both become more contagious and also have the host survive because when somebody gets a virus and then dies, then they can't spread the virus anymore. So it's to the virus's benefit that you don't croak. And that's why viruses naturally mutate to become milder over time. But not only did COVID abruptly mutate to become 10 times less deadly, which it did from Delta to Omicron, but it also became much more cold-like. And keep in mind that some colds, especially in the winter when this happened, are coronaviruses. Not all, but some. About 30% of all colds are coronaviruses. So the theory of some, not everybody, but some people had this theory that 
Omicron was created in the body of somebody who caught a cold and Delta at the same time. And that the two viruses merged and created a hybrid. Now, I don't know if this was ever proven. This was something that was being thrown around when Omicron first came on the scene. But I remember there was a lot of curiosity of how it mutated so much and in such this unusual way. And that's where this cold theory came from, especially because of its similarity and symptoms to colds, which before wasn't all that similar. Well, what's notable about this strain, and I don't know which one I got this is before B5. I don't know which one it is. And I'm, I, I have no way to tell. I have no way to tell if I'm getting the exact same strain as everybody else in the World Series. Maybe there's two different strains. Because there's uh, a few of them going around. But the, the main two that are new are this B4 and this B5. But I have been observing that the whatever's going around at the World Series is very, very cold-like. So much that people can't distinguish it from a cold. And that's what made me go get my test. At first, I said, I know what a cold feels like. This is a cold. I'll know when it's different. I'll know when it's something I haven't felt before. Because everybody before was saying, even with Omicron, oh, this is different than I ever felt. This was something that was, uh, it had some overlap with colds, but yeah, I, I could totally see how it was different. The way I felt it, like, yeah, this is a cold. This is just like a cold. It's 100% just like a cold. It progressed like a cold. And that's what so many others said. It wasn't just because I had four shots. So many others said that this was indistinguishable from a cold. Now, for some people, it was a bad cold. For some people, it was a medium cold. For me, it was a mild cold. But everybody said it was a cold. I haven't seen anyone who got it from the World Series saying that they lost their smell and taste, that they had a high fever, that they had crushing fatigue. I'm not seeing any of this stuff. I'm seeing they started with a sore throat, or they started with nasal congestion, and it got worse, and then they were kind of tired, and they were coughing and sneezing, they are blowing their nose a lot, maybe they got a low-grade fever often no fever, and then it would go away. That's a cold. So if these symptoms become indistinguishable from a cold for most people getting it, adults and kids, and if it's not causing long-term damage, then is it a cold? Because keep in mind, a cold is a collection of symptoms that can describe one of several viruses. You will get colds that are rhinoviruses. You will get colds that are coronaviruses. I guarantee you've had both. And then there's some other less common viruses that are also presenting as colds. But you just describe them all as a cold, and you really can't tell which is which. You're not going to get a cold and say, oh, that's a coronavirus cold. Oh, that's a rhinovirus cold. The only way you can kind of tell is that some are more prevalent in other seasons than others. Like, as I said, the coronavirus cold is more common in the winter. But to you, it's all a cold. And you'll have bad colds and average colds and mild colds and 
I don't know how they correlate to the type of virus they are. But the bottom line is they're all colds, and you define them as a cold because of the collection of symptoms that they have and also the collection of symptoms they don't have. So if this is presenting just like a cold, and if a cold is describing a collection of symptoms that are similar among certain viruses that you can get, then doesn't that make this virus a cold for most people? Now, I realize that there are those who are still very much in danger from the current version of Omicron. There are people dying every day. But the people dying every day are very, very old. Or they have some sort of other major health issue, which makes Omicron much more deadly. But for the average person, from what I'm observing, this is not through any kind of scientific study, but from what I'm observing at the World Series, this is a cold for the typical adult or child who gets it. And I have seen some fairly severe Omicron in people I've known earlier this year. So I'm not saying everybody who's gotten Omicron in 2022 had a cold. I've seen some who've gotten it much worse. But I'm talking about the current strain going around the World Series. I haven't seen anyone who's gotten it really badly. When I say really badly, I don't mean they're on a ventilator or died or even hospitalized. I mean just even ones that are knocked out for a long time and can barely get up. I'm just not seeing it. This is presenting as a cold for everybody. So from my observation thus far, maybe it has gone to the next stop, which is being a cold for everyone except for the vulnerable population. And now let's think about something. We already had a deadly virus in the U.S. that came every year, that still comes, that killed a lot of people every year. In fact, in bad years, would kill as many as 80,000 Americans. This is not COVID. This predates COVID by a long time. I'm talking about the flu. Something that has been around my entire life and your entire life. Something that's been a normal part of society. Something where there has never been a vaccine that is more than like 66% effective against it. And something which really kills a lot of people. But why has the flu not induced the same panic? Well, I've talked about that before. Because for the most part, the flu is pretty predictable who it's going to kill or seriously damage. And that would be very old people, people who are very vulnerable from other health issues, and babies and very young children. Now, COVID doesn't even get the babies and young children. COVID only hits the old ones, the old and the unhealthy. That's who the flu gets. We've had the flu. We still have it. We know it. It's been part of life. What was scary about COVID was that, number one, it was killing at a much higher rate than the flu. And number two, it wasn't just killing old people. It was killing middle-aged people. It was killing 
a few unlucky younger people. It was barely killing any kids, which is very good, but you had a lot of people in their 40s and 50s dying of COVID who otherwise had many years ahead of them. I'm not talking about people who were on death's door anyway at a young age. I I mean people who were living relatively normal lives, in some cases with no health problems at all that would catch COVID and just die at age 50, at age 45. Scary to me, I was right in that age group. That was the scary part with COVID, that and the high death rate. But if it's gone down to essentially be the same risk profile as the flu, well, the crisis is over. That doesn't mean nobody's in danger. That just means the crisis is over if it has become another flu. And in fact, for those who are not in much danger from it, it's a lesser problem than the flu, because the truth is, if you get the flu right now, no matter how old you are, you're going to have a pretty rough few days. Much rougher than what most people are currently getting with COVID. So it is important to remember what COVID is and not what it was. You need to constantly adjust your thinking. And much like Poker strategies from 2006 aren't necessarily going to work at the World Series in 2022. You shouldn't live life with the way you handle COVID and with the way you see COVID and the way you fear COVID the same way that you did in 2020 when it was far more severe, far more deadly, and there was no vaccine. But having experienced this myself, and I know I'm just one person, But having experienced this myself, it kind of feels to me like this is over for most of us, unless you're in that group who also fears the flu. An interesting stat I saw, I've talked about it before, but I want to remind you, when COVID was, I forgot it was the original or Delta, but one of the more deadly strains, when that was going on. I saw an interesting chart about the difference between flu deaths and COVID deaths and the risk for each age group. And I used to ask people a question. At what age is there a bigger difference, is the biggest difference between COVID danger and flu danger? And people go, oh, that's easy. That's like really old, like 90. And I said, nope, that's not the most difference because the flu and COVID are extremely dangerous at 90. So while they're both things you don't want to get at that age, they're not all that different. I'm talking about back then, even when COVID was much more deadly. So the big difference actually was at two different ages. At the very, very young end of the spectrum, I'm talking like babies and little kids, the flu was much more deadly than COVID. So that's where you had the most difference on that end, where the flu was most dangerous compared to COVID of any age group. But where COVID was the most dangerous compared to the flu was early 50s. Very close to where I was 
because early 50s, there was a lot of COVID danger, but very little flu danger because you're not old enough to really be that vulnerable to the flu killing you, but you were old enough to have a lot of COVID deaths. So that's where the huge difference was. That's why I I was watching people that were near my age saying, oh, it's just the flu. I'm saying, you're the worst age to say that. <laughs> if you're old, it makes sense. If you're really young, it makes sense. You know, if, anything but middle age. Middle age is where it's not just the flu. Middle age is where it's very different because the flu is not a threat to you and COVID is. But that's changed. It's not like that anymore. Now it looks like neither is a threat to you. And I know it's not just about death. It's about long COVID. It's about possible lung damage. It's about other things that COVID can do to harm you. And they're still trying to figure this out with Omicron. Omicron doesn't seem to be causing much lung damage anymore. You notice that? You notice the stories of people who are middle-aged getting COVID and then ending up with lung damage? You're not really hearing that anymore. You're hearing people having it from the previous variants and it not going away. But from Omicron, you're really not hearing about that. Same with the smell and taste. You're not hearing much about that. Long COVID, I, I have uh, seen that, at least with the Omicron we knew earlier in the year, where people have ongoing fatigue and things like that. And that's a concern. That's a concern I had when I was having it and I could tell it wasn't severe at all. I said, okay, that's good. I know I'm not going to be in the hospital. I know I'm not going to die. But am I going to have like long COVID? I'm going to be stuck with some condition now for the rest of my life because of this. And looks like the answer is no, because even today I'm not feeling that. The reason I'm doing this segment is because it's important to be realistic. And it's easy to get all stressed when you hear COVID. When I saw that positive test, I saw that I had COVID and I go, oh, I can't believe this is real. I actually, I have it now. All this time avoiding it, I have it. But I don't have the same thing. I don't have the same thing as what I was fearing in 2020. It's a different COVID. It's called COVID. It's a different thing. If I got COVID in 2020 with no vaccine, much deadlier version, I would not have experienced it this way. I don't know what would have happened, but it wouldn't have been this. It would have been far worse. There's a good chance I would have gotten over it with no damage, but it would have been far worse and maybe I would have gotten damage. Maybe I would have even been one of the unlucky ones who died from it. That wouldn't be unheard of at that age. But this, I don't think the typical middle-aged person has much to worry about anymore. Unless somehow it mutates back to be more of a problem again. All right, that's all I have for you. Hope you enjoyed this unexpected show two days early. Does this mean that the next show scheduled for the 24th is going to be two days early? No. All it means is that you're going to be waiting longer for the next show. I'm sure we'll have plenty more to talk about about World Series drama. I'd like to thank uh, Cynthia, the massage therapist, for coming on here and telling her side of the story. 
And if you're going to be around for uh, the second half of the series, please let me know. If you're going to be around like like later this week, don't tell me because I'm not going to be here. But I'm not done. I'm not just going 0 for 4 and walking away. Hopefully I will get the good luck now. Hopefully I've gotten the bad luck out of the way. I know it doesn't really work that way, but... We will see. Your chance of having really good luck is the same as having really bad luck. I just gotta have it fall on the right side of the equation. I gotta be the one to win those hands when my opponent flops a boat. And I flopped an overbear. That's what I need to do. I need to win some all-ins instead of losing every single time. I think I've doubled up once here. In these four events. Well, this wasn't the COVID experience I was expecting. This wasn't the radio data I was expecting. This wasn't the World Series of Poker start I was expecting. But sometimes life is not according to expectation. I didn't expect to be a poker pro either. Shalom. Shalom.